Tenebrae is about human perversion and its effects on society. And I'd like to know how you see the effects of deviant behavior on our lives. Well, first of all, it isn't just about that. Two of the victims are deviants. Now, wait a minute. Wait the a killer minute. is trying... Wait a minute. Who says they're deviants? Three cinephiles have come together to bring you strong opinions, controversial statements, epic battles, and plenty of fun. Introducing our host. The man who watches 52 movies a week, drinks 52 beers a movie, loves women but hates the woman. From the foreign land of Canada, our host, Mood 616. He is widely known as the man who talks too much. His worst enemies are Postmaster P and Pee Wee Herman. He said Hellraiser was overrated and Leprechaun Origins wouldn't suck. He's the full-blooded half-Mexican. JP. Finally, we have the man who doesn't talk enough. He is best friends with Sean S. Cunningham. His favorite horror movie is Gummo. He is your favorite Jew and mine, Jeremy. Together, they are known for extending a helping hand to vampircons everywhere. They are the 22 shots of moods and horror. Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 120 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast is coming at you live. I am your host, the real Canadian-Italian stallion, also known as Moods. Yeah. And, of course, I have my two Italian dishes by my side. First up, we have the sweet and creamy cannoli, the Mexican energy drink, Double Shot J, also known as JP in the house. And last up, we have the little piece of dry biscotti, the shy town curse word himself, NES Ruler 22, also known as Jeremy, in the place to be. What's going on, homies? Yeah. Well, since people don't want me to swear, I'm going to be very polite this entire episode. Fuck those dudes! <laughs> Here we go, man. <clears throat> Jeremy's actually referencing, and first of all, let me just say this. Uh, I am sick as balls up in here, so uh, excuse the voice, but Jeremy is actually referencing the question form poll thing that we put out here on the Facebook page. I'm going to actually drop the link in the description of this podcast so you guys can click on it and check it out. It's basically just asking you guys questions, like where was the first time you listened to us well actually that's not even a question i'm dumb uh but like what year was you know the year that you found our podcast and stuff like that and then it gives you an opportunity to give us direct feedback completely 100 anonymously so we don't know who wrote what because there's actually sections where you get the right things so yeah man that sounds good so them <laughs> uh but not know who said it so that's pretty cool. Going to drop down the uh, link in the description and stuff. But yeah, very, very, very interesting. I'm very happy with the results so far. Nothing overly rude or, or oh, super yeah. negative. Besides calling me a retard, you know. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I mean the criticism was, I think some of the criticism was warranted. I'm only here for, for comedian effect, you know. Comedic. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. My point's proven. Yeah, it's, it's all good, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, crit- all criticism is, you know. I told you, I accepted, wasn't going to let it get so. to me and get me fired up because I know what those fucks are trying to do. Oh, here we go. He's getting fired up. Trying, trying to get me mad. It ain't going to work. <laughs> yes, yes. Or they're just trying to make you a better podcaster. I don't really give a shit, so. Yeah, criticism can only help, right? Can only help. I think so. Yeah, why I not, personally, th- there were some things said about me. That I see me and Jeremy are very different people. Like I look at, you know, negative criticism towards me 
and I look at it as an opportunity to improve upon myself. He looks at it as a chance to say, fuck you. <laughs> That's the difference. <laughs> hey, man, everybody has their priorities, right? <laughs> One thing that, uh, you know, besides this form and this this uh, thing that we did, um, this is the third annual Italian Horror Month that we're kicking into this this November, which is pretty cool. I did want to bring this up, too. I, I, read, I noticed a little statistic. Uh, this is actually our 22nd episode of the year 2017, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, considering from about February, well, we posted one episode in January. We posted one episode in February, and then we were uh, we didn't post another one until June. So episode 98 was posted in January, which was the top 10 of 2016. Episode 99, which was the Hatchet Trilogy, one of our best shows, was posted in February. And then we didn't post episode 100 clear until like June 22nd. Yeah, it's impressive. So we've done about 20 episodes from June till now. Five months. Yeah. That's incredible. Which is five times four is 20. So one every week. (laughs) So we've been been on point pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty cool, man. That's that's awesome. Because we just, like, before we started, you know, we're like, what episode is it? 120. And it's like, holy shit, we've already done 20 more episodes since our episode 100. And on and that, I was, yeah. yeah. That, like, that's, like, impressive. I can't even believe Fuck this. Fuck you. It's insane. You, um, since our episode 100, when Jeremy made his triumphant return. Fuck you, JP. <laughs> Fucking no good yeah. Mexican asshole not giving me the respect I deserve. <laughs> But you know, but you know what that brings us to? It, like I said in the intro, episode 120, which is also the first week of the third annual Italian Whore Month here on the 22 Shots podcast. And yes, man, we're proud to bring back another Argento show. This is going to be Argento Volume Three. Um, I mean, if I have it, I my, this. <laughs> if it, if it'll be, you know, if I can get my way, I think this might be the end of Argento. I know JP is like got three more ahead of us. No way, man! Nobody wants yes. to hear us talk about those later Argento yes. films. Not I even do. a chance. I want to talk about them. Yes. Oh, they're yes, so. Some of them are so. Bad. If I have to buy it out of Patreon myself, we are doing because <laughs> it would be next year would be like our it would be like trauma, Stendhal, and like opera, and then the year after that would be like the Phantom of the Opera, Card Player, D like Hitchcock, and then it would be like Giallo. Uh, no one's ever going to listen to that show. <laughs> like, Giallo, first of all, something and something. Just having Phantom we have the enough Opera for the title, three more agendas. Just, just having Phantom of the Opera in the title is enough to discourage people from listening. That listen, is a shit I film. Think it's important. Like, why not finish? We've never done somebody's entire filmography. Why not eventually do it with Argento? I mean, if you look at it like that, but... The end of it is going to be a little bit tough to get through. Just put it this way. I think that that's good because it'll literally be a documentation. Because for the most part, we've kind of went in order. Minus we we took a very like deviation to Mother of Tears because it was in the Mother trilogy, and that's like one of his newest films. But for the most part, it's kind of in order, you know. So you, somebody can go and listen to six years of Italian horror mo- month, you know, all the Argentos, and really see the the history of that filmmaker and the scope uh, of his films. And honestly, I'm a big fan of tradition. And since we didn't do Fauci this year, Argento's the last man standing um, in terms of what we started with. Uh, 
which I I plus honestly I'm having a blast. I've been not watching Argento films because even though I'm really curious to see the rest of his filmography, but I save them for Italian Horror Month. So like again, this is three more first time watches for me uh, with Argento, and I think it, and considering that most people consider him one of the greatest horror filmmakers of all time. I think that it's important for me to eventually check out his entire filmography, good and bad. Just like any other film filmography, there's good and bad for the most part. Um, but Argento is interesting because uh, he's Italian, and I was unfamiliar with any of his films growing up, unlike Wes Craven, John Carpenter, uh, Toby Hooper, stuff like that. <laughs> but one other thing that I wanted to point out here, November is kind of an interesting month for us, right? Because not only is it one of our biggest you know months in terms of we do four shows uh and we do three or if we do four director spotlights with three films each it's a grind to get all that done but november also is kind of a special place for us too because november is actually the the spawning of 22 shots uh the last week of november is technically our anniversary every year the first show did not post until like december 3rd or 4th yeah. but we recorded it in november so um <clears throat> it's kind of interesting because this will be our fifth uh year i believe right mm-hmm. we'll be getting yeah. to our fifth year yeah going into the fifth year milestone year man five years half Up. decade <laughs> Half a decade, yeah, man. <laughs> if you look at it like that, that's that's some big ass terms right there. It's crazy. Um, You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, Jeremy I kept it together. Jeremy is the the mastermind and the uh, he's the guy that came up with the idea for the show. So I guess we got to give Jeremy a little bit of credit there because he's not fully retarded like some people say. But yeah. um, but you know, I mean, we've been through this. It's an interesting. You know history, man. Maybe someday I'll, somebody will make a documentary about the show. But we've had a lot of ups, ups and downs, and you know, just changes and things. And it's been a uh-huh. fun ride, man. And there's a lot more to come. You know, this is a really yeah. exciting month for myself. You know, it just—I feel like November for myself is—it's kind of like, you know, like a lot of people get kind of bummed out after October. October we celebrate yeah. like the whole month. It's just like it's like 31 days of excitement and then Halloween mm-hmm. comes and goes and it's November 1st and people like legitimately have like the horror blues. You know, they're like shit man, it's November, you know. I swear it- to god November 1st I got them as well and that's why I made that post saying like November might be over mm-hmm. or the October might be over but 22 shots, you know, keep celebrating and we we celebrate something else in Italian. you know and this was never uh, intended to it was never intended to kind of be like the you know the cure for the halloween hangover you know to do the the italian well i don't think it was spawned (laughs) like that on purpose it just became that which is actually i think it's kind of interesting and um but it's cool though because we turned one month of excitement into two months for ourselves and then which leads into christmas too which is kind of cool so the whole you know the last three months of the year are like really celebrated here at the 22 shots crew yeah, so because yeah, to man. me also the you know final month of of the year is also the prep for the year end show mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite shows that we record once a year uh which is why we tried to recapture that experience by doing you know another top 10 show at some point in the middle of the year 
uh, being, you know, of an, a retro year because it kind of recaptures that same feeling and, and same preparation and stuff that I love so much. It's it's one of my favorite shows. Our first one was episode four or five, I believe, of the first season. Yeah. And uh, I've been digging them ever since. Uh, and every year I do more and more prep. So it's like I really feel like I'm, you know, doing an amazing job with, like, the amount of shit that I see every year in preparation for these year-end shows and it'll be cool to actually do another one with jeremy back on the show because i believe we've only done two with him we did 13 14 and then he was off for 15 and 16 Mm -hmm. so it's cool that he's back for one of those So speaking of that read now what in terms of 2017 watches uh what kind of numbers are you guys looking at right now jeremy how many films have you watched from 17 you must keep some type of chart or something right yeah i think i'm like at 30 ish i just need like a list of what fucking ones to watch and i'll watch them i just don't know what the hell came out yeah i try to pay attention to what's coming out during the year so that i like make mental notes of them but you obviously weren't here for the entire you didn't come back till May, obviously. Yeah. Um, but since May, you've done a good job of keeping track of what's coming out. It's just the ones that came out before that. Uh, I'm I'm sitting at around 55 or so moods, which is uh, pretty mm-hmm. pretty good for me considering my record is 65. And, oh wow! Yeah. And mm-hmm. I pretty much am at about 20 in pretty much like mid November usually so i pretty much watch about 45 movies or so um in preparation during november and december uh but this year i won't have to do that i'll probably stop at around 75 or so not Mm. intentionally just i figure that's what like it'll work out to be um i can't see i think i've seen most of the heavy hitters this year yeah i don't think that i need to see i'm really not trying to compete with my last two years they were like 135 to 150 in the respectable years Jesus. but then i realized you know after doing that for two years that i watched a lot of rubbish too so i've been a little more choosy this year i've still watched 72 films from this year um so i probably i'm gonna be way under what i was in the last two years i, I mean i'll probably hit 100 i'm gonna you know seek out some yeah. more there's still a couple notable ones i haven't seen but for the most part i'm doing pretty well but uh, I've been a little bit more picky this year. I've been trying not to overdo it and just try to watch yeah. the quality over quantity. So, uh, but another um, thing that I yeah. wanted to suggest to the listeners out there is, um, not only do I want to do this every year, the Italian Horror Month, but I want you guys to do it too. Like, let's celebrate Italian horror as a whole. Let's try to make this a thing one day. Like to where. You know, there's like February's like Women in Horror Month, like that oh. became a thing. Like, why not let's have an Italian Horror Month and that be a thing? So, uh, I've been when posting on social media the Italian horror flicks I'm watching and stuff, <clears throat> use the hashtag Italian Horror Month. I know Moods does as well. Uh, a few other people jumped on board doing it, uh, which I think is cool. And even if it only exists in our little community, it never goes further than that. I'm fine with that too. But let's uh, let's uh, let's everybody watch some italian horror if you've not seen a ton of italian horror get into it this month make an excuse to go out and watch some if you are a huge fan revisit some some italian horror and then check out some new ones that you haven't seen like let's actually celebrate italian horror i'm gonna watch other italian horror besides just the stuff we're covering um because i thought that it would be really cool to 
kind of completely like engulf myself in Italian horror during this month because it's 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 a fun time to do that you know we're covering them on the shows and i suggest other podcasts if you're listening do an italian horror episode for italian horror month i think that would be awesome i know jerry is doing uh two italian films this month as well which i don't know if was that was planned or not um, jerry. but so i think that's cool what so. is jerry doing is he doing italian creature features or is he doing giallos no idea. Or, no idea but he's but <laughs> I, I mean the fact of the matter is he's still doing italian film which is really cool but i agree why not just try to go out there and watch some italian films if you've seen them all which i'm sure you haven't <laughs> just rewatch some of your favorites or check out some new ones for sure for sure man there's always ones that you can discover support italian horror month which is november november yeah yeah let's do it man yeah i'm this, it's exciting to me, man. This is uh, this is actually the show. I mean, oddly enough, you know, I wasn't overly entirely super stoked to do another Argento. I mean, I know we fought about this many, many times, but hmm. but then at the end of the day, I'm like, well, the films that we're covering on episode 120, you really can't go wrong with. So it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Ew. On that note, um, we might as well get into some news. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Alright, so news, news, news. So, the first little thing that I noticed here. Uh, we have some early sales art for the Lovecraft... Crap. Lovecraft? Lovecraft. <laughs> Love you sound like me now. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So, uh, the Lovecraft adaptation of Herbert West Reanimator. Uh, it looks like there's a poster of sorts. Um, it is a pretty god-awful looking poster. It's like a pre-production poster. Um, looks like completely different than what they're going to be going for. Like what they went for before. I don't know. It doesn't look like Reanimator. <laughs> so, I didn't see this one, actually. I didn't see what it looked like. So. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, um, so I guess they're going forward with that type of um, reboot, I guess. Hmm. says, in the new adaptation pursued by the police, an ambitious neuroscientist uses a neurotrino impulse to bring his dead wife back to life, unintentionally unlocking her within her dominant powers that threaten the existence of everyone he knows. Uh, says they're going to stay more true to the short story. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so they're just they're gonna make like a short film then. <laughs> it's so short. Um, I, mean, I have no idea. I mean, to make a, to make a feature length film, I mean, there's obviously added stuff into the Stuart Gordon film, right? To make a full length film, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know what they're gonna do. If they're gonna stay more true to it, I mean, that just sounds. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I'm not gonna supposedly sit here starring but, yeah. Brad Dorif and Lynn Shay. That's that's a good start, you know. That's cool. Yeah, can't go wrong with yep. either one of them. That's cool. Uh-huh. Any, uh huh. Any any word so, on director? 
Yeah, I, I, we mentioned it before. I just closed the page, so I can't tell you now. But I think it was kind of a. I think we were kind of annoyed because the, either the producer or director kind of took a jab at the original one or something like that. I remember we talked about that a while back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have an update on Quentin Tarantino's ninth feature film, uh, which is supposedly going to uh, revolve about around Charles Manson. Yeah. So, as we know, Tarantino was heavily involved in with you know Miramax and and the Weinstein Company. Uh, obviously, with this news, he doesn't want to make his next movie there. Uh, so apparently, he's um, kind of uh, shopping it to the different studios out there. Apparently, everybody's kind of interested. So probably. Well, well who in the fuck wouldn't want to be interested in? You know, putting out a new, yeah, yeah, putting out a new Tarantino <laughs> film, man. There should be studios fighting over his next picture. Yeah, well, it's, it's currently being read by nearly all major studios. Oh, <laughs> yep. It's definitely going to. I get bet it up. goes to Paramount. Paramount. It's my bet. Yeah, yeah. seems you like think so. Yeah, for it. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. So, Paramount probably. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Um. So yeah, that's pretty exciting. Like I obviously think that a Tarantino version of the Manson murders would probably be the best version of the Manson murders. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think we're I think it goes without saying that most cinema fans are also Quentin Tarantino fans. He has his detractors and haters, but I mean most logical cinema fans are probably also at least at least like a few of his films. <laughs> right, it's probably yeah. safe to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is your uh favorite Tarantino movie? Inglorious Bastards. That's... Really? Inglorious Bastards. You know it's funny, Dance I was watching Man. I was watching a video not too long ago and the person's least favorite Tarantino video movie was Inglorious Bastards. That's funny. Um And the worst Django. Uh, my favorite is shit, dude. It's so hard for me to pick, man. It's really hard for me to pick. Uh, I lean towards Pulp Fiction. Um, yeah, I think it's just it still has so much rewatchability too. I think it's a fantastic film. Uh, it's safe to I actually like all of Tarantino's films. There's not one I don't like. Jeremy, yeah, why, why do you too. say why do you say Django? Hmm. I think that shit is highly entertaining, man. It's insane. It's yeah, it's over the top. Your typical over the top. I'm fucking now. I'm thinking <laughs> over the top Tarantino kind mm-hmm. of a movie, but I don't know. I don't think it was the strongest story wise. You know. I well, know. I mean, he's basing it kind of off the other Django films somewhat, and it's not really the the most con- complex narrative really but it's mm-hmm. just it's more about what he brings out of the narrative too i mean shit dude that, the whole scene where with leonardo dicaprio and that whole thing is ridiculous mm-hmm. that's just fucked man it's good shit man but i personally think his most underrated film and i know jackie a lot of brown. jackie brown's a great film i love jackie brown but i fucking love death proof and i know a lot yeah. of people don't like death proof and like, if you asked, if I, I think if you asked twenty people, they would probably say I, I prefer Planet Terror. 
that's fine. But Death Proof is just the epitome of an exploitation <laughs> film that works on all levels. It's got great dialogue. It's got great action, gore. It's got fun characters, amazing soundtrack. It's got all those elements that make up a great Tarantino film. And the stunts are fucking amazing. I don't know how anybody couldn't be entertained yeah. as shit in that film. It's so entertaining to watch. I don't know. Yeah. I, I get I, I think out of that it. a lot of people kind of underappreciate and undervalue those stunts because oh, it's really so Zoe Bell like on a freaking hood of a car like the entire time, you like, know. And to really, you really got to really, really, really appreciate that stuff. And oh, not to mention that so the good, film man. is very dialogue heavy mm-hmm. at the early stages, which is the diner. It literally, it literally mimics almost all exploitation movies of that of the era yeah where they are very dialogue heavy at the beginning and you really just wait for the you know pop shot at the end with like the over-the-top violence and and action and stuff like that so i love death proof as well it's actually one that um over the years i've actually come to appreciate like way more than i did the first time i seen it because i used to like planet terror better mm-hmm. but i think death proof is a extremely well-made movie like way beyond some way beyond planet terror mm-hmm. yeah man i i watched I saw the- that shit in the theater so did i i saw I, wish I, I, did. I saw the double feature in the theater too and then when they came out on media um it was awesome to get the extended cuts because they're literally like 25, 30 minutes longer. There's a lot of footage that was yeah. cut out of those films. So it was really cool to see the extended scenes in Death Proof. And I was like, damn, that's awesome. Because really, we just need more Stuntman Mike. I mean, <laughs> more dialogue scenes. <laughs> I, I personally think some of the dialogue in, in Death Proof is just, it's so beyond entertaining. I don't know how anybody could be bored by that. And me and the wife were in the theater watching it. I'll never forget it, too. And there was a couple that was sitting just down from us. And they got up and left. They're like, this is the worst shit I've ever watched. I literally heard them say that. It was crazy. And like during the break in the fake trailers, there was people leaving. They're like, what the fuck are we watching? <laughs> they, they totally didn't know what it was a reference to. But yeah. no idea. Uh, my no favorite idea. my favorite Tarantino movie is actually uh, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, yeah. I think that it's his best movie. And I also think that it's – well, I don't think. I know that it's my favorite. It's uh, in my top five favorite movies of all time. Um, I just absolutely love that movie to death. And uh, my least favorite out of the one, I still haven't seen Jackie Brown. I still haven't seen his last two uh, as well. But my least favorite is Inglorious Bastards. (laughs) Not saying that I don't like Inglorious Bastards. Uh, I think that there's scenes in that movie that are amazing, like Eli Roth as the Bear Jew. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I do think it also drags a bit. But the the beginning scene where the the you know they're per- harboring the Jews, one of the most intense moments I've ever been in, oh, dude. in while watching. <laughs> For like a non horror film, that's probably one of the most suspenseful <laughs> scenes ever. Yeah, <laughs> like could you just imagine how intense that would be? Like oh yeah. man! But I always thought I always got a major major kick out of you know his take on taking out Hitler and shit and how it went down. Oh yeah, I love that. yeah. <laughs> Dude, is that ever fucking just blow his brains out? It's, it's fucking awesome. The funniest shit I've ever seen. I, like every time I see, I've watched Glorious Bastards three or four times, and that it just kills me every time. I wish it would time. have been it's more so about the bastards, honestly. Yeah, it's the best movie. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, moving along here. Uh, we have this kind of post from uh, George Romero's son, Cameron Romero, uh, basically saying that he is uh, going to be making a <laughs> Origins film, kind of a prequel to Night of the Living Dead, 
this was actually in development before George actually died. Uh, if you remember, we talked about it a little bit. It raised $30,000 in its Indiegogo campaign, which it was successful. Um, <clears throat> titled uh, Rise of the Living Dead. Um, <clears throat> here's what he had to say. Many of you know that I've been working to tell a story for many years. My dad read the script and called it genius. Many have approached me about making the film, and I've said no to many people because even though I'm not a precious artist... This one is special. This one is mine. This one is the love letter to my dad, to his work, to the fact that he was once called the most dangerous filmmaker alive, to the fact that society in 1968 wanted to shut him up as much as they wanted to celebrate him. This one is a prelude to Night, the film that created the pop culture phenomenon that has inspired thousands of filmmakers from backyard auteurs. Atar, uh, uh, how do you say that word, Jeremy? Uh, retard which you are <laughs> I'm sorry I wasn't expecting that <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Uh, to 180 million dollar features to the single longest running most successful show in the history of television this one has been a long time coming and is my absolute promise to you all that this film will be everything it needs to be uh, man that's, that's like Dude, you're fucking. Heavy. You're like setting yourself up like like you like you better slam dunk this shit because you're yeah. you're talking a big game, homie. How are you gonna do that with thirty k, bro? Well, that that's my first question right there. How is this going George to be accomplished that. if this script is genius? If this idea that he's come up with for a prequel to one of the most famous, if not, you know, films of all time, thirty grand? That seems really really low. Oh, maybe he has more investors. <laughs> he must, man. It just seems like a, a very small amount of money to make, you know, your love letter. Yeah. You know, to yeah. you know, one of the most celebrated films of all time. I mean, you would kind of want to do this right. Thirty grand just seems like very minuscule. So, I mean, I hope it works out, and I hope it's a good film. I really do. Mm-hmm. So I'll be, you know, looking so, for that. So uh, here's the plot. Origins takes place in a turmoil of the 1960s, just shortly before Night of the Living Dead, and explains how the original Romero zombie was created. In 1962, Dr. Ryan Cartwright was on, was on the scientific and illustrious illustrious path to find a way for humans to sustain life in the event of a mutual assured destruction. Uh... I don't know what that is. A huge topic brought on by the Cuban Missile Crisis. Little did he know that over the course of the next several years of his life, he would take a well-founded, funded, and uh, military-focused journey to the darkest corners of the world as he creates the ultimate weapon for the government and curse that will plague mankind for the rest. See, this sounds like way more than $60,000 worth of movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if, if the plot was like, well, in a quiet little cemetery town in, in Northern Pennsylvania, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, a farmhouse is attacked by zombies. Like I would be like, okay, this sounds doable. <laughs> He's talking about world domination and shit. <laughs> yeah. When you're telling like a full blown narrative, man, I think funds, become well, more of an issue yeah. i wish him the best i hope he's successful in paying tribute to his father 
Um, one thing that we did talk about was when George got his walk, uh, his star on the Hollywood Walk, walk of Fame. Yeah, yeah. We did that, um, bro. <clears throat> yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. When we did that, we were talking about um, whether he would have been happy about it or not. And I think Dave actually said that from what he understood, like, George was, like, very anti-Hollywood and stuff like that. Well, of course he and, was. Yep. I mean, I disagree to a certain extent i just think he was anti-system like the way the system was set up um but anyway uh talking to his wife um apparently he did know that he was getting that star and he was excited oh, that's cool that's good yeah so um she's pretty freaking awesome by the way she's like trying to you know, push on his legacy and and with his school and different things like that. It's it's really cool. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> she was I met I, we ran into her again last month. So well, like really she neat. should be doing. I mean, it's George Romero, the guy created one of the biggest mm-hmm. phenomenons ever. So why not, yep. right? But yeah, it's I, it's awesome, man. It's awesome. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, continuing along here, we have um, a update on the Pet Cemetery reboot. Yeah. So uh, the team behind Starry Eyes, one of my favorite films, probably my second favorite film, even though I didn't current, I didn't technically have it ranked as my number two film of twenty fourteen. It would have been um, on reworking of that list. Uh, yeah, that movie definitely would have made my top ten also if I had a thought before we did the top ten. <laughs> yeah, that movie's awesome. Yeah. I think it made like number four or something, but it, it should honestly it would be number one or two if I redid the list. Um, so uh, basically, this is pretty cool because this like Stephen King, and we, we always do our story of the year at the year end show. Um, where we talk about what we think the biggest story of the year was. Uh, Stephen well, King adaptations is. Yeah. is a front runner for that. Um, there are also other big stories that happened this year, but um, Stephen King adaptations are, are at an all time high right now. There were four big Stephen King adaptations in in 2017, um, three of which were complete successes. Uh, one of which was a flop but there was also um two other adaptations i believe like tv wise that were were like mr mercedes or something and like castle rocks getting off the ground um but the dark tower was the failure um but 1922 gerald's game and stephen king's it were like three of the biggest movies this year you know three contenders for top 10 lists uh three very successful movies three very critically praised movies um so i seen somebody post an article king is still king of horror and i thought that was pretty cool because it is true uh stephen king is one of the most important you know people in horror ever i think i think it's hard to argue that he wouldn't belong on a mount rushmore of horror um 
his influence in both like the literary section as well as like the film side is insane like if any mm-hmm. any top 100 horror film list including ours that you look at will have multiple stephen king films on it you know what i mean yeah so um it's pretty cool and to see them go ahead and and be you know and there's tons of other things that need adapted still that haven't i think the netflix platform is absolutely perfect like they should do a couple of stephen king adaptations a year you know what i mean well it was definitely uh-huh. perfect for you know stories like 1922 and uh, gerald's game because those aren't necessarily high budget narratives right so it was it, it fit the netflix format perfectly yeah, like the stand, you might need a little bit more money. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's more or less. Yeah, that's like a blockbuster type. <laughs> and after Dark Tower, I don't know about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they'll be doing a whole lot more. But yep. yeah, they man, sucked I'm, the creative juices out of that movie. That's what it was. Just yeah. too many ha- hands in the cookie you know, jar, cookie jar, or whatever. But yeah, Pet Cemetery. This could be cool. This is also a film that doesn't need a ton. Of money, it's a very simple story. Uh, I never, love it. You so, never gave this story. So they're calling this a reboot. So it's not a straight up adaptation of the original I story. Okay, so I they're ju- they're just readapting the the original story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So uh, basically, director Andy Muschietti. Expressed interest in it, um, but the job is going to be going to Dennis Weidmeyer and Kevin Kolsch, the writing duo behind the 2014 gem Starry Eyes. This is from Bloody Disgusting, by the way. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of it. It's just announced that they're going to be directing it. Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. We know the story. Uh, Lewis Creed and his wife Rachel move into a, new, a home with their two children um, next to a deadly highway and also next to a soured pet cemetery slash ancient Indian burial ground that has the power to bring the dead back to life, but they are not. I'll be honest, man. They are. I'll be honest. I think this is one Stephen King story that doesn't need rebooting or readapting. I won't say remaking because... Apparently, and just make Pet Cemetery three. That's a big no no right there. Oh. I, I just don't see. I, I just don't because the original Pet Cemetery is good enough. You know, it doesn't really need to be. Um, you know, as a film, we don't. To need be to fair, you could say it. the same thing about it. Yes, I mean, in my opinion, I think the new one actually approved on it, but just because of limitations, damn editing, bro. It's just the limitations that the TV format had for the original one there's nothing that's wrong true with that's fair right but you know given the stance that the original pet cemetery holds right now within horror fans and stuff it's a very beloved film and i i really think it's actually a legitimately good film readapt just retelling the story just in an updated form i don't really need to see it i mean it's not like i'm not going to watch it but i would like to see more of you know stephen king's other stories adapted instead like you know, doing Gerald's game in 1922 and just keep moving on forward with the, with the original adaptations instead of redoing the adaptations. Right. I mean, you know, if, if pet cemetery was like pet cemetery two, I would say definitely redo it, you know, readapt it. Why are you hating on pet cemetery two, bro? 
Because it's a movie that went backwards for me, man. <laughs> it went backwards. I used to like that one. Now I don't. But It's a fun movie. You're oh. a hater. You're a hater. Oh, yeah. Man. <clears throat> I used to love it, man. I don't know. But you, you get what I'm saying, though? I would like to see, you know, maybe some more of the short stories, even from, you know, 1922, like they did with Big John. They're almost all done. Yeah, I think they've The done. only one they didn't do is that one where that guy, like, trades his soul for, like, happiness well he doesn't even trade his soul he just met he just he just makes the other guy's life shitty <laughs> yeah true that I forget what that one was called that i love that story though but i don't know how you that, that's a quick one yeah but there is some really cool ones you know from night shift and there's other short stories and stuff that you could adapt but i mean i'm not yeah, i'm not I think against if you're it. gonna do a reboot like probably something like graveyard shift could work because like that movie isn't it's one of my favorite stephen king adaptations but it's not like an amazingly I, bad movie. i personally wouldn't want to see a reboot of that either i i love graveyard shift i think it's great uh but maybe, you don't think you can improve on that that movie's de- not like, you, super well made you definitely could improve on it but i mean if anything maybe like you know the stand or the langoliers or something like that I mean, we're talking a little bit yeah, higher, both of higher those budgets. Use, yeah, but those are, I think those, those are, are, you know, those TV type quality films that definitely could benefit from having the theatrical release and the money put into them. I think those are the type of films that could be redone. So, Pet Cemetery. I mean, let's face it. I mean, like, what are your thoughts on it? I know it's one of your favorite films of all time. Do you want to see just a re-adaptation of it? You know what? I, um, I, uh. Huh. Like, I obviously like pet. <coughs> Fuck. Gunson tight. <laughs> I, I obviously love Pet Cemetery. And uh, it's very <laughs> close to my heart and stuff. Hang like on, that. JP. Yeah. Hang on. Oh, I'm dying. I uh, but I. Um, I'm fine with it because I, I seen Watson post this too on the when somebody shared this news. <clears throat> he mentioned that he's a fan of readaptations and reboots and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm coming around to it. Like I, I feel like I don't get as insulted when there's like a new version of something coming out. Um, the way that I look at it is, it just gives me an, another opportunity to spend time in the world that I enjoy which is the pet cemetery world like um i like the concept of the movies i think that it's important um for children especially to learn about death and loss and and being okay with the fact that people are going to die and and letting go like and i think pet cemetery and we talked about it on that show i think that's one of the most important things about pet cemetery is it taught me those lessons as a child um that it's bad it's mm-hmm. a bad thing if you hold on and try to force things, you know what I mean? I mean, you more, can still – I mean, for the kids today and people have never seen the film, I mean, it's still going to be as relevant nowadays as it was back in 1989 when it came out. I mean, the story is going to be the same. D- do we need to see it in a, in, a modern, in a modern vision to tell the same story? Personally, I don't um, think so. I don't think well, so. There's, there's maybe it's more appealing. Well, maybe it's more appealing. Maybe question. it's more appealing like, to people that don't want to, <laughs> you know, they don't want to watch the older film. Maybe they're just kind of prejudiced towards watching older films. Like some people don't watch black <clears> and white <throat> films because they are strictly in black and white. My father's one of them. He hates black and well, white films. He won't watch anything in black two, and white because he's an idiot. Two different. Those are two different kind of questions, though, right? Hashtag like, fuck moods is dead. Are you asking? Oh, fuckers. 
Mood personally, are you ask, asking me personally if I'm interested, or are we talking about a mass audience? I'm generalizing. Because is it too? Yeah. Because like a mass audience, like adapting for them would make sense, but because you know, like not everybody's like the the, the average person doesn't even have an interest to go back and they don't they might not even know about the movie you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's like yeah it's cool to kind of get that kind of put in front of their face like yeah the, the original one's fine and perfect and holds up great um but like is it good to you know let a new audience know about a film you know like a concept yeah but like for me personally it's just uh what i was getting at was i like to spend time in that world and i don't you know i doubt that pet cemetery 3 would ever be a thing like it just doesn't seem like something that i don't even know where you take that story from there um but you know i still like the concept of the pet cemetery you know bringing a dead person back to life so like i i'm i look at it as an opportunity to journey back to that world mm-hmm. well, what so about you what I, about your J- jeremy would you i i mean like, what are your thoughts on just just basically adapting the same movie. story? Such a weird one to pick out of all of them. It's like, I don't think it'd be that. Uh, it doesn't really need it, to be completely honest. I think the film that we have is fine. Yeah, that's do we really need to. Yeah. yeah, do we really have to choose that one? Mm. Mm, no, I think it was a better choice. I think that maybe that's why it was successful. Uh, a better but, choice to you though right like it's a better choice for somebody in your position where you mm, want to but see I don't an think, improvement I don't, no i just don't think people are going to be like excited to go see pet cemetery like they were excited to see it no i don't think that's going to happen that's not i just don't do I just that think any film, i know right? but i just think it's like a wrong a wrong film to try to repackage and redo i think well, i mean i guess the real it, question is here one second let me ask you this is it uh, like because again this is coming from like two separate questions are we talking is it wrong to pick financially or are we talking creativity here because like this is because we're starting to go down the path of you think it would be a bad move financially and i think that what i was talking more could you do what more differently could you do with the story I can't see very much more differently you could do with Pet So now you're going down the path of creativity. Yeah, both. I think both it's not smart. So financially and creatively, I think creativity creativity wise, like there's not much to do differently. I think financially it will it will be a successful film because Pet Cemetery is a popular name. Yeah. It's a popular That's about what sells it. Yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah. it's one of the more popular, right? Mm-hmm. Like you look at some of the titles, it's like it, Pet Cemetery, Children of the Corn, um, The Shining. Like those are the, the Pet Cemetery is arguably one of the top five most popular Stephen King titles. You know, Carrie, Shining, uh, it. I mean, it, I think Pet Cemetery fits right in there. You know, um, it's better than Q. It's like more popular than Kuja, I'd say. But yeah, I mean. I, I I get what you're saying, Jeremy. That like as a so as somebody who is taking in the film, just as like not not looking at it financially. So like, you want to make a bet that it does bad financially? I bet you uh, ten bucks. 
I think uh, okay. I think that <laughs> yeah. I think the main okay. objective here I think the main objective here t- is to readapt the original story is just to bring it to the forefront to the people that might not know about Pet Cemetery. I think that's like the leading factor the way I look at it. You know, I mean, like you're because- saying like but JP was saying like, oh, people are people know the name and people know that. It's like why you're going to bring it forefront if people already know the name and things like that. Mm-hmm. Because that's, I'm just saying they know the name. Yeah, but, but if they know the name, don't you think they would know the, the story? Though it's a pop or, culture. But I think it's I also. See, I don't see Pet Cemetery as a pop culture film like it is, or no. The Shining. Not like it. Those are you're you're comparing to the greatest of all times right now. Like if you look at the dozens and dozens of Stephen King adaptations, it's closer to the top than it is to the bottom. You know what I mean? There's Langoliers bottom, Carrie top. You know something like good marriage bottom pet cemetery is one of the more popular titles for sure i would i would argue that um but continue jeremy i just think like oh you're saying like oh it's such an iconic pop culture icon it's not really a pop culture film i don't think pet cemetery is a pop culture film whatsoever i i think that's wrong like I don't see like people like saying, "Oh yeah, Pet Cemetery." Like if you're just like I don't hear people talking about it, like see, you would Pennywise and it or I Carrie mean, or I think the if Shining. you're spoofed by South Park, you automatically are pop culture mm-hmm. relevancy. I think that you know when we're comparing just these two films, Pet Cemetery and It, you know, readapting Stephen King's It, I in my opinion was a great idea because, like I said before, it had its limitations through the TV versus Pet Cemetery, which, in my opinion, is already a great film. So readapting the same material isn't really going to, you know, isn't the point of redoing or doing it isn't to improve on that film. So I have to look at it as the filmmakers are just, they want to take that awesome story, that really well done thing, and just kind of bring it to the forefront for the people that may not have even heard of it. You know, just kind of bring it out to the, you know, the new generation and stuff. That's the way that I see it. And I think financially it'll do fine. That's also the way that I see it too. So essentially bad for creativity, good financially. Yes. And I think that's what it's all about at the end of the day is the financial gain on this because yes, exactly. It is definitely doing both creativity financially for sure. For sure. Because there Um, is room for improvement on the original it. And there is room for improvement on Pet Cemetery. It's just I don't see how there's much room for Well, there's always room for improvement when you're readapting something or whatever, but you know, let's face it, I mean the quality of film, Pet Cemetery, the original one is really good, so I mean it's gotta just it's gotta be in their minds, like if we readapt this to the modern audiences, it's probably gonna do well. It's gotta be about I I mean I think that's what they're thinking. Do I if think it, it's if gonna it's do well? like theatrical, um, I would think that Pet Cemetery would probably, you know, just based on name recognition, I think it would make money. I think it's personally about timing though too. If Pet Cemetery, the re-adaptation of Pet Cemetery w- was to come out in two weeks from now, it would fucking blow people's shitters out, for sure, because the success of Stephen King adaptations this year alone is gonna sell the movie in, in itself. You put Stephen King's name on there. I mean, for people that there, there of course is people out there that have no idea about the original Pet Cemetery film that are probably going to see it. I was standing in line uh, waiting to watch it, and I heard people talking about the movie, and they didn't know that it was a readaptation. So you know, I mean, there's always that audience that doesn't know about this. 
So I mm-hmm. think it would do really well. I think it would honestly do well it, based on the timing. If it if if they drop, you know, who knows? Maybe the Stephen King phenomenon is going to die down within six months, and it comes out say in a year, and people have kind of you know the whole Stephen King. <laughs> let's re- schedule it for this. Let's schedule it. It for, might not do as well. Um, a month after. Stephen King's It too. <laughs> that's it. I think I think that's that's yeah. uh, the the which the might even help. Right which now. might even help because if this readaptation of Pet Cemetery is supposed to come out maybe like within a year from now, I mean that's about the time when you know part two of It's coming out, so it might still be going on. You know, as long as they get some more adaptations in there, I think you know, like a lot of things in this world, it's about timing, right? So success is yeah, based on I, timing. I think that. I think the Pet Cemetery has a lot going for it. It's the name recognition is there enough to bring in people that would be curious. Um, Yeah. You know, like us, you know what I mean? And also, you know, I think that the subject matter lends itself to making great trailers. So I feel like it's a uh, type of movie that can kind of capture the attention of the masses. Um, I don't see it. Maybe I'll be wrong. So honestly, Jeremy, if you th- okay, put this into perspective. Just this scenario: mm-hmm. the Stephen King readaptation of Pet Cemetery drops in two weeks. Do you think it does well at the box office or not? Just given the major, major success right now, like we're smack dab in the middle of this major success. This but explosion of Stephen King adaptations that it is Stephen King. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the name is going to be gonna say Stephen King's pet cemetery. So the trailer drops. The trailer drops <sighs> tomorrow. I'm... It's dropping in two weeks. Stephen King's name is all over there. Stephen King's pet cemetery. Just even for the people that don't know about it, they're going to be like they are going to relocate or they're going to put that name and they're going to associate it with the shit that they just seen. It, um, it Gerald's Game, nineteen twenty two. All these films. They are going to put that into perspective and be like, "Fuck, I'm checking that out. I like those films." I, I I think that Jeremy kind of undervalues the name, honestly. I think that he's a little in the dark on how popular of a novel Pet Cemetery is. It's one of the more popular Stephen King novels. Because we'll have to wait and find out. <clears throat> yeah, we're extremely far out from it, but it's definitely an interesting conversation. Let's continue along here. Uh, this is um, the Amityville Murders. Uh, this is like a oh man this is a prequel story by daryl uh daniel farins do we know who that is that name sounds super familiar daniel farins no no uh he okay so he done a few movies um he is the director of wow imdb completely changed their shit around uh he is the director of the his name was jason documentary never sleep again documentary scream the inside story documentary scream the inside story was that the one that like we talked about him like a few months ago i can never remember which ones are which because wasn't there was two scream documentaries right and it was like a fucking museum percents no, no. Scream the Inside Stories, like from 2011, when okay. the new when Scream Four came out. Uh, so this this guy's pretty interesting because he did those three documentaries, which are three of the better horror documentaries: Crystal Lake Memories, um, 
uh, the Elm Street documentary. Uh, but get this. I, this is where I heard his name from. Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. He wrote that. <laughs> he was the guy that wanted <laughs> to save the Myers film. Oh, and, my God. Like, I think he did. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm somebody who actually really, really likes where the story went in Halloween 6 um, versus other people. But... Um, <laughs> 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 hey, we all came in at like a 6.5, so I don't even want to hear that. I like Holland. Too. It's one of those classic cases of giving it a decent rating but not really caring for it too much. I'm the opposite. Story-wise. I, I like the story, but I, I think I'm in the minority there. Um, he also wrote The Girl Next Door, which is hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, um, Never seen it. So... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, He's making a new Amityville film. Now, it made me think that it's a documentary because he's worked so much in documentaries, but I think that it's actually a movie. Um, and it is uh, really interesting because um, one of the cooler things about the Amityville horror story is the origin story, the prequel, Amityville 2, The Possession, uh, which follows the DeFeo family uh, not the um, Lutzes uh, so this uh, this film right here we mentioned this before but it stars Diane Franklin or she's at least going to be in it which mm-hmm. of course you know, played the sister in the original Amityville 2 mm-hmm. which is awesome you know what I mean Yeah. so uh, I don't know what the hell like this franchise is the most confusing thing ever so I think this would be like an unofficial Amityville film. So, mm. so, aren't so it's like, not official? So aren't most of these Amityville films, you know, mid-2000, post that, uh, are they all pretty much unofficial? Because there's so many of them. Amityville Awakening is official. Yeah, that's official. The one that just came out. Okay. Yeah. But there's more than, more than likely the other ones are unofficial. Yeah, so the um, the ones that are official, from what I understand, if you track down the producers, are Amityville 1 through the remake. And then everything after the remake was unofficial until Amityville Awakening. Okay. Which is like half the films. <laughs> there's, there's so many of them. It is. There are so many of these fucking movies. Yeah. Yep. You could never do a franchise show because you would never know which ones to include and not to include. I say we do this. We do two Amityville shows. We do a official and a unofficial. Yeah, but there's like a million unofficials. There's like just as many. It's like it, it's kind of half, half, like half, 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 yeah. It's like eight originals and then like now like nine. Oh, man. So do you really dude, want to watch fucking seventeen Amity? I'm not saying films? you do it back to back, dude. We have we literally have infinite show possibilities. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that. Like, oh, I'd rather do the witchcraft shows. To be honest, I'd rather do the Amityville shows. <laughs> um, Speaking yeah, of Amityville, are you ever gonna that, send me that goddamn movie or what? Yeah, when we do the Amityville show. <laughs> <laughs> two fucking years later it's awesome uh-huh. oh shit it's great so that that's happening I'm excited I love I think that's the much stronger story the Lutz story is lame to me I've always thought it was lame 
the Fayo story is awesome. It I've involves always, murder. I've always said Blood that. story you, involves yelling. And incest. Yeah. You love incest. Oh, the I incest do. is the best part, man. It's the best part. I think the original Amityville film, to me, is like, that's got to be the single, mo- uh, the film that's gone the most back and forth for me over the years. I love it, and then I think it's mediocre. And then I love it, and then I think it's I mediocre. I do the same thing with that one, too. It's it's definitely that movie for me, and obviously for you, too. It's weird. So, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, almost, it's almost like a mood film, in a sense. Yeah. 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 Dude, I totally lost my water. Where did it go? Smoked <laughs> up. I don't have no water now. Uh, all right. So, uh, next up here. This was a little bit of disappointing news, even though this movie probably isn't going to be good. Um, I'm, I'm like a. Turns out I'm a pretty big fan of like what you would call, and I, I normally don't like this term, but like popcorn movies, meaning movies that aren't the most creative, but are kind of just fun if you allow yourself to kind of have fun, uh, unwind a little bit. Um, but we got Dimension Films Polaroid. Um, was slated to come out Thanksgiving weekend is now pushed back. Definitely. Um, is it pushed back or just completely shelved? <laughs> I think it's going to be shelved. I Hopefully so. they just drop it on uh, Google. Google Play because oh, I that would listen, be ideal. Amityville, the newest Amityville, I don't know if you guys checked it out. It was all right. It was not bad. No, I didn't. Uh, it's better than some of the other Amityvilles. Uh, and I like that it was free. On Google Play. Yeah. So, hopefully that's what happens with Polaroid. Yeah. I personally thought but, the trailer didn't look very good. Yeah, I thought it looked like trash, too. I like those say, cheese, and die concepts. Um, there that, was an episode of... That whole picture scene in the in the trailer, I was like, oh, lordy. Oh, when she's burning? Oh, I was like, that's oh, yeah. so fun. I was like, okay. <laughs> I can just imagine them stretching yeah. it over 90 minutes, but <laughs> I, 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 there's an episode, obviously the goosebump book, say cheese and die involves yeah. about around a kid who finds a camera in an there's old like house. There's like four of them, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, think actually, I, re- I know, I know, I know it, well, one of them anyways. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and he takes pictures of people. Yeah. Uh, usually in the picture, it shows them like falling Skeleton. or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, like then bad things happen to him. There was an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, which is actually one of my favorite episodes of all time. Same sort of thing, except for they find this little goblin in like that's like a pixel big under like magnifying glasses in each of the pictures. Um, hmm. So it's like, it's super neat. I love that episode. Um, but yeah, it kind of reminded me of that. So I love that concept. So that's why I was kind of interested in it. But yeah, probably, probably won't see it for a little while now. This film got pushed. Uh, dude, I, I swear to God, I seen a poster for this film when I seen Split in like January. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. That's old. And yeah. it says rated R at the bottom. And now when I just saw the fucking trailer for Keep Watching, it said PG 13. I was like, what the fuck is this shit? That's the direct, it's, that's the direct result of. Um, happy shit day doing so well at PG-13. So they're like, well, why why release this rated R? Take a chance. Of them having no idea what to fucking do whatsoever with their company now that all this shit has come out. (laughs) Well, yeah, true that, but I also think it is a direct result of PG-13 doing so well. Yeah, but Happy Death Day didn't do like blockbusters. If anything, people should be like, oh, 
it did made, a billion dollars. So. It made fifty million, bro. Yeah, it actually yeah. did really well, man. It's like fifty million. I can't believe but, it. But but I'm saying that it did way more than that, and that was rated R. So shouldn't the influence come from it and not? Well, Happy I Death think Day? I think there's also you know a bigger Different. history with it too. There's you know yeah, I mean, it's it. It's easier to sell, I think. More that was one of the craziest scenarios ever when we're like we guessed like 20 million or something <laughs> and now it's made like 350 yeah well considering insane. we've been so close on box office brawl and we were way to fuck off on that one <laughs> let's see let's see what it is total at right now so it domestically is at 325 million eight hundred eighty six thousand four hundred thirty four dollars and worldwide it's at 677 million five hundred eighty six thousand four hundred and thirty four dollars so almost seven hundred million dollars for it worldwide <laughs> so no That's wonder good. horror films this year have made over a billion dollars fucking it made 70 percent of 70 percent that's ridiculous it's so good it's so good for the show that's like lord of the so rings happy. type money that's like lord of the rings uh-huh. type shit good it's good. crazy i hope i hope i'm glad uh so finally for this little part here uh i thought this was super fitting news uh doppelganger uh distribution has teamed up with um scorpion to distribute three uh class classic italian horror films um that have something to do with argento uh so this is um like music box films Yep. In Doppelganger. Is this the theater chain, yep. Jeremy? It's not a chain. It's an independent theater. Okay. Huh. So, um, basically, they have a company called Doppelganger. I almost worked there. Yeah? I turned it. Down. I had to turn the job down because I already had a commitment with the movie I was working on. Oh, uh, damn. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, the three films are coming to Blu-ray. Uh, we have next year's Italian horror film, Dario Argento's Opera. <laughs> uh, two years ago's Italian horror film, The Church, by Michele Silve. Michele Suave. The 1991 horror film, which I don't think we've done or plan to do. I don't know who directed this, but it's The Sect. That's Mikhail Suave also. Yeah, the same dude. Oh, for real? Yeah, that yeah. movie just finally got a good release by Shameless. Uh, on Blu-ray. Like, on Blu-ray. only like four horror films, right? Yes. The Church, Stage Fright, Cemetery Man, and The Sect. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a shame, too. Unfortunate, that... too, because all three, at least three of those are good. I haven't seen The Sect. Sect is... It's okay. It's, it's good. Honestly, dude, the story is so convoluted, man. Like, even for an Italian film, it's convoluted as shit. So, but, yeah, it's kind of oh, a shame, great. though, because that dude had a lot of potential, man. So, um, the doppelganger company seems to be uh, doing big things right now. Um, they recently put out the Summer of Fear Blu-ray release, um, which is Oh, that's who dropped cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it seems like... And now they're getting these three heavy hitter titles, Opera, The Church, and The Sect. Um, apparently, huh. when are they coming out? I think I read... Cause Next, I, got these one, uh, I think Opera's coming out at 
uh, the end of 2017 and the others first quarter of 2018. Correct, correct. Yep, you're right. Um, with additional titles to be announced at a later date. I'm, I'm confused by this, though. Like, they're putting this out on uh, Blu-ray? Yeah. Yeah. So, what the fuck? Like, I thought that Code Red was dropping Opera. Nope. Scorpion was well, unless uh, he stole it. Well, Scorpion, uh, Code Red, same same deal, really. Um, two separate companies, same people run it. But uh, so look at it, kind of like how Art Exploitation teamed up with FilmRise for FilmRise to distribute their films. Ended up backfiring in that situation mm-hmm. because FilmRise like completely had a terrible rollout plan for their films. Uh, but it could work with this. It's essentially. Um, yeah, that, that's that's interesting. Yeah, because distribution deal. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, because the church and the sect both came out on Blu-ray in Region Two UK from Shameless. So that's cool that they picked up those and are getting good releases. Wow, and Opera. These are all three probably buys for me. Okay, I really so, like the church. Okay, so how the Summer of Fear Blu-ray I never did pick up. It was way too expensive. It was like thirty dollars per order here. I was like, fuck that shit. So, uh, how's the transfer on that? So just judging by I that haven't work. popped it in yet. Okay. Um, at- uh, October month really, really slowed me down for movies that I've already seen. Okay. So you bought that, JP? No, I didn't buy it. Where the hell did you get it? I, I got it as a press copy. What the fuck is this shit? This mofo gets them too. <laughs> it just showed up, bro. That's a bunch of shit. They, I they do. That. Their distribution, their, whoever their agent is, also does another company. I can't remember who it is, but um, kind of like remember that random email that we got a few years ago, moods from Vinegar Syndrome. Like I always forgot that we actually did review a Vinegar Syndrome title for Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah, remember that random email we got that asked us to review? Um, it was Dolomite. Dolomite. Yeah, <laughs> like. And then we did, and then we never heard back from him again. So, that sounds like me. I I was so, on the press for somebody that was distributing or Vinegar Syndrome and a couple other companies and shit, and I got like the odd movie here and there, and and a couple of them I didn't even ask for, and then like I've never gotten any more emails ever. Yeah, like, so, so random, that's kind so. of what it was. The lady who reached out to us for that Dolmite was not the actual Vinegar Syndrome press guy. No, no. It was another person. So sometimes these companies will reach out to a third party. Like Lionsgate is through a third party. Um, So they'll hire third party uh, press companies, just like uh, Wands, which is somebody I've been working with forever, one of the first people ever. Uh, They currently are distributing press releases for Dimension. <laughs> so that's why I'm getting all these Dimension press releases um, mm. through Katrina Wan. Oh, she and, doesn't like me. Yeah, she doesn't like you because you didn't review one of those movies or something. I lived because it sucks. And Mood said it was good. I like that movie. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, um, that that's why uh, I got that. I don't know if I'll get these. I did get a press release for them, but I don't know if they're going to just auto ship those or not um but i would buy those regardless because i really like the church and i i'm obviously my goal is to own every argento film on blu-ray that comes out um much like 
well, that movie's never coming out. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, anyway, uh, I do plan on checking out Summer of Fear as soon as I get the chance. Uh, I did just get it like two weeks ago, so I'm not too far behind on that because it was delayed. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a delayed release. I actually really like that movie. It's one of my favorite like underrated Wes Craven films. Uh, definitely a top ten of his. So, um, starring Linda Blair. But, yeah. That's uh, I, I think that there this this might be the emergence of a new company we're seeing. That's cool, man. I got another weird movie from them too. We got more. Hmm. It's like yeah. a regular DVD. A mirror. Like um, they did a mirror. Not what? a mirror. Uh, they did a uh, Alleluia, which is the film that's directed by the director of Calvere. Oh, that was uh, oh that was them who put that out. Oh yeah, that was another one that was ridiculously priced up here. I never picked up. Yeah, it's it's oh, okay. shot on sixty millimeter. It's a it's a really weird movie. Yeah, I know. I've heard really good things about that one. I didn't realize it's the same company. That's cool, man. I mean, we can't really get mad when there's more companies coming out putting out this stuff. That's awesome, man. Especially my yep. local theater, yo. That's yeah, cool, man. yeah. Especially when you're gonna be dropping Italian shit on Blu-ray. That's cool, man. Fucking. So right. that's it for the news. Fucking thing sucks. Uh, let's just get into some box office brawl. Jigsaw. We are all very close on this. Moods and JP dicked it out more than I did, of course, because I'm a loser and I suck this shit. Uh, so Moods had 16.5. JP, nope. what did Moods have? 15.5. 15.5? Yeah. Okay. I thought he had 16 and you had 16.750. No. Okay. So Moots had 15.5, you had 16.75, and I had, had 20. 18. 18? Yeah. And Jigsaw came in at 16640452 What was so it again? $16,640,452. That's so crazy, dude. I was so <laughs> on point. Yeah, you're close. Dude, that's ridiculously close. Yeah, because you guys made fun of my 7.75, too. <laughs> I I beat Moods well, by $140,000. Wait, wait, wait. Did you? He said 15.5, which means it, it, one it million, came in at what? 16640400 So he was off by 1.1, I believe, right? 1.1, yeah. Up by... Oh, never mind. One point three. So you lose. <laughs> of course. Uh, me versus Moods total is six to five. I took the lead. Uh, me versus Jeremy a demanding ten to three. Uh, Jeremy versus Moods. Moods is now seven or six to four. Sweet. And we actually don't have 
anything else. Anything. Any film. We probably won't for a little while, guys. It's till the end of the year. Till Insidious Four. Yeah, Insidious Four will be our next one, which I believe is in January. First week in January. All right. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Cinema came to a halt. <laughs> so. Yeah, we were on a roll there for a little bit. Yeah, man. Sense. What can Fucking you do? Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> what can you do? Yeah. Okay. So that's. Uh, gonna conclude box office brawl um yeah man (laughs) moving along let's get into uh some dead mail you've got mail jeremy what do you got for us no releases this week moods no fuck all shit shitty all right we're digging into this week's issue of dead mail where we dig into fangoria and read people's reaction to the horror news that was happening at the time and this time (gasps) We are digging into episode, not episode, issue 210 from March 2002. And on the top, it has Jason X, Lost in Space, question mark. Um, Queen of the Damned is the featured film. Which is awful. That movie sucks. Yeah. Uh, Blade <laughs> it does, two. dude. Blade 2, more fang for the buck. Uh, the Mothman Prophecies. Also sucks. This is, this is smack dab in the era that we spent all that time prepping on. Remember? Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. <laughs> all time. movies together. Yeah. Wendigo. <laughs> Frality. And <laughs> Rose Red. We literally mentioned every single one of those movies on our 2002 show. Yeah, big time. Yeah. And we have an ad for Beyond the Darkness from Shriek Show, which just came out from Severin. Severin. Available on VHS and DVD for the first time, completely uncut. All right. This is interesting. I think this is going to be an f- interesting article to read to you guys. And this one comes from Tom Cummings, and he has no address. And it says, I've been monitoring the controversy surrounding Victor Salva and Jeepers Creepers since <laughs> I first heard about the movie. My own personal feelings about the situations were abruptly expressed in your excellent algae in fango 207 if salva had continued his predatory actions after he was released or made movies attempting to justify endorse the molestation of children the outrage would be acceptable heck i join in but creepers is a horror yarn about a gargoyle rendering mr dear questioning of fango's sense of integrity and the other writer's assertion that it it is everyone's immoral obligations to protect children from scum like Victor Selva. Absolutely irrelevant. What truly bothers me about the backlash, however, is that I think there is far more going on here than simple concern for a child's well-being. You touched upon it when you mentioned that Roman Polanski com- committed the same exact transgression as Selva. Where were your letters protesting your coverage of the Ninth Gate? Holy shit, dude. These absence, I think, is due more to the sex of the victim than the crime itself. Polanski's Tyrus involved an underage girl while Salva's involved a boy. Frankly, I believe it's the homosexual implications that offends the protesters more than the actual molestation. <laughs> if Salva was a recovering alcoholic who had served time for killing someone while driving drunk... I bet you wouldn't be getting the flack you are now for covering his movie. Most people would feel obligated to try and forgive him for his past actions, regardless of how Henny has provided the true regret, provided he truly regretted them. From the interviews I've read, he generally seemed to trying to be clean up his life, but since Salva's crime was spreading, was the spreading of sexual perversion, as I read on the internet message board, he is rendered unforgivable. 
With that in mind, it might be proper for some of the protesters out there to assess their own mortality, uh, morality first before judging others. Wow, dude. History repeating itself. This is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. This is such a relevant piece of dead mail here. Yeah. Which is ironically not dead mail. You know, it's it's actually... This is a live a, mail. <laughs> li- li- live topic. Uh, this is one of the stories of the year you know we mentioned it earlier in the show that there were a few things that happened this year that could contend for story of the year and i think victor salvo being relevant uh the harvey weinstein thing and and that guy brings up a very good point that i feel often goes miss un miss uh said and that's that it's the homosexuality nature of the molestation that i think honestly seems to have a greater effect than when it's a girl mm-hmm. that's a very interesting concept is it true i don't know but it's definitely a point of discussion i've it's heard I, a point i've heard that brought up a few times actually over the years um it just you know is, it somehow is, makes is, victor salva more well, sick because he molested a boy yeah over roman polanski raping a girl in my opinion, it doesn't matter what the genders are. I mean, they're still underage and it's wrong. So to me, it's the same fucking thing. I don't even see. I, I don't care about someone's sexual orientation. I don't care that Victor Salva likes dick. That doesn't bother me one bit. I've got I know gay people. I have gay friends. Yeah, it doesn't bother Jeremy. me one bit. The fact yeah, that he's raping. <laughs> exactly. Um, but like it, that doesn't bother me one bit. Sexual orientation at all. But I, I think there is a lot of people out there that it does bug them, and, and they definitely they turn a blind they turn an eye a little bit more on things like Polanski and a girl because that just seems, you know, quote unquote, norm more normal to do. Yeah, people are opposed to same sex orientation still today, and it just it boggles me. I mean, why I don't know why people are so concerned why what other people do in their spare time and shit. Who cares if you like dick if you, if you're a girl and you like pussy whatever who cares. It, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect me in my everyday life. Doesn't bother lives. me. Either. So why do people care so much what other people are into? It, it shouldn't fucking matter. It really shouldn't matter. But it still it still happens, and I I think that he does bring up a good point though. Yeah. So it, it's really, I mean, it's, it's it, a tough it really, conversation. It really comes down to. Like, I, was just, I, I was like, like so fascinated Roman when Polanski. I was reading this, going like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, like this is so relevant. This is 15 years old. <laughs> yeah, so and relevant. people are still it's literally the about same this. conversation re yeah. uh, started. You know what I mean? When 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 Victor Salva, it's so fucking interesting though that we've seen like three films from Victor Salva since Jeepers Creepers two till Jeepers Creepers three, and this was not relevant until the third Jeepers Creepers came out. You know what I mean? Hell, we were doing the podcast like right, right after Rosewood Lane came out. Do you remember hearing barely anything at all about yeah, Rosewood? I've, I've I didn't seen that movie. <laughs> I, I've seen it. It's it's stars Rose McGowan. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Like uh, I, I think really to gauge it, we would need to see Roman Polanski do another movie in 2017 because his last well i guess he did carnage do i think it's because yeah those movies went so underneath the radar i remember when uh i never seen rosewood lane but i saw dark house 
Yeah. And uh, it was actually funny because I had read a synopsis on it. I can't remember how it came about. I ended up getting the DVD. And I, then I, that's when I realized that it was Victor Salva that directed the film. I didn't even realize at first. That's how under the radar that was because yeah. it just wasn't a thing. I mean, Cheaper's Creepers is just associated with, you know, those other films, right? It's bigger. So people know about it and it's going to make a stink. But you're right, though. It did go pretty much underneath the radar. It's crazy. And, uh, yeah, we've obviously talked about the Harvey mm-hmm. Weinstein thing. We've talked about um, all these sexual allegations coming out um, from, like, like, Kevin Spacey to... D- Dustin Hoffman. Like, Dustin the- Hoffman. Uh, the list goes on and on. It's a very interesting time in Hollywood right now. Um, I don't know if you guys seen, but Corey Feldman finally named one yep. of his abusers, which shouldn't be a surprise considering this guy... Dr. Oz. Who was it? Yeah, on Doctor. He did it he on Doctor. He was Dr. the Rob. guy who directed License to Drive, I believe. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. It just turns out that this, like, I don't know how anybody didn't make this comparison before, but this guy actually has been arrested for uh, molestation in the past, and he is a registered sex offender, and he is a wanted fugitive, I believe. Yeah, so he's living in it, Mexico. It totally makes sense that <laughs> this guy would have been one of the people. Um, was he might have been an was he an actor or the director? I don't want to get. I think he was an actor. He was the the actor. I was going to say because if it was the director, I mean, this guy's still active. Like he produced like American Gothic and shit. It's like uh, Greg Greg (laughs) Beam. It's got to be. What was his name, Jeremy? (laughs) Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I would have to look. Let me see. But he like yeah, claiming that it was. You know, someone that everyone knew and shit like that. I mean, there's obviously other times, I guess. Well, but. well he said, well, it makes sense that he would release one that... John Grim- Grinsom, an actor who had bit parts in some of Feldman's films, including License to Drive and Dream a Little Dream. He is listed as John Grinsom in his IMDb account. John Grisham? Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Wow, just realized R.A. Manhoff... Mill me me hell off. It's funny, I actually who can't played, find him on here in license who to played drive. Leatherface three was also in license to drive. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So that is one person. But apparently he also listed the rest of his abusers to the Los Cops. Angeles Police Department. And those are obviously confidential and classified right now. Um but Apparently he did list, you know, according to Doctor Oz, like a bunch of names. So, mm-hmm. wow, that's going to be interesting when that breaks out. Yeah, yeah Spielberg. If, if you listen to the, <laughs> oh god, uh, <laughs> if you listen to the live show that me and Jeremy did, we were talking about this, and and we were like, wouldn't that like absolutely destroy the fabric of Hollywood if it was Steven Spielberg? <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> Yeah, it would be fucking insane. <laughs> oh, that's just... I mean... Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> destroy people. Destroy people. Oh, shit. Alright. Cherry, J- Go ahead, JP. I said it's not. It's just that that's us being yeah. comedic. That's not, yeah. like... Do not look at that as, like, journalistic insight <laughs> or something. Because that's not what we're trying to do. That's just yeah. comedy. We're who, not fake. Who news. knows, man? Maybe maybe one of them is Joel Schumacher, man. 
Who fucking knows? You never know, dude. Well, you never. Especially I mean, he, right he always talks about that there was a couple guys that you know got him and Corey Haim, and of course we know that they worked on the Lost Boys together. That was directed by Joel Schumacher. So, who knows, man? Also directed, worked on License to Drive together. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. All right, this one comes from Jerry Jason Budin from Texoma, Ontario. Moots, how do you say it? I don't know where the fuck that is. T-E-C-U-M-S-E-H. Ooh, that's a, that's got to be some type of small little town. No it's idea. T-Cumsec, like <laughs> Ontario. No idea. And it says, Oi, Ode to Joy. Regina? So, <laughs> 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 to put in as few words as possible and to be bluntly honest, Joyride kicks ass. It is without doubt the funniest, smartest, and most horrifying movie since Scream. And for once, all the hype surrounding a movie like this wasn't just hot air. Joyride is like a modern version of Steven Spielberg's Duel, only a lot more suspenseful. It's reminiscent of the good old days of horror movies, which did what they set out to do best. Thrill you and scare you. And audiences must agree, the crowd I saw this movie with was laughing and screaming all the way through. It has a strong cast who portray real human characters with real lives and a plot that is simple yet smart enough to have a few twists and turns to keep you on the edge. Joyride is a great example of what horror-slash-thriller movies should be about. There are moments, especially the climax, where you actually believe the lead characters are in real danger. How often does that happen? Movies like Joyride are rare to come by in this day of age where horror movies are too quick to be imitations or self-parodies. Rusty fucking nail. I think that um, Joyride is a movie that I often forget how much I like. Like, it's actually one of my favorite movies from that little era there. What, whatever year, two thousand one. It would probably make my top ten, honestly. Maybe even top five. I don't know what came out that year, but um, every time I rewatch it, I'm like, dude, I always forget how much I like this movie. Oh, dude, I love. Man, I'm I'm a like massive fan of road horror. And yeah, I love the Joyride film. All three of them, man. I even like the third one. You know, it's funny, man. Joyride's actually classified as a mystery thriller on IMDb. It's not even classified as horror. But I put that into the subgenre of road horror. Works perfect, man. It's a fucking fun-ass film, dude. I don't know if I would say more suspenseful than than Steven Spielberg's Duel. I love that movie. I think I did a top I think it is. And I, I think it's more suspenseful than Duel. It, 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 um, it maybe I watched it Duel for the first time. It's a little dated. It is. Like, I could see if I watched that as a kid on TV, probably most suspenseful thing ever. Well, it was a TV film. But, like, as an adult... <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I said that. Um, but if I was an adult... Like, as an adult watching it, like, I don't know. It just... It doesn't grab... I've se- I think it's probably because I've seen it so many times and you can't manufacture the the feeling of seeing something that hasn't been done before for the yeah. first time. You know what I mean? Like I that, get that. At the time it was completely original, you know what I mean? And the first of its kind to of do it. But since we've seen it done so many times that it's almost comes off a little tame now, mm-hmm. um, but it's still a really good movie. Well, you got to think, I mean, for, I think it's Spielberg's first feature, man, that that's like really yeah. well done for a tv flick it's pretty good it, it, you know the 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 vehicle on that one too is so fucking awesome looking too you never forget what it looks like totally awesome looking but yeah man joyride mm-hmm. actually i think me and zach were even talking about this just like a week ago how they need to make more joyride films because they're fun as shit you know yeah road horror popcorn well, I mean, flicks man Ro- popcorn that's flicks, probably man. a trilogy that wouldn't be bad to cover on the podcast either honestly 
but you like know, really, there's a tons of trilogies out there the villain's name good. is rusty nail <laughs> it's amazing so simple it's just awesome man uh yeah. first joyride rest in peace to paul walker of course steve zong was great in that film too but um yeah man joyride let's get some more of those things going fuck yeah i'm down all right this one comes from andrew from athens georgia and he says thank you so much for printing a feature on the legendary pam greer greer I saw her name on the cover, and it seemed like I couldn't tear the plastic off the magazine fast enough to get to the article. In addition to being incredibly beautiful, the years have been very kind to her. Pam is a dynamite actress who adds so much to every film she appears in. I've seen her in a lot of horror movies, so it made me smile to see her in your fine publication. Getting the star treatment she so richly deserves. I haven't missed an issue of Fango in over 12 years, and I just wanted to throw some praise your way. I know horror fans like to complain about Fango's content, but I, I for one, am grateful it exists. Year by year, the quality, the quality continues to improve. How you manage to cover such a wide range of subjects within the genre is beyond me, and I don't see how anyone could be upset with the great work you do. Blah, 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 blah. So giving Pam Greer some credit. <laughs> I know JP loves her. Yeah, of course. Oh, Pam fucking, awesome. I love Pam Greer. Yeah. Black exploitation uh, queen, man. Uh, t- two more here. Uh, three more here. Uh, Fence writes, uh, there's something bugging me about the Boogeyman DVD. It's a universal product, and I presume they created the Flix Mix label to help hide their true identity. This is a studio that dumped their only horror film last year, House of a Thousand Corpses, and also left all the bonus features off their Halloween 2 DVD despite a fan petition. Even after all this, they are not above milking horror fans for bucks even though the studio no longer makes horror films to add insult to injury they even used rob zombie's music on the boogeyman disc this seems like a major hypocrisy on universal's part don't you think <laughs> what which which release was that of the remake well, of boogeyman i guess so well when did that come out it's a uh, ghost house pictures screen gems and senator fuck this- i don't even remember man Jeez. It's not 2002, uh, is it? 2004. So it has to be like the original then. Okay, I do have the DVD here for the original Boogeyman, but um, this well, the original Boogeyman came out was, was put out by. Um, yeah, who the fuck put Sony. It was a Sony. Sony. So yeah. it must have been a different release that I don't own. So yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Eddie Lawrence from El Paso, Texas writes, I'm writing in response to Richard Rubenstein's plans to do a modern remake of Dawn of the Dead. Could there be a worse idea? Didn't we learn anything from the new Psycho? We're talking about (laughs) one of horror's greatest films, and now Hollywood wants to destroy it. They want to take yet another classic and put it through the shredder so they can make a buck without coming up with an original idea. If they want to do a zombie movie, why don't they just put up the money for Romero's latest script in the Dead series? And there's an endless amount of independent zombie films on the net. Why not buy one of those? But that must be too logical for Hollywood's producers. Their offices w- should be picketed to prevent the film from being made. Why not just redo Gone with the Wind? I wouldn't put it past them. Okay, first of all, <laughs> remaking a movie does not ruin the original. Why the fuck? Yeah, do second people- of all, this guy was clearly living in a different time. 
this was definitely well before the remake boom because he's talking as if they're rare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Like, I don't know. Th- this has always been a topic with people. It's like, oh, that fucking remake ruined the original. How in the shit does the remake ruin the original film? Doesn't. Explain this to me. Like, I've asked people. Like, well, here's how, a how perfect example, right? This isn't necessarily a remake as much as a another film in the series. But look at the Blair Witch show, right? Moods absolutely could not stand the newest one, yet mm-hmm. he loved the original one and forgot how much he loved it, actually. <laughs> and praised upon praised the original and hated upon hated the, the newest one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't affect it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I, I just, you know... You hear this all the time with people. It's like, oh, you know, this remake, it, you know, destroys the legacy of the film. I'm like, explain yourself. It can destroy the legacy of the character. I that guess. I, I guess if you're, yeah. I mean, if you look at something like Hellraiser, which Hellraiser is not a beloved. If there was only three Hellraiser films, yeah, I think that franchise would be loved more than it is. But mm-hmm. so it's. But everybody loves the original Hellraiser still, but the legacy, I guess, could be tarnished a bit. But, but that's, I, but, but, but that's that, like, and that's also absolutely. because there was like, you know, I mean, there was five sequels after, you know, the third one kind of thing, right? That were all pretty lackluster. I mean, that's more of an argument that yeah, you're was, losing your ratio, right? Yeah, like you it, have to maintain a ratio of quality over exactly bad. <laughs> exactly, man. When so you're out, when you're out once that the ratio bad. gets wonky, you know, where you have like it's why the Silent Night Deadly Night franchise isn't beloved because <laughs> there's one good movie in the entire thing. Yeah, yeah. Part part two is just entertaining. It's a terrible movie, but yeah, yeah. overall the that is a bad franchise. Really, really bad stuff. But you know, I mean, it doesn't tarnish the original film for me. I mean, it's just you you take an original film like Psycho. And then you have this guy saying, oh, well, you know, they remake it and, it, you know, it fucking destroyed the, the first. It's like it doesn't, though. It's one movie. Yeah. It doesn't do yeah. anything. Just ignore it. Then if you don't yeah. like it, it's not Which it's not affecting. Mostly do. It's not you hear people mention the Psycho franchise. It's like it's the greatest franchise ever. So my because they don't people, even count the fucking remake as part of it. <laughs> exactly. See, my advice to people that think that have this mentality where a remake destroys the first film for them. Okay, so if you watch the remake and you absolutely hate that movie, here's what you do. Pop in the original one, and that's the last memory that you have. It's awesome. Problem solved. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah, it's funny, though, because Dawn of the Dead actually is considered one of the better remakes. Personally, I like it less and less each time I watch it. I know you do, too. Man, But it's funny hearing him talk about it as if it's going to be like the psycho remake when most people consider it one of the best Shut up, Dexter. that is true man that is true i really enjoyed the dawn of the dead remake when it came out but over time it doesn't hold up very well at all it loses I points like it. when was the last time you watched it 2004 <laughs> <laughs> so when it came out yeah 13 years so i would like to see you or hear your thoughts on it like next week Watch it again and see how it holds up. It's yeah. your memory. Like it's weird. Let me, let me like ask that. you this. I just remember if the part when they're do... on like when they're on the fucking roof and they're shooting fucking Jay Leno and shit. That shit's fucking hilarious. If we were to do <laughs> That is funny actually. If we were to do the the dead films, how would we do them? I think do the, the, the original trilogy and then do 
part two and <laughs> have sure. and then have land diary and survival as the second show yeah okay which really so it would be it's like, like it's it would be Romero's fights. yeah i mean which is kind of funny to do it like that too because the first show is like totally amazing the second one's like kind of whatever <laughs> you know like in quality wise and then right? you could do you could do it you could do another show where you do night of the living dead remake the sabini one the day of the dead remake oh and then the dawn of the dead remake yeah Ooh. and then, well but the thing is though isn't there another day of the dead coming out what are we gonna do yeah. fucking romero month well, those other three wouldn't be Romero. We have so. done a two-parter before. We did the Frank Hennenlauter. Hennenlauter, the- which is one of my favorite back-to-backs. Like, I, I like that show. That so both of those. Fun. That was so much Basket Case. Yeah, and, yeah but, but that was kind of split up, though, too, right? It was like the Basket Case films were good and, well, to you, bad. They, they're fun. Overall, kind uh, of fun and stuff. But then the second part of the, you know, the Hennenlauter show was really good, right? Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. it kind of worked itself out quite well in that one. That was honestly fun. I, I'm glad that we... Decided to yeah, but I, I say when we do Romero, we do it that way too. Two spotlights back to back, and then honestly, we could even do other spotlights on him too because he has a depth of Films. catalog. Yeah. All right, this one comes from <laughs> Don Roberts, the last one, and he says, "With all due respect, I beg to differ with your reference in the terror teletype to the pending Salem's Lot remake as completely unnecessary." It is beyond me how any true fan of the 1975 Treasure by Stephen King could be satisfied with the comedy of errors cranked out by Toby Hooper some 22 years ago. Between the poor casting choices and the inexplicable name changes, it is most painful to associate this drivel with what many of the King's followers still consider his final novel, even after 26 years. Of course, I have no way of knowing knowing if this new miniseries will be an improvement on the 79 original, but I'm glad someone is giving it a shot. First of all, Salem's Lot did not come out in 1975. It came out, the movie came out in 1979. Mm-hmm. So he did say 75 in the, in the article, but um, have you guys seen both? Like the original movie, the TV movie? I've only and then seen the, the original movie. No. Yeah. I've only seen the I don't movie. really remember the, the, the 2000, what is it? 2004? miniseries yeah i think 2004 yeah. came out i don't yeah I, 2004 i, I saw it. it yeah i've seen it i can't actually remember too also can't really say much <laughs> if it was any good or not i don't think it was but uh all right so i know rob these are, what coming, these are coming out on vhs in 2002 march we have chasing sleep with jeff daniels from trimark um tremors three uh, Final Stab, which seems like your <laughs> usual shitty scream ripoff. Yep. I think the cover uh, replicant is floating heads. Replicant from Artisan and hmm. Damn Horror One Hundred One. Oh, that looks really oh, bad, dude. Anchor Bay released that. It's like Horror One Hundred One and Horror One Hundred Two. I think. Yeah. Holy total shit fest. <laughs> yeah, that total looks like shit. I've they, seen Horror One Hundred One. That's an original Anchor Bay. It's fucking terrible. Wait. Wait, look at that cover. Oh, it's bad. I own that double feature. It's one of those Anchor Bay double feature thing. It's horrible. I own Horror One Hundred One on VHS. Really? Well, that's. Does it look yeah. like that? That is fucking gnarly. Uh, yep, kind of. A little bit different. Yeah, it's yeah. bad. 
and uh, DVDs. These are what are coming out in DVDs. Uh, let's see. We got uh, Dario Argento's Sleepless in full frame. Who Was that um, the artist in release? Uh, Canadian extras now they've put out. Uh, yep, Artisan. Yeah, unfortunately that one was actually cut. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, but Artisan did take the time and effort to grace the schlock sequel Wishmaster 3 and the mediatic, <laughs> mediocre slasher Deep in the Woods with <laughs> fine-looking widescreen transfers. Uh, let's see. We had The Covenant, uh, Bruiser, oh, Mr. I, Romero. Covenant's a fucking fun film, man. That's a good one. Uh Synapse release of Exorcism, uh, Witch House 3, Demon Fire, uh, Hardcore Poison Eyes, what? Mummy Returns, nice. Ghost of Mars, Yep, and Dario Argento, An Eye for Horror, wow. from Arrow. That's actually on the, the Phenomena documentary. Doc, uh, f- bonus disc yeah it's uh, and, uh by synapse yeah it's yeah that's actually directed by uh michael suave and i'm pretty sure it's actually even on our website as a vault of horror pretty sure and mario baba's uh mastro of the macabre man look at all this italian stuff in the news today it's crazy and that shall be it for this week's edition of dead mail Huh. Fangoria 210. I think that cool. Victor Salva article is cool. <laughs> yeah. Different. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. They will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Have you checked the children? children. children. What do we do? Why don't we just... Wait here for a little while. See what happens. All right, moving into the dub 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 portion of the show. Lazy shit fucker. <laughs> yes, that's right. That is the what we watch portion of the show where we go round tree, review some shitty films, give some really bad ratings. And, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, who wants to go first this week? Jeremy, how about you go first? All right. Should we start off shitty? Or <laughs> people would seem that it would be shitty, but it's actually not too shitty. It's just a little shitty. Uh, let's start off with really shitty. So let's talk about a film from the year 1997, <laughs> directed by Massimilino Cerici, called Hellinger. And this one comes courtesy of some fucking douchebag off Patreon. Uh, so... <laughs> It's uh, Michael, right? I have no idea. I'm not even going to give him the fucking word of day. This fucking asshole making yeah. me watch this piece yeah, of it's, shit. Yeah, it's Michael Fisher. So this movie, if you want to buy it on Amazon, it's 99 cents on Amazon Prime. So if you want to go wow. over and watch it, standard quality, it's 99 cents. So that should show you what kind of uh, film you're going to be watching. And it has a... 2.2 on IMDb from uh, 1300 ratings. So, um, 
really good track record here. So the film starts out like this is another one of these stupid bullshit films that are way too long for its own good. It's an hour and a half. It's like, come on. We follow uh, – I think it's like this guy who he's like he he looks like a wannabe Baltimore from Harry Potter um, <laughs> or like a pinhead without the fucking pins in his head. He looks really fucking horribly shitty. And um, he uh, raises from hell and he torments this young girl who's our lead character called Melissa. And this guy likes to uh, tear people's eyeballs out of their heads. And the film starts with this guy fucking ripping out his Melissa's dad's eyeballs. And then, like, uh, we think that this guy's dead. But then it uh, flashes forward to 20 years later. Melissa's now an adult. And uh, people that uh, eyes are starting to appear out of their fucking heads. And it looks really, really fucking horribly, horribly shitty. Like the fucking, you go and you buy like googly eyes and fucking, that's what it looks like. Just absolutely horrendously (laughs) horrible, 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 horrible fucking effects. And then we have like this, uh, this priest who's trying to, um, you know, solve this murderers of the hellinger is what they call it and then there's a side story with these detectives trying to solve it and in between this we have like a five minute softcore porno scene <laughs> which is way too long for its own fucking good like it's legit five minutes of this like slow mo softcore porno <laughs> yeah literally it's yeah. in fucking slow-mo like you would see on fucking cinemax at 12 30 at night just that absolutely horrible bullshit and the thing is for the fucking makeup of the guy it's just like i said it looks like a fucking wannabe uh fucking Baltimore or a, a, a pinhead without the pins you literally have to see it to believe it and this movie like i was fucking lost because i had no idea what the fuck was going on because there's barely <laughs> any dialogue and stuff like that i mean it's not as bad as violent shit but it's still like what the fuck is going on here like oh my jesus and then in one scene we have Melissa and her friend talking and there's a fucking leaf blower in the background and it's louder than the fucking dialogue track. So you can't even hear what the fuck they're saying because the leaf blower in the background's fucking so damn loud that you can't even hear what the fuck they're talking about. And it happens again. Like one of the detectives go on the street and he meets this pimp and this hooker and there's fucking cars going by and there's construction in the background and you can't hear absolutely shit because of the fucking ambient sound so goddamn fucking loud. It's just a piece of dog. And this came out in 97. So it wasn't even like early 2000 shit that we were talking about last week in Horror Mouth. And like, it was just complete and utter garbage. Probably made on about $4.50. Maybe $4.60 if you get lucky. This is a film to believe to be seen. Like I said, is it as badly story-wise as fucking filing shit? No. Is it as poorly made as violent shit? Maybe, but not really. It's just just an absolutely horrendously horrible fucking movie. Two and a half out of ten for <laughs> Howlinger from the year nineteen ninety seven. Fuck you, you fucking piece of shit for making me watch this fucking. So movie. um, it's is is it better than Skin Deep? No, worse than Skin Deep. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. Oh no, no! Even That's you, would be, even you would be throwing up. <laughs> and I posted on the Facebook page. I was watching this shit, and there's a fucking 
dude who fucking is supposed to be dead by Hellwinger and his guts are all hanging out, but it looks like they fucking went and bought some wet dog food from the fucking grocery store and just threw it on this guy and said, yep, that's going to be his guts. It looks that fucking bad. <clears throat> it shit fuck Hellwinger from the year 1997. I would absolutely throw up if they put wet dog food on me. Well, that's what it looks like. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. If you want to go buy it, 99 cents on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> that's good shit, man. That's good shit. JP? Not really. <laughs> All right. Uh, this week, guys, I didn't watch a ton of stuff. <laughs> I, I watched about five movies in a day for a Halloween marathon, which turned out pretty good. Um, and I will talk about one of those films during this What We Watch segment. But um, I actually wanted to draw a little attention to a film that I watched during the 31 Days of Horror and the reason I want to do this is because the video did really poorly. So uh, I know that this platform has a much wider audience than than my YouTube videos. And uh, the first film I want to talk about... Welcome is, to my world, bro. I know, right? <laughs> you think yours is bad. <laughs> Sorry. So um, this film is titled... It's actually a movie that I really wanted to see last year because this is the... Uh, a film that you know how every year like this is my routine every year i go out and i listen to all the podcasts that post their top 10 of the year podcast episode and normally i have the opportunity to do that because we post ours later everybody wants to be first you'll start seeing them pop up december 1st um we like to let the year fully wrap up and then post ours at the beginning of the next year so ours most likely will post the first week of january 2018 um but last year i kept hearing this title pop up and i never got a chance to see it and it's called the corpse of anna fritz are you guys familiar with this title yep it made my top 30 from last year (laughs) oh so you did end up seeing it yeah wow i didn't even know that uh, so this was one of the films I never got a chance to get to before the end of it. Uh, and I was wondering if it would have made my top 10 list. Uh, it basically is a Spanish film uh, that was made and uh, released in the year 2015, but didn't get its wide release until 2016. Uh, it did really well at the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin in 2015 uh basically it's set in a world where there's a fictional character named anna fritz who happens to be the most popular probably like the kim kardashian except for not as like hoey (laughs) society you know but it's it's a spanish society it's in spain or whatever and it's you know that's our version whoever's really i don't even know if that's even relevant today but like whoever the most popular american you know woman is like that's that's anna fritz you know yeah and anna fritz dies uh and basically she's taken to a morgue where the film opens up with the mortician taking a picture of anna fritz and sending it to his friends uh because hell he got anna fritz in his morgue that's pretty crazy right um, so his friends decide to stop by before go to going to a party to check out this Anna Fritz corpse because it's fucking Anna Fritz. And so they go in there, they check her out, they 
discuss briefly the ideas of having sex with a dead body jokingly and then it becomes less of a joke so it's like dead girl and it's like dead girl but played more serious yeah and they essentially have uh they decide to have sex with the body and i'll kind of leave it off there because any other information will be spoiler territory uh i think that this movie is really cool i really really like the concept of necrophilia in film it's always gets under my skin it always is such a strong taboo along with so you love necrophilia and you love incest yeah incest necrophilia and cannibalism i think are the three biggest taboos in filmmaking maybe besides like scat shit (laughs) scat Uh, shit (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i think that i think those are the biggest taboos so to me i always like to see people push the envelope and tackle those uh films um it's very much like dead girl uh dead girl is a little more supernatural obviously dealing with potentially a zombie or somebody who can't die um i think that necrophilia is a is a touchy scary like uncomfortable icky gross like subject so to me it always affects me uh i thought that the director did a really good job of not making it gratuitous at all i was actually extremely surprised how non-gratuitous the rape was it's shot from faraway angles or like you don't really see much like it's it's about as careful as you can shoot a dead body rape scene (laughs) um so i was surprised at that i expected this to be way more like gratuitous and like exploitive but it's it's more of you could tell the story came first in this one i i think i think i think we're out of that era of like fucked up movies like i said i think i said this back when I was watching Girl Next Door. Like, I think we're out of that era of like Serbian film and like shocker films, bunny game, you know, films that are like really fucked up and things like that. Like, I think, I think I would agree with you, homie. I think like, that's a fair assessment. Like a, when we were talking a few weeks back about an individual, and I was like, oh, all they think is like, oh, I'm better than everybody because I grew up on the OG YouTube and. Ten years ago, where everybody talked about disturbing movies and fucked up movies. I remember like, it was like WTF or something, and it's like, and it's in the like title of like every video. Yeah, and it's like, dude, it's no, no, STW, sick, twisted, fuck. That's it's what like, it was. It's like it's 2017. STF. Horror films are a lot more artistic and and smart and and things like that. It's not uh, fucked up movies anymore. And it's, it's not just like the way that films. the. the the landscape of cinema changes like you have all these eras that you don't realize you're in an era until after it happens right like Mm -hmm. you can't really pinpoint what this era is you can make speculations but you can't really grasp it until you're out of that era and you can look back on it but that era that you're talking about i remember people there was a community of horror slash extreme fans on youtube that labeled their videos like it was s t f which stood for sick twisted fuck and it was all about reviewing and and it was like an extreme community i remember it to this day is a little bit before my time on youtube but um that is gone completely yeah 
I, I do think that there's still fucked up films being made, but it's not to the scale and level that they were happening in the mid 2000s. Uh, mid to late 2000s is kind of where that era existed, maybe early, like just the 2000s in general, but I would say usually probably after 2003, uh, all the way up until like 2010, maybe even 11. There still is a lot of, you know, straight up indie films that are, you know, sick and twisted fucking movies and shit like that. But even a lot of those filmmakers are even trying to make decent films out of the taboo subject matter, you know? Yeah. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's come a long way even in the indie scene, too. I mean, you're still going to get your straight-up splatter and gore yeah. films and shit, which, you know, isn't extreme, extreme. You know, I mean, that's just blood and gore and shit like that. But, yeah. but I mean, you're taking some subject matter that I've even seen recently, and it's the films are actually legitimately good. <laughs> like, it's actually quite crazy, so... But so this film times. here may, mainly uh, focuses on the three characters who are uh, dealing with what they had done and the consequences arise. You know, um, pretty thrilling. It's it's like a more of a thriller type movie than a horror, but uh, it it it's pretty effective. It's a short movie. It only runs seventy six minutes. Flies by. Uh, would it have made my top 10 last year? Last year's top 10 was a very competitive list. Um, and I think my number 10 was Trained to Basan. So, no, <laughs> I don't think it would have made my top 10. I don't think it would have knocked Trained to Basan off. Uh, but I still very much enjoyed it. And I would probably come in at a 7.5 out of 10. That was my number one film from last year. I know. That's why I was laughing. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, I know. What what did you what what did you think of uh, Corpse of Anna Fritz? It was good, man. I think I actually have the same rating as you too. I think I came in. At yeah, seven, just seven kind of half. right there in that like fifteen to twenty spot in the top ten. That's exactly where it was. You know, I my my year end list top thirty. I think it was somewhere in that in that area. But on a uh, worse year, it could have made the top ten. Yeah quite possibly yeah um one thing i really liked about the film was the fact that it didn't try to overdo a lot of things and extend and the the running time was perfect for that type of film because you're only Mm. dealing with you know three four characters right in the film it's a contained horror film it's contained you got four people so you have to have enough there you know to keep you know the the story moving and so the the running time was perfect for it and if anybody wants to check it out it currently is on Shutter, which oh man, I fucking love Shutter, dude. Mm-hmm. I wish they were our sponsor just so we can give them a plug. <laughs> Such a great program. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving along here. Um, so this is going to be another Patreon uh, pick, and this one is coming from Rob Hankins. Rob Hankins. Uh, he wanted to me to review Left Bank. Left Bank is a film from 2008. It's from Belgium. Um, Actually, Rob himself is from Belgium. That's why I see. Oh, nice. I, I like this on IMDb. It actually says the language is Flemish. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Like, because um, I know there's lots of regions of Belgium where they speak uh, French too. Flemish. Yeah, Flemish. Well, it's obviously <laughs> dialect in this one, anyways. But there is French regions and things like that. So, all right. Yeah, <laughs> Left Bank from 2008. Uh, yeah, so this one, this is actually quite an interesting pick because I recently just reviewed this one. Um, but we'll get into this again here. This one follows a girl by the name of Marie. Uh, she's a 
um, very competitive long distance runner, and she's been training to go go to the worlds and things like that and compete. And one day she kind of collapses, and so they take her to the doctor, and the doctor um, basically says that she has like this chronic fatigue syndrome, and that she has to be sidelined for at least four to four weeks or something like that. She's very, very disappointed because she was going to like these worlds in a couple weeks and stuff like that. And so she obviously cannot do that. So she's super bummed out. Um, and then she ends up meeting this guy at the track where she trains. He's an archer. And he basically says, well, you know, if you got the time off, I mean, if you're going to be, you know, not doing some running stuff, how about you just move into my place for like this month? And, you know, so you don't have to sit at home with your mom and, you know, annoy the shit out of her and stuff. She takes up the opportunity to do it. She's like, well, it's perfect, you know, get away from my life and um, we'll do that. So, of course, they spark up a very sensual, sexual relationship and things like that. And soon after they kind of, you know, get going, she starts having like her body starts to change and things and things around her just aren't what they seem to be. And her body's reacting very strangely. And uh, so that's one thing that's happening to her. Then she soon realizes and finds out that um, the guy that she's seeing, she he ended up getting this apartment for really, really cheap. She thought it was kind of strange. So she kind of looks into it a little bit and finds out that the girl that previously lived in this apartment actually went missing. They never found her whatsoever. So she thinks that's pretty fucking odd. And uh, out of the blue, one day she ends up talking to the boyfriend of the girl that lived in this place. And then she starts to investigate even more into this building and the land and things like that and what's going on uh, with her disappearance and stuff. So that is the story. Uh, My thoughts on this movie. This is um, very much like a Polanski type thriller, a very, very slow burn atmospheric gem uh, it's a really great film. There's a lot of things that are going on in this film that you don't know why they're happening. Um, I love these type of movies because it's a mystery. You know, there's a lot of things developing, you know, with herself and it's developing into this very kind of subtle folklore type story, which, you know, you're getting into spoiler territory here, but it's essentially a folklore type film um, that is really interesting. Uh, with saying the name Polanski, you kind of have an idea of where I'm going there. Uh, two films in particular are represented very, very heavily in this one. Also, like a Japanese film is very derivative in this one also. But um, yeah, it's an overall really great film. I really like the narrative in this and how it develops. It's actually quite interesting and, and cool. The mystery is there. Um, the acting actually is really good, too. A lot of great... Um, a lot of great characters in this film. Like everyone's just really solid at the roles and stuff. It was really well done. The biggest problem with this film is I wanted to know more about the folklore that they were developing here. The third act is okay. It just doesn't give you everything that you want to know because there's such a great buildup in this film. It was kind of disappointing and it runs a little bit too long. This one runs over a hundred minutes. I think that was the biggest downplay that it had a long running time and it didn't give you everything that you wanted to know. But every other spec to this film is fantastic. It's beautifully shot. It's shot in this isolated area. I believe probably on location somewhere in Belgium, something like that. And it's really, really atmospheric. Like I said, the acting's great. There's a lot of nudity in this film because, like I said, there's a very sexual relationship that's building in this one. A lot of full frontal nudity and shit. It's awesome. <laughs> it's like you can't muff. go. Yeah, man, straight up muff and stuff. So it has a lot of these things. But, you know, I mean, if you're into slow burn uh, folklore type films, I mean, it's not 
I, I wouldn't say it's it's definitely not on the same level as like The Witch or anything, but this one's really good. It is definitely worth the watch. I do recommend this one. Uh, I'm going to give it about a 7.5 out of 10. Um, I can't really say a whole lot more about it because you're getting into spoil, spoiler territory. Even saying Polanski's name alone, I think, is hinting enough at where I'm going with this. So, yeah, definitely give Left Bank a, a shot. It's a really good one. And, of course, it is subtitled. You're going to have to read this film, so stop being lazy, you fucks. Read the shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Next up, another Patreon pick because I have fucking twenty seven thousand of them. Uh, this one comes from Edgar Sanchez from YouTube, and he wanted me to review the nineteen ninety three, the best year in the nineties of horror, uh, horror film, The Nostril Picker. Now, going into this movie, you're probably gonna think that I'm gonna hate this film, but this movie's actually pretty fucking fun. I mean, it, it's it's super low budget, but it still has a lot of charm to it, and it's still a really entertaining film throughout the entire 76-minute running time. So we follow Joe. Joe is uh, our typical outcast kind of a character. He doesn't really fit in with society. Ones that we talk about all the time. He's a little out there. And one day he comes across this guy... Uh, he's an ex-veteran, he's homeless, and he wants a sip of Mr. Joe's booze. And in exchange for some booze, he tells him about this uh, chant that allows him to turn into whoever he wishes. But the more you do it, the more it makes you go insane. So Joe decides to transform into a high school girl. And <laughs> there's scenes of him going to high school, but it's still him. It's still the guy's, you know actor's body playing him but the other characters see him as this high school girl this is absolutely hilarious seeing him like (laughs) walk down the hall with like all these high school girls and they're like talking all this girly high school things to him and you see like this 40 year old middle-aged man talking back to them and like high school girl Uh, does this movie star rob schneider no it's carl (laughs) singer it's just really 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 fucking funny because wasn't he in one of those yeah, well, the fucking, uh, the, fuck, chick something. Hot chick. Hot chick, that's oh, it. Oh, God. <laughs> but, um, so as time goes on, he starts to transform back and forth between his actual being and the high school girl. And, of course, this makes him go crazy. And he basically just goes around, weirdly enough, as himself. And starts murdering uh, the other high school girls that he's been hanging out around. Now, I want to know is why the fuck doesn't he just kill him as the high school girl's image and not himself's image? It's like that would fucking let him be strict, you know, steer clear of anything because he's just able to transform back into himself. And they would see that the fucking girl was doing it. But no, he transforms back and forth. And it's just an, an insanely goofy, weird, bizarre fucking movie but it's so much goddamn fucking fun and uh if you guys have a chance to pick it up from massacre video i say give it a shot see now you never would have seen this in history if it wasn't for patreon you'll have a fucking blast with it it's this cheesy 
And the guy looks like fucking Jack Torrance. Like, no joke. Like, if you're watching this movie, he legit looks like Jack Nicholson when he fucking played Jack Torrance in The Shining. Like, he's a <laughs> spitting fucking image of him. Like, he dresses the same and he looks the same. It's just absolutely hilarious. So I give this one a 6 out of 10. It's fun as fuck for what it, it is. Probably, I had a blast. They probably based the character on Jack Torrance. Yeah. <laughs> After uh, Nostra Picker is so much fun, man. I'm actually really yeah, surprised. I thought you were gonna hate it, man. But yeah, it's no, fun. Man. it's fun. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's goofy, fun. man. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Good shit. <clears throat> All right. So uh, and this next guy, up, like, oh, and I forgot yeah. to say, like, he likes to fucking swing dildos in people's faces and stuff. <laughs> it's just fucking funny and weird. This is a weird fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Alright, so uh continuing along here. Oh man, I'm sorry guys. So this movie I watched today, uh, I came out from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh it is titled Demon Wind. And this was one of the titles that everybody was excited to buy. Um they had that cool lenticular covered limited edition version on vengersyndrome.com which i don't think any of us really wanted to fork out the money for that um i think it was like 27 dollars plus shipping which is a lot for a movie you don't even know um most of us don't even know uh but demon wind i believe was a film that was never released on dvd that's right or no it had a dvd re- did it have a dvd release? <clears throat> no it didn't okay uh yeah never released on dvd um, which Vinegar Syndrome is very much known for um, doing. Uh, basically, it follows this character named Corey, whose grandparents uh, basically die, and he travels to like their farmhouse to kind of discover the truth behind their deaths. Um, when he, base him and like a group of friends uh, go up there and. The locals are basically like the doomsayers, you know, like the crazy Ralph, like, don't go up there on them houses. And um, basically, um, I don't really know what, like, the demon wind is, but it's, like, essentially just demons start showing up. And uh, maybe I missed something. I was in, like, a NyQuil stupor while watching this. Um, but basically, it's very much like Evil Dead in the way that they're done like the deadites are done kind of like people are just turning into demons and like random demons are like showing up uh and it's, it's almost the like land, a siege narrative What's it's kind of like it, it's because the land is like it's evil itself so once you're the land on, is evil. yeah it's just it's just a pure evil so that's actually why people are turning into them and stuff so and is there is am i correct me if i'm wrong but is like they're they're like safe inside the yes a certain area of the land yeah so it's kind of like it has that like siege narrative almost where it's like uh they're kind of holed up in a building with like a few guns and stuff and then um the characters aren't really interesting or anything like that but this movie is just really fun i've seen this movie before it turns out i don't know where on youtube or vhs most likely um as a kid i've 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 definitely 100 either rented this movie or seen it on youtube one year um when I was younger because there's certain things in this movie that I 100% re- remember. So I'm, I want to say that I've probably seen it on VHS because I doubt that 
I think I would remember it more if I'd just seen it, you know, how long has YouTube been around since like 2005 or something, six. Um, so, uh, I think that the, the, the standout in this film is like the amount of gore effects that they do. Now, none of them are mind blowing, like greatest gore effects ever, but there's so many gore effects. It grows like pusses and vomits and disgusting oozes. It makes this movie highly entertaining for any like gore hound or anything like that. There's a scene early on. I to shared a little video of it. It's just like these are the type <laughs> of movies that you get like weird shit like this happening. Like this dude just rolls up with like this um like what it was like the the ant like the didn't like that old like military music thing and like he just rolls up and then he's like just acts like a badass and he like kicks a can out of the air and then he kicks the can again and then the can's like coming down and he like karate like like uh roundhouse kicks it to and then it hits the guy in the head it's like what like who writes this shit like which is why i love like funny man why I love these oddities from like this era, this VHS era, because you get weird little scenes like that. Like even Hobgoblins, what like that movie is awful. But there's a scene in it where these two guys are fighting with like shovels. And it's like, doom, doom. It's like this like w- like crazy like guitar rift every time like these shovels hit each other, and it goes on forever. And it's like. <laughs> it's just like these scenes that you're like, oh my god, like this is such a weird thing. Like, how, who wrote this stuff? Like, where did it come from? And like, that's kind of like Demon Went. I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Like, I thought it was a, a really fun, kind of Evil Dead inspired romp. Um, not the most interesting story in the world. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty basic, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, I came in at a seven out of ten on this one. Yeah, the makeup effects on the demons and stuff look pretty cool. It's kind of what sells yeah. it for you. There's a lot of them, right? Yeah, man. Lots, lots, and good music in it, too. It's a fun mm-hmm. film. It, it's really fun, man. I like the exterior shots. You know, like, they kind of go through or walk into that building, and all of a sudden it's like a different realm because you're, like, in yeah. the evil land kind of thing, and you step out, and it's like, it's just a wall. <laughs> like, yeah. I love that, and man. That's cool. It's, uh, it's uh, also a movie that... Looks pretty good on Blu-ray. Oh yeah, the transfer is phenomenal. Vinegar Syndrome does a fantastic job. There's actually a good bit of special features on here too that I haven't got into. There's like some video interviews and stuff, which is always pretty cool. So, all right, cool uh, man, cool. What did you rate that one? Uh, seven out of ten. Nice. All right, so moving along here, uh, I got another Patreon pick here, and this one is from uh, I want to say Matt. Janoski? Yeah, Matt Janoski gave me this one here. This one is from 1987. It's a Canadian flick uh, called Graveyard Shift. It's actually Central Park Drifter, also known as Graveyard Shift. Either or. Um, Shot in Toronto. And it is a vampire flick from 1987. There was a lot of films that came out in this era that were vampires. So, you know, that was probably the hip thing to do was to do a, a vampire film. Um, so this one right here follows our main character, Steven. He is a really old vampire and he actually works as a taxi driver on the night shift, of course. 
because that's the only time he can be awake, right? Makes sense. Um, he is uh, kind of an interesting character. Um, he's not one of those just straight-up predatorial-type vampires. He actually has legitimately a conscience, and he only turns women that are on their way out of life. So essentially ones that have terminal cancers or they're, or they're going to commit suicide and stuff. So he, you know, kind of takes them in and he turns them into vampires, uh, kind of gives them a different type of life. And so he essentially is like the leader of this underground world of vampires and things like that. And that's what he does. He just drives around and does this and, you know, just does his duty to the city, you know? Uh, but then he all of a sudden meets this character or this girl of his dreams. At first he, he just was, you know, essentially going to turn her. Um, but then he realizes that he's actually kind of in love with her. And so he doesn't turn her because it turns out that, you know, if he turns these women into vampires, he won't be able to love them. Right. So he keeps her as a mortal and for a little bit anyways. And that's essentially what the film is. Um, Why can't he love them if they're vampires? I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just the lore that they came up with or something. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I guess human is more attractive to him. I don't know. It's kind of strange. But it's, it's kind of a conflict, though, too, right? Because we find out from our main character who does, like, she's kind of like, she works in the film industry, actually, too, which is kind of cool. Um, her name is Michelle, and she finds out in the film that she's got terminal cancer. So it's it's kind of got like this real sympathetic feel to this film. You actually like feel sympathy even for Steven. Like you can tell that in the film, in the beginning of it, he really is on his way out too. He's been around for like 350 years and he's kind of sick of just being around in reality in the world. But then he meets this Michelle girl. So everything kind of changes. So essentially what we have here is a very lustful vampire film. It's a very sensual type film we've seen this a million times in vampire films. I mean, this is what we get. We get a lot of sexual type films. It's not uncommon. Uh, what separates this one is that it's kind of heavy on the romance and stuff. And I generally do not like romantic films whatsoever. I hate romance in general. Like I just, I'm not a romantic person whatsoever. You can ask my wife. Uh, but in, in the vampire world, I think it does work. And especially in this film, it actually does work in this one. It's very, it's got a very sensual sympathetic type feel to it. I really like the way this one's developed. It's of course all shot at nighttime. So it's got that really dark dreary kind of doom and gloom atmospheric feel to the whole film because it's essentially dark. Uh, this was released by shriek show. So they didn't really do a lot of great uh, restoring on this. It almost feels like it's a VHS transfer to it, but but anyways, it's in full frame and things like that. But this one overall is a really good film. It's actually not True too bad. True full screen. True full screen, yeah. Uh, this one actually isn't too bad, though. Um, the story is pretty basic. It's kind of cool. Uh, so what we have here is, you know, this relationship between Stephen and Michelle and his other women that he's turned into, um, you know, into vampires have kind of gone crazy a little bit. And they start, like, slashing up dudes around the city and shit like that. So now the heat is kind of on him. So that's where kind of the subplot of the film comes from. And it's got, like, this... It's like a vampire romantic story on one level, and then it's like a slasher-feeling type film on the other. It's it's kind of cool. And it, it feels cohesive, though, too. It's, it's pretty neat. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, really driven by a great soundtrack. The music in this movie is so fucking 80s man. it's like the 80s sounding track soundtrack of all time it's awesome absolutely love it probably not everyone's cup of tea but i'm a big fan of like this type of music and shit and i think it works perfect for the story given here um pretty cool stuff man pretty gory at times also uh, i think what 
at times, I think the editing could have been a lot better in this one. It jumps around from scene to scene, and you're kind of losing a little bit of, you know, the timelines and stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck? What, what the hell? I remember watching this film a few years ago and thinking the same thing. And it again, it just I was having the same thoughts. The editing was a little bit all over the place in this one, but um, but as a full product, it's not bad. It's actually not too bad. I think the third act is is kind of. It, it, it's a little bit cheesy. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. It's a little bit cheesy. It ends up in the third act, you know, playing out at her studio in this like kind of set up graveyard type thing. And it just, it comes off as being so damn cheesy. <laughs> I don't know if it works fully or not, but, but it's still a fun film. It's actually acted quite well. There's a little bit of nudity and stuff you're going to get. And it's not a bad film. I'm going to give this one about a six and a half out of 10. Uh, if you like these, sensual romantic vampire type flicks with you know with a slasher type feel to them and shit like that check it out it's actually not a bad watch it definitely has that i want to say it was inspired maybe the general idea what the hell are you talking about he literally just said if you like these romantic vampire flicks with like a slasher feel like what other movies do that (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> like, who are these people that are like huge fans of romantic slash interview with the vampire. vampire movies with slasher? There you guns? go. There you go. Interview I mean, with a vampire. I mean, that, that, that has slasher overtones. Bullshit. No, but it, this one almost feels like two different films. But it's it's actually it's a pretty fucking fun film. I won't. What lie. about uh? It's what's the one we watched? Masters of Horror. It was just the gay version. Which one? The one, the Masters of Horror, but it was just the gay version. What, the V word? The V word, is that it? Oh, with the kid? Yeah, that wasn't wasn't a slasher either. Sort of. (laughs) But yeah, I guess guess it's kind of hard to compare this one, but... um, (laughs) But it is an interesting film, though. You don't see a lot of movies like this, so, you know, give it a shot anyways. If you like vampire films, if you don't, then stay clear. But six and a half out of ten, it's pretty fun. Cool. All right. Am I up? Yeah. Pick of the week. From the year 2017. This one has a little bit of a long history. Uh, it's Keep Watching. So this movie was originally uh, made in like November 2013. <laughs> and it just had a whole bunch of fucking problems from the start. Like I don't, I, I don't know if it's very well documented, but stuff happened. It bounced back and forth and things like that. And then uh, oh, this is when you went to the theater. Yeah, Screen Screen Gems, which is Sony, bought it in like 2015, and it's just been shelved and shelved. It was supposed to come out like last December in a wide release, but that never happened. So they decided to release it on Halloween night, one time only, 10 o'clock. And I guess they decided to let the ball roll. Uh, It didn't do so well. It only made $94,000 in its one screening, which is okay, I guess. But um, so this was 2000. No promotion. No promotion whatsoever. And uh, it was a few people in my theater. I think it was like 20 of us or so, which is pretty good. I didn't think it was going to do that well. And it was five bucks. I was like, okay, I'm going to give this one a shot. Extremely surprised. This movie is a real fucking blast of a movie. It's like what JP was talking about a little while ago with Duel. It's just a popcorn, fun-as-fuck home invasion film. Super, super fun. It has Bella Thorne in it, which is, you know, this is 2013 
when the movie was made, so she really wasn't that popular. Lad, I think she was only in a few films at this time, and it has Chandler Riggs, who's like 13 at this time, as well, which is really funny watching this movie because he's fucking Walking Dead. He's huge and everything like that now, and he's like, like 18 now. But when you watch this movie today. You know, he's fucking four years younger and like the timestamps on like the video cameras, say 2015 and things like that. It's like they were too fucking lazy to go fix that in post. That was one little nab that I had on the film. But like I said, the movie's a home invasion film. Uh, we follow these guys who go around to different people's houses and they plant uh, cameras all around the house. And they basically it's killed or be killed. So wait a minute. Why would they be too lazy in post to do it if they probably did post production in 2015? Yeah, you're right. But I think like it's like that's such like an easy thing to fix. Like I, that's like one thing that I noticed when I was watching. Like that motherfucker says 2015, and when you see Chandler Riggs as a 14 year old, you probably already assume that the movie's probably fucking old as it is. But uh, so we follow these people who go around to their victims' houses and they put these little cameras around the whole house. And like I said, it's basically kill or be killed, and it's streamed to the worldwide uh, web, and people watch it, and it's the most exciting thing. And it's basically these guys, and they go around, and they murder these people, and they stream it to the internet. And they decide to attack Bella Thorne and uh, Chandler Riggs' family, who goes on vacation. And there's like a lot of like interesting scenes, a lot of built up kind of atmosphere to this one. Like it's a lot of smart things that made me like go like, oh, that's pretty cool when I was watching it and things like that. We have uh, Lay now Lay Winnell's in this for like just a little bit, not too long. Um, and it's cool to see him. You know, whenever you see him, you know that you're probably gonna get quality. He usually doesn't pick too many shitty things to either be in or write. And like I said, it's this it's this Bella Thorne and Chandler Rigg and their family trying to survive. It has like a little bit of a feeling of The Hangman, which I think came out a few years ago. But I enjoy this one a little bit more. It's way, way entertaining. And it has a lot of really, really fun things going on. I wish it got a wide release because I think like it would have done well. I think word of mouth would have went around. And I think like um, it had a possibility to do well. Better than Friend Request, at least. And I like this movie better than Friend Request. It sucks that it only showed for one night. And you guys are probably probably never going to have a chance to see it. Maybe it will come out on VOD. Who knows? But like I said, it is Sony. So it's not like it didn't have... Well, it's definitely going to get a wider release eventually. <clears throat> I hope so. I mean, the movie's fucking four years old as it is. It's just such a weird type of a film to release on Halloween without like anybody knowing that it's like plopped it in the theaters and it was like oh we'll see what happens when we roll the dice but i had a blast with this one i gave this one an eight and a half out of ten it's fun as shit check it out you guys are probably gonna think i'm crazy when you watch it and it's shit like when the fucking lights came on the people next to me were like that was the worst piece of shit ever at least we only spent five dollars on it i'm sitting there thinking that shit was fucking dope as fuck i had a fucking blast with this movie (laughs) it's fun I had a blast. So check it out whenever it comes out, if you guys get a chance. That's crazy. All right. uh, The last film that I'm going to be talking about, I guess we'll call it a pick of the week, honestly. Um, It's a really good movie. Um, It comes from this year, 2017. It's in Stephen King adaptation. It's called 1922. (laughs) I'm Uh, I'm glad I didn't choose to review that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. So, 
this is a film that I wanted adapted for a very long time. Um, I, it's probably my favorite short story by Stephen King because it's pretty much the first one I ever read. Um, I had read Carrie and Misery in high school, and I've read most of it in high school. But I've never read any of the short stories. I got this book as a gift. It was uh, In Full Dark No Stars. And I absolutely fell in love with 1922. So I've always wanted to see it adapted. Uh, basically, it follows a farmer in 1922 named Wilf, or Wilford James, uh, played by Thomas Jane. Uh, and his wife, Arlette James, and his son, Henry James. They all live on a little farm in Hemingford, Nebraska, which most people might know as the neighboring town to Gatlin, which is where Children of the Corn is set. Um, but basically, uh, the wife's uh, father dies, and she inherits 100 acres of land. And now, Wilf will tell you in the opening narration that you know there's not much more prideful to a man than his land in those times uh, other than his son because his son can pass on his lineage. Um, and basically the wife, she's like, Hey, i want to sell these acres and move to the city. And in 1922, that's like, Wolf does not like that. Cause he's like city folk are dumb, you know, stuff like that, you know, it was a big deal back then. Uh, so he doesn't want to. So him and his son decide to kill the wife. Uh, and the kid's mom and that's basically the story it's the repercussions of choices made in 1922 um, I gotta say man this thing is like follows the novel like very very closely um, minus the ending they changed the ending uh, from the from the novella and I was very impressed with like in my head like visualizing, the movie it kind of looked exactly almost like i pictured it uh in my memory when reading the book like it, they did a good job like illustrating the imagery that you see while reading the the story onto the screen uh this will be the one time that i'm gonna say this i think it's always a bad idea to read a short story before you see a film um I almost feel like every time you do it that way, you're never going to like it as much as the story every single time almost, um, which is the case with this. But it's not because it's bad or anything. It's just because you have more time to tell a story in word form than you have in a movie. Um, this movie like just flew by and it was like an hour and 40 minutes and I just felt like the suspense and tension wasn't there in the book, which is unfortunate because who gives a fuck, right? Like the book does not, the book should not matter in a review of a movie. Um, yet somehow I can't help myself but comparing them. So I think that's all, I think that's actually a bad idea to watch a movie if you've already well that's not a bad idea but i'm saying you're most likely gonna enjoy the book more um every time i would say uh so do i enjoy the book more yes uh do i think that the movie's good yeah i also do so i don't think it could have ever met met the complete expectations of my feelings towards the short story um but 
I was very happy that it was faithful. It was uh, on point. They did great with casting and direction and storytelling. Like, it's a good movie. Like, I very much enjoy the story. Uh, and I'm coming in at an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's, you know, that's good. Um, it didn't surprise me that, that they changed the ending. I mean, they've done that in numerous adaptations, Stephen King. Yeah. It's just what it is. I mean, um, I'm definitely with you, though, on those thoughts. I, I, I enjoyed the short story more than the film. Uh um, it was a little different in my mind, the way I pictured it. Yeah. A little bit different, but you know the overall product was very, very similar. I kind of, yeah. I kind of figured that there'd be subtle differences and things like that. And you know, to be honest, I can't quite remember every fine detail. But yeah, the ending was a little bit different. But it was good though. I thought it was. I thought they captured the time quite well. You know, uh-huh. the costumes and. Just the accents, like just everything about it, felt like it was old in 1922 and stuff, and it was it was, and, it was and good. Wolf did an amazing. Thomas Jane did an amazing job with his accent too. Really good, yeah, really good. Yeah, I felt like the the one like the one of the big reveals like towards the end of the story has to do with the sun. I feel like that just felt a little rushed. You, you didn't feel the intensity and the sadness of what you got in the story yeah i can yeah I, but I can feel again that. you only have a certain amount of time to tell this story so but oddly enough you know the movie even running it was something like 100 minutes right it uh, it still went by pretty fast hour, i do agree it was an hour and 42 yeah it went by pretty fast actually surprisingly so i still th- i mean i'm not gonna lie though the cow falling through the uh, into the <laughs> into the old well. That shit looked kind of funny, though. <laughs> a little bit. It did. It looked pretty funny, actually. I, I felt bad for it. It was like screaming so and shit. I. I was like, "Oh, come on, man! Really?" This is actually a pretty depressing movie. Yeah, I know. It's brutal. <laughs> okay. Um, I think I, I don't know. I don't even remember what I gave. It. I think I gave it an eight. I think that's what I wrote down. I don't know. I'm somewhere in there. It's good, though. Another really good adaptation. All right, so I guess I'll roll with a pick of the week. A pick of the week also. Uh, from 2017, Creep 2. Um, I, you know, s- since they announced this one, I, I just I was so stoked to check this out because I really enjoyed Creep 1. And I came to the realization after watching Creep 2 that I definitely underrated um, the original Creep. Yeah, I, I was telling you that too. That I think that had I went back to 2015, I probably it probably would have made my top ten. Yeah, in, th- on re so, evaluation. Yeah, so I finished Creep two and I I went into the ratings and I saw that I gave it a seven. I was like, oh man, I should have gave that one at least an eight or maybe even higher. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is, right? Because I mean, I watched Creep twice and I probably thought that too. But it, you know, watching this one, I was like, most definitely had to go up. Uh, so Creep 2 essentially is the same setup as Creep 1. It's, but in this one we have a, um, a young video connoisseur. Um, she is, uh, her name's Sarah. She's basically created a YouTube channel and her, her whole thing is, you know, she's trying to make these videos on these really strange type characters 
Like, she finds these really kind of strange and oddity-type men, and she makes, like, video diaries of them and uploads videos, and she's come to the conclusion that her channel sucks (laughs) because nobody is watching her videos, and she's getting a little bit depressed and stuff. And so she ultimately answers this this ad for somebody looking for video work to be done. Uh, Same kind of setup as the first one. I think it was was even in the first one, $1,000 for the day of shooting. You know, so of course she she accepts it because she needs something exciting in her life. Everything is going to shit. So of course she goes out there and she meets Aaron, and they start doing some filming. And one thing leads to another, and yeah, that's the film. Um, so this one, yeah, is very very similar to the first one, but it's you know it has obviously a, a different type third act. There's different motives in this one a little bit. Um, but man, I tell you, man. Mark Duplass fucking kills the serial killer role. <laughs> like, he is so damn good. This movie right here is interesting right from the start because he's, you know, Aaron the serial killer. He's telling Sarah that he's kind of telling him his story or her his story. And he was kind of confiding to her in a sense, in, in a way that, you know, she could almost not believe what he's saying. But he's legitimately telling her the truth about him in a sense. And I like this approach. It's kind of, it's kind of fascinating because as a viewer, you're like, okay, is she actually buying into this stuff? And there's times where, you know, there's actually a scene in the film where she goes into the bathroom after he's done some really weird shit. Like he shows up in front of her and he's buck naked. He's like, if we're going to be friends, you know, we got to get, we got to break this wall type thing. And he's just buck naked, like cock hanging out and everything like really weird shit. Right. And uh, so she goes in the bathroom and she goes, She's talking to the camera and she's like, well, red flags all over the place. I should be leaving here. This guy's a creep. He's fucking showing me his penis and he's saying all pile of weird shit and he's claiming he's a serial killer. She get the fuck out of here. I, I like that scene, how they actually put that into the film. You know, it just didn't show her character as being a dumbass, you know, because the obvious red flags are there. So I thought that was really cool. They threw this in. But man, the development in this film is fantastic. It kind of gets into Aaron's past a little bit. There's a really damn great scene. And I have to say, man, it's really well done there's no edits in the scene either it's crazy it must go on for like 10 12 minutes but there's a scene where aaron is sitting in his hot tub and it and it's after something happens with him and sarah they were doing this uh the scene and it didn't work out the way aaron wanted it to so he was kind of sulking like a little bitch baby like literally he was all pissed off and down and stuff and so she goes down there he's been sitting in this hot tub for like the last hour so she goes down there to confide to him and talk to him and stuff and he essentially tells her his backstory you know, and at this point, she's still not a hundred hundred percent convinced that you know he is a serial killer. But this this really really awesome scene of him telling, you know, his backstory and his history with serial killing and things, and it's just the camera's on him the whole time and it never cuts, and it's just this long ass scene of brilliant acting, really really well executed. Oh man, this was it was such such a great film. I th- my biggest flaw with this one is I think the ending's a tad bit uh, a tad bit predictable. I think that was pretty much the only thing that I was thinking to myself. I'm like, this is going to end either one, probably this way. Right. And it kind of went that way. There was one thing that didn't really, I wasn't thinking of, but the ending more or less was a little bit damn predictable. So it was kind of a shame, but overall really, really awesome stuff. If you like the first creep, you probably should like this one. I thought it was executed pretty well. And um, yeah, I mean, that's really all you can say about it. It's a short film. It only runs roughly 80 minutes. So it comes and goes. It does what it's supposed to do. 
And uh, I had a lot of fun with it, man. I'm going to come in maybe just a little lower. If I came in at eight on the first one, I'm going to give this one a seven and a half. It's definitely a really solid film. But again, acting is really what sells this film. It's, you know, it's a character type piece. So give it a shot, man. It's really good. That is going to conclude what we watched here on episode 120. Yeah. You're getting closer and closer to the most unnatural kind of death. You have killed and you will kill again. Beyond shock, beyond horror, into total terror. What was that? Murder runs wild. Blood runs cold. Terror runs deep red. Everywhere you turn, death is running with you. Deep red. It'll put you into deep shock. Deep red, rated R. Yes, the time has come. Episode 120, week one of Italian Whore Month, Argento Volume 3. You guys excited? Argento. Yeah, Yeah. I'm excited. (laughs) Dario Argento, man, the master himself. Uh, First film from 1975, we have Deep Red. Ooh, we're going this way first. Okay, I thought we were doing Tenebrae first, but I guess Deep Red first would make more sense. Chronological order, I think, right? Yeah. Year chronological. So, Also known as Profondo Rosso is the Italian name for title. the film or the title. Yes, that's right. Uh, soundtrack, music done by Goblin. Actually, this Goblin. was the first film that uh, actually Goblin did with Argento. And, you know, My favorite tune, the oh. intro tune. Yeah, the mu- so good. The music is just so fucking phenomenal in this film. It really is so yeah. amazing. But uh, yeah, it's such a great first collab collabo for them. Uh, this one right here, starring David Hemmings, of course, uh, Daria uh, Nicolotti, um, of course, at the time was Daria Argento's, I guess, common law wife. They never actually got married. She, of course, is the mother of um, Aja Argento. Uh, you know, in, you know, in hindsight, thinking back on this, we probably could have called this Argento trilogy or this Argento show the Dario Nicolotti trilogy, essentially. <laughs> Holy shit, dude! It's, it's in all three films, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And actually, even in an in- interesting time period, we'll get to it with with phenomena and stuff too. But I don't even believe that she was with Argento at that time period. So that's kind of interesting in itself. But uh, yes, 1975, Deep Red. Quick little synopsis here. Uh, A psychic who can read minds picks up the thoughts of a murderer in the audience and soon becomes a victim. An English pianist gets involved in solving the murders but finds many of his avenues of inquiry cut off by new murders and he begins to wonder how the murderer can track his movement so closely. (laughs) uh, That synopsis is too good. Um so man, Argento fucking loves the gay themes, man. Sexuality themes. Well, I think that, like this movie is like is the first time that we really see it prominent in my opinion. Well, not in my opinion, just this is the first film that we really see it and it built on as his career goes on. I think, you know, 
Tenebrae, it's, even though it's not in the forefront, it's still extremely prominent. Uh, the theme of sexuality in that film and this film too. It's just like, it's fucking insane. That's what I love about Argento. I've said it when I was back in the day when we did the first volume of Argento. When I was in film school, I was fucking obsessed with writing about Argento and gender and sexuality and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, his movies are just Oh, they're so fucking, especially Tenebrae. When we get, we'll talk about that yeah, next. Th- like Tenebrae one, is fucking mental. But this one, this one still has its sense of good. Uh, you know, with w- with the mother. Uh, are we gonna do spoilers? I don't know. But with the mother and Carlo and their relationship and f- connecting that back with Freud and things like that, it's just like. It's mm-hmm. fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good. Th- this one on the forefront isn't as sexually, you know, you know, as Tenebrae. You know, it's not in the I mean, forefront as much. I mean, it, it's not as exploitive as that one for sure. I mean, it's there. This one's a little more subtle for sure. I mean, there's the obvious scenes of uh, one of the characters in this film <laughs> who, who, like, literally calls himself a faggot in the film, which is so weird to Ooh, hear. Carlo? Yeah, yeah. Because like you know when fucking when um, uh, Mark goes to visit him at his at his friend's place there, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Oh well, you found me, and now you just found out that I'm not only a drunk but I'm also a faggot." I'm like, "Holy shit!" Like you just don't hear that in cinema very often, but um, but uh, yeah, man. So Deep Red, you know, it's it's widely considered to be one of the best giallos of all time. Um, in my opinion, if you ever had to look up the meaning giallo in a dictionary deep red should be sitting right next to it this Mm -hmm. is this movie right here is like it's it has everything that you that you want from a giallo it's got everything there for it it's just that classic giallo uh so in the beginning of this film what we get we in this quick little synopsis we have this german psychic who's giving this conference in this like opera house type deal and she she picks up on this person in the crowd that they have this like perverse past. Right. And she's just kind of going crazy about it and stuff. And this is where we kind of get introduced to our POV killer and stuff. And she's just going crazy with this. Uh, Ultimately, which ends up being, you know, the death of her, this, this killer ends up killing her. Brutal. (laughs) Yeah. Like very, very brutal killing because obviously if she is that psychic and actually picked up on this, like he, this killer needs to, cover the tracks kind of deal unfortunately for mark who is an american musician living in rome kind of teaching there and stuff witnesses this crime and uh so now he's got to basically kind of figure out what the fuck happened here right he it's you know it's on him he's witness to it uh you know it kind of sucks for him because i think at first his character doesn't really want to get fully involved in this but he has really no choice because (laughs) the media is actually like pinpointed him as like the prime uh you know the prime um witness to this crime like it even showcases like on the radio and like on the news like oh yeah this mark guy blah 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 you know he's a witness to it and shit so you know, ultimately, he starts to investigate this thing, which leads him on all oh. these different type of clues throughout. And, you know, we get introduced to a bunch of characters and things like in typical Giallo fashion. Um, not even that. Like, fucking. Oh, can I say something? Or yeah, you want to keep going into the plot? No, no, no. I'm just, fucking, I just want to give it a little, just that breakdown. So. All right. Fucking Gianna as a female character is like, at, at least at the time, in my opinion, like. I think up until this point, it's like one of the strongest female fucking characters. Like we follow 
uh, Marcus, and we think like, oh, Mark, like when we were talking about fucking Bird with the Crystal Plumage, I talked about Sam all the time getting his masculinity stripped away. And while I don't think it's as much as this one in mm-hmm. this film as much as it with Bird with Sam, I think that Marcus still, he gets fucking just. Gianna freaking pretty much saves everything. She is the man of this film. Even though we see Marcus as a somewhat strong masculine character, it's Gianna who beats him in arm wrestling. She pulls him out of the building. All these things that we see that we usually associate with a male saving a female, we see Gianna being the the, the masculine figure in it. And it's so fucking amazingly good that Argento is trying to make us think about uh, uh, gender roles in in yes. horror films, like yeah. how we see them, and even though, like once again in Bird, like the most the, the most gruesome murder it happens to a male. In, in this film, it's the same thing with the fucking mouth on the fireplace. But uh, it, it it's the it's the things that he he throws in between those two characters that are just like are are just so fascinating to me and so and so amazing to watch even though i've seen this movie like six times now i i'm still fascinated with those two characters relationships and 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 the things argento's saying about it, it is interesting uh, what too, we think because you know he was always labeled as like a misogynist and male no way and, and no things way, like, but it's it, but it's kind of funny because if you read between the lines of the film opposite. and stuff so you have this mark character who you know he's trying to come off as like you know he's a manly man and he's going to investigate the stuff and of course Gianna is played by dario nicolati who is actually a reporter and she's just looking for a big case like she said she's tired of reporting on bullshit so this is like an opportunity for her to go and you know get a big type story so it's showing her ambition right there and stuff but mark is the type of character that you know he's he's a man and he is separated men and women like there's there's even a conversation in the film between her and gianna the arm wrestling and that's what leads into this arm wrestling scene where you know marcus is like you know there is a big difference between men and women women are fragile you know they're kind of beating around the bush but he's saying you know like men are basically superior to women and she and then it goes on for a little bit so we're we're dealing with that type of subject matter and themes right there and then gianna's like well let's have an arm wrestle <laughs> like why not just settle this right that's now totally something like totally right that, like it never that, happens like, that's totally something you would not see from a female character especially in a horror movie at that time and, and but, like our, the, but our gentle does it time and time again with every one of his fucking movies and he makes this really really strong character out of it and he, of course you know mark's all pissed off he's like you lifted up your arm you cheat and she's like whatever man <laughs> you know i still beat you kind of thing so it, it really does set the stage for her character and stuff in this film it's awesome it's really cool I can't believe that Argento is labeled as that type of person when he's creating these obvious, obviously strong female characters. Right? It's it's ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. And it is true. I'm glad that you brought up the fact that she's the one that pulls him out of the building at that time when he gets knocked in the head and stuff. Like, she's the one that saves the day. She saves him. He doesn't save the day. She saves the day. Yeah, she saves the day and stuff. It's so good. So good. Mm -hmm. Um,. Yeah, JP. man. This... <laughs> yeah, um, I really, you, I really do like that. You don't get that. into as much as I do with that kind of stuff. I just don't know if I see it as much as you do. Is is my my problem? I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do really like that scene in particular, the arm wrestling scene, because it's it's a little bit different, and it does it does truly show in a quite literal way somebody being like stripped of their masculinity, like. 
because like it's even that's the rage that he has he's pissed that he lost to a girl um which is a fascinating scene i i do like that scene um whether i don't like to me i didn't get the i guess vibe that this is one of the greatest female i didn't leads. say that i said at this time up until this point name on uh, uh in 1975 name of stronger female horror character at this point i mean i don't know if i can you don't have the strength yet. definitely not have... barbara from night living dead <laughs> that's for damn sure um maybe rosemary mm. from I think it's given the situation, though, too, right? Because Mark is set up to be, like, the hero right away. Because he's the guy that's doing this investigation. He's supposed to be the hero. But it turns out, like, she's just as strong as he is. Right? You just don't see that very often. I think what I'm kind of getting at, too, is, like, this really isn't a horror film. Like, so it's, like, I I would have to compare it to other movies like this, not Well, if this isn't a horror film, then you're going to be disappointed with next week's movies. Yeah, (laughs) Giallos, man, they're murder. Giallos are like cousins of the horror of the slasher genre, right? Like it's it's uh, some Giallos are a little bit more horrorish than than others. This one, um, I I mean, I would label it as horror. It's loose horror, you know. It's in that genre. Um, I believe even IMDb has it as as horror. But Giallos in general uh, are heavier. The only difference that separates slashers from giallos, really, is the investigation narrative uh, is heavier-handed in giallos. Uh, that's what kind of makes them different than just a slasher. Well, right? it's, 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 they're mysteries. They're mysteries, right? In a lot of slashers. Well, I mean, we, slashers we are usually mysteries as well, like whodunit slashers, screams, stuff like that. Um you know, but you know, April Fool's Day, different, different whodunit slashes yeah, that well, are out they there. They derive strictly Black from Christmas. these. Yeah, they derive right from the Giallo, right? The the murder mystery. Yeah, stuff. yeah. So Th- that, that's yeah. really the core difference between like a whodunit slasher. Of course, you have some slashers like Jason Six or something where you just know who the killer is. It's not a mystery or anything. But so I think that. Um, that that's what separates them so to i would have to compare it to other giallos which i'm not super familiar with because i don't think this is directly a horror film and you know the more i watch argento's filmography um you know (laughs) like i didn't know how many giallos he did because these all three of these films are giallos and um and three very different type of giallos yeah, yeah really the only two non-giallo films we've seen in his filmography thus far is suspiria and inferno mm-hmm. and he went right back to the giallos after inferno um i think that one thing about the giallo genre for me is i usually don't pick up on it with the first viewing um i feel like they're very convoluted at times uh, i feel like that characters are not established and uniquely identified to where it's easy to know who's who uh i feel like at times in argento's films and and giallo's in general have you, you done just... cat nine tales that's giallo right yeah yeah, we did. yeah bird uh four flies and cat nine tales all giallo's it's suspiria not a giallo uh inferno not a giallo yeah, then yeah. then more giallo's again but i think that it's like it's it's the italian filmmaking in general but i feel like sometimes we just 
start we just go from one scene to another scene with a different character and it's not they don't use names a whole lot either you know in american films they kind of hammer the names in like like darla 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 you know like they say the name of the character so many times Mm. but in giallos i feel like everybody kind of has the same look and style the 70s like it's hard to kind (coughs) of sorry it's kind of hard to differentiate characters so i personally honestly this one more so than the other two films that we're covering but i got really confused in this movie Really? Oh, so. Really? Because this one is actually one of the more straightforward ones, really. Yeah, I think everything I, I, everything, I, everything, comes together like perfectly in this one. Yeah. Well, because like, I'm like, like, like really who like is this paint? guy? Who is that? Like, like, okay, the guy... Okay, you mentioned the scene where uh, we see the guy with the the other oh, guy. Like, he's a, he's a homosexual. I didn't even know who that was at first. And then it wasn't until later where I pieced it together and figured out. Like I feel like it's we see that dude. So he's with, with Carlo. Carlo, the guy, the the yeah, pianist that plays. Like, yeah, it's they. It, I don't know if it has to do with them, like everybody looking kind of similar, or if it has to do with not saying names enough, or if it has to do with like not giving. Because one thing that these films don't do is they do not give people personality traits. They don't give them. Uh, things that they do. I disagree. Uh, they, I, I completely disagree too. I think Carlo is very identifiable because he's the, he's that drunk character. He's that dude that's. I mean, they have this huge conversation, Carlo and Marcus, in the in the film uh-huh. about how Carlo, you know, he has to play music for a living, and you know, Marcus just plays music for, or he does the music thing more out of enjoyment and things like that. You know, they're they're two different types of musicians. I think it separates the characters right there. Right. I mean, you know, well, yeah, I mean, but it's not to me, it's not like an identifiable thing. Like that doesn't come up later that you're like, oh, this guy, like it's hard to differentiate characters like visually is what I'm saying. I'm not saying that that Hmm. they don't have unique backstories so much. But so I'm saying, like, they, they I have a hard same? time. But you know who the killer it, is not all necessarily along. the same. It's hmm. just like there's so many characters in these movies that, you know, unless I see a John Saxon who I know he's recognizable, like, I feel like like the girls in these movies, especially, the, I don't know, it was like mainly Deep Red. Like, I, I felt like the other two I was able to tell, like, jennifer conley really easily uh and you know the 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 characters in those other films there's um, actually not that many characters in deep red Red. to be honest considering you know how big the story is and how many places they are at and stuff there's not a whole lot of characters i mean you have we have you know we have gianni uh yeah carlo the mother who's the famous actor um which is i think her name's helga right is it helga yeah yeah yeah. no mark um, yeah, I, I think that it's because uh, like we Martha, like Martha. Martha. Yeah, yeah. You're he right. goes it, like it doesn't seem like there's like whenever the character just goes from one place. Like I, it's either that I'm missing things mm-hmm. or that like it, maybe the dialogue is just too drawn out to really notice it. You know, I and I found that it happens a lot. Like Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Like I liked it more the second time that I watched it. Yeah, I feel like they okay. Like what? Like one the, the character is in one place, mm-hmm. and he scratches a wall and sees like a painting or something, and like it, he's just in another place and then another place, and it's like, well, how does he know to go to these places? Well, the thing I, I say with like out of all the Argento films, like 
this one, if you really pay attention, like you'll know. Like I, like I said, I've seen it five times. And like, yeah, th- it's actually you, quite you easy. Could, you could easily because you see it. You when you see the reveal, if you watch it back, when you fucking happens, yeah, yeah. like that actually happens. So it's like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. I I think especially with saying, the reveal in this one, like. like I, I think, yeah, especially with the reveal in this type of film, too, because there's obviously a twist within the reveal, right? Yeah. And and then he, he even, like, breaks it down, too. He's like, well, that couldn't happen because this and that. And then you think back to it and stuff. But, you know, how he's going yeah. from one place to well, one place. Well, I, so I basic- noticed that right away. I was like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, I, um, and I... So like yeah, of course. After you, the the second reveal comes around, and you're like, well, obvious, fuckingly, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, when you when you put the whole context of the reveal and into the story of what you just watched, it actually completely makes sense, right? Because I mean, this whole the whole narrative is created by Mark himself by just being a witness to this, right? It's all about eliminating the witnesses. So like, why would the why would this school drawing be in a file in like this school? Well, that's essentially where – so what happens is, I mean, the clues leading up to that are – start from when he finds the psychic dead, right? He links the yeah. song. He links the song. And he's like, well, this song might have something to do with the kind of thing. So he hears it there. He hears it at his place where he brings it to the uh, the psychiatrist, right? And then the psychiatrist uh-huh. actually tells him that this song most definitely is linked to this killer – um, you know, in a certain way and stuff, which leads him to the, uh, <laughs> he gets brutally murdered. So, like, how does that person know that? Well, because he's a psychiatrist, right? He just he just psychoanalyzed. You know, the song has to probably have some type of significance to why the killer killed or whatnot or whatever, right? So that song essentially leads him yeah. to the author of the book, right? And then it just what, keeps. What, co- what was the book? Hmm. What's the name? Wait, of the what? Book? The author of the book. See, like this is where I'm all confused and shit. So, like, so after he finds out that the psychiatrist says this song probably has something to do with the killer, so then where does it lead him? Uh, yeah, she wrote a book called "The House of the Screaming Child," who? which describes a long. Um, Wait, so who wrote? The, so somebody wrote a book. How does he find out who wrote? What? What? Where did this book come from? What do you mean? Where did the book like? Come? How does know. he know just, to was, check out this book? It was just it was just a book. It was the song that was associated with the book, right? So so he investigated he investigated the song, which led him to the to who wrote the, the book. book. And he's how did you find out that the song had something to do with the book? By just <laughs> investigating, I don't know. It was the song <laughs> that was linked to the book, and so that's how we it, that's how it led him to Amanda, right? Okay. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just see that it's just like things like that that are left unexplained that I get like confused about. I'm like, so he just knows that this is linked together, or well, it's because like, they don't establish it. Properly. Well, no, well, they do though because the song was talked about in the story, right? So when the psychiatrist told him that the song was probably had something to do with the murder, um, he investigated the song which was written about in the book, right? It was well, like, how does he know to look like, well, where, it, how does he get that information? What do you mean? Like if you know about the song, he, I don't know. He looked probably looked up in a book. Like he went, when he was in his apartment, he was looking it up, right? He's like, this song is linked to this. And he's like, okay, so this is probably, you know, I'll go investigate this, this writer. 
right? Okay. Right. So the, the the song was written about in this book, which leads him to the you know to Amanda, right? So where did he get this book? Like, where did he get the information? Like, did you watch his movie? <laughs> like, holy I crap. did. I told you. I got confused, man. <laughs> so, like, where he gets a? How does he? Where does he get the information? You said he read about it. Where did he get that information? Like, where did he get a Dude, book about that? I don't know. It was in his place, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, well, these sh- are things that, like, I like that I wonder. Maybe while, he had encyclopedias, like, man. Maybe he had encyclopedias because back in those days, everybody had encyclopedias. You just yeah, look yeah, up like, information. I mean, now you just Google it, I guess. But like, well, that's what I'm saying, then. right? I mean, I mean, that would be like asking us today that how'd you get the information? Yeah, I looked it up on Google or Wikipedia. But back in those days, people actually had encyclopedias that had information that could probably link you to something else. That yeah, was some the internet. obscure song that nobody's ever heard of. Right? <laughs> well, but, but maybe they have, though. Right? Like, we don't know. This is like European stuff. I don't know. It's just, it's fictional. <laughs> it's fictional. But anyways, okay. the point is, is that the song was talked about in this book. Okay, so he goes, to, he goes to the, to he investigates the, uh, the writer of the book. Yes. And what does she say? She's the one that gets killed in the hot water. Okay. Yep. Right? Because and the killer writes, because the killer she, is link the killer is taking care of every possible link that could and bring she's back. the one that writes who the killer is on the glass and then he comes back and he sees yeah. the, yes. the fingerprint. So yeah. he kills uh-huh. her because she's an obvious link to figuring out who the actual killer is. So Amanda dies in a brutal way, like gets her face burned Uh off and shit. (laughs) So so essentially, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, yeah. So that thing's written there. He investigates more, ends up at the place. So what what, what did it say on the the, uh, window with the steam? Um, I can't remember exactly what it said. Yeah, me neither. Okay, but that sends him to where? It sends him to the old house that was written about in the book where too. he used to live okay where and that's Carlo where he finds to live. the drawing on the wall yes correct okay. and then he finds the christmas scene so where what when he finds that drawing on the wall where does he go next and why didn't you watch the fucking movie? i'm asking questions dude dude it's like you're like we're explaining the whole f- i thought we we're supposed to be talking i know about but it's explaining the whole though. fucking thing okay well just this last thing Um, so, so after, so, okay. So he's at this place. Okay. So he's investigating this thing. He ends up at this old place where he finds a drawing on the wall, which leads Uh, him, which leads with the the kid with the knife. Yes. So he's there. He sees the picture, right? And he's like, oh shit. So there's a picture of a murder and stuff. That's relative to probably this killer. So it leads him. He goes and talks to the caretaker, right? After of the house, yes, that which you know, that's where the little girl is. You know, the little yeah, redheaded girl. Missed it. That was her dad. Her dad was the caretaker. Of course, they have that huge thing, and then you know, she he ends up finding that picture at her place, and he's like, "Well, where the fuck did you get this picture from?" Which leads him to the Leonardo da Vinci school, and and then so on and so on. Right? Yeah, we don't want to give every that. last detail away. Okay, so so he like so then he goes to the school, and then the he finds out who the picture was originally drew from right yes okay i just find that like one of the problems with these movies is everything is just so conveniently laid out right like what if he went to that girl's house and there was and she didn't copy a picture for some reason you know what i mean it's just like it's like that's so convenient that she copied a picture of a picture that she's seen in some like a 
abandoned school or something like well you have to have some type of clues like how else would you figure anything out here i mean realistically if you were if you were investigating this this any type of case i mean there's always things that sometimes you're like holy shit that's crazy that's there like i'm sure it happens in real life but i mean it has to be for the filmmaking process i mean he goes there and he's like holy shit there's a picture here where did you get this he has to beat it out of her which leads him to this which is another clue i mean there has to be some type of structure (laughs) you know blot here right yeah but i think it's i think it's also like it has to be within reason i don't think it's convenient at all i I think it's actually quite genius how it's written and stuff i mean i don't find it convenient at all i mean at least there is parts where you know he takes it to a psychiatrist why would that picture still be at that school like what teacher is going to keep a picture and save it away of a uh, but the uh, problem brutal but the problem is with with thinking like that is like why does anything happen right I mean, there's, I'm sure teachers keep shit from fucking, I mean, it's like our parents, man. I mean, my mom probably has junk that I fucking made back in 1987 too. Why does she still but have at it? A school I don't fucking to keep know. it at the school though. I guess. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't think, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe just don't throw it shit. I don't have an explanation for it. I mean, really, I don't think anyone does, but I mean, it was there. Yeah, it was there. I mean, it's just it's little things like that that kind of throw me off of of movies. And don't get me wrong; like, I still very much like this movie. Mm. I just felt like you know, and honestly, the, like these, like I think you guys definitely benefit from seeing it a few times. Mm. Uh, I this is my very first watch on it. It was a long movie with a lot of location changes, which is probably one of my biggest um, like praises of. And I, I believe I said it back in the first Argeno show too. Mm. Early Argeno stuff, like from the 80s and before, like his set pieces are absolutely outstanding. Like he has all these amazing architectural buildings and, and rooms and there's all this awesome like art and just like sculptures and things just in the backgrounds of scenes mm. and stuff like that. Like I think of like um, Tenebrae, with the pole where there's, there's like the floating blocks in the pole and stuff. It's just, it's just beautiful. Oh, no, there's uh, one shot in Tenebrae that blows my fucking mind. I probably know which one <laughs> it is. It, is it the one with uh, the, before the lesbians get killed? And she's standing in between the staircase, but the between whole, the two pillars, but the whole shot leading up to her in that sexy yeah. ass shot is a, it's like one of the best shots ever. Yeah. I swear to God it is. Yeah. But yeah, this film yeah. right here has phenomenal cinematography. There's yeah. so many great scenes in this film, like, you know, overhead shots to panning shots. It's just unbelievable, man. It's really, really well shot. Very atmospheric. I mean, you, one thing about Argento films that I it's love so much. It's called Bird Eye. <laughs> yeah, Bird Eye. Um, one of the things I love about Argento's stories and these type of giallos is how the music incorporated into the film is part of the narrative, right? It's mm-hmm. just, it's so intense and it just, it really just, it makes that, it makes that story just, feel more intense it really (laughs) just directs where the film is going like you know like i always i always talk about you know music in films and how it can either you know elevate a film or bring it right down well you can't pick any better music than argento does it just it just elevates the story gets you so into it and you know Uh what i was going back to you know this being like pretty much the the perfect giallo a lot of giallos suffer from one thing actually two things having a very, very slow moving narrative 
like a really, really slow paced narrative that kind of takes you out of it. Because if you're not already into the mystery and stuff and it's slow paced, it can really take you out of it. And scores. There's a lot of giallos that don't have the greatest scores either. Um, where this one does. I think this movie is actually really well paced. I mean, for a giallo that runs over two hours long, right away you're probably going to be like, holy fuck, dude, Like that's way, way too long. But I think this one just, it never stops, man. There's not really a lot of downtime in this one at all. Right from the opening scene where Marcus witnesses that murder, goes up there and tries to save the psychic and shit like that. That's crazy. <laughs> Which that murder murders is brutal. Now, Moods, man. can I ask you a question? It's brutal. I think I, there's some stuff you could cut out. Honestly. I just want to like, know. I just want to know. Though. Whenever there's a the scene with they, yeah. them driving that car, you know what I mean? There's that little bit of comedy there. Like I don't. I. I. I, I would. I, I didn't really like that. Well, that I think I think very, that's I, very that's very French. I think the reason why that actually does <laughs> help is. though, because it actually links the scenes though too. I think if you cut out those scenes, it'd be like, okay, they just went from point A to point B. Like what? But yeah, yeah. I, well, you can show somebody getting in a car and exiting a car. Those are totally, in French, three seconds. Those are totally French new wave. I actually scenes. love the way she said that. She's <laughs> like, "Did you just lock the door?" <laughs> She's like, "Shit!" Yeah. You're like, "We can't get out." They got to use the sunroof. <laughs> Now, Moose, <laughs> is this so your funny. favorite Argento? Uh, this is right up there. I think this is an absolute perfect giallo. I don't think there's anything wrong. I've watched this is the second time in the last year I've watched this, and my feelings have not changed. On it. I love the story. I love the mystery of it. I love the reveal and then the twist. It's fucking awesome, and it, it comes together fine. That's another thing about giallos that you guys can probably agree with me is that um, a lot of giallos suffer from. A bat or a reveal that doesn't make sense. You're like that doesn't link up properly, right? The narrative never seems yeah. to link up properly, and you know, and 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 that's what kind of separates the good giallos from the bad giallos, or my, the, just entertaining giallos. My biggest criticism, um, besides just like it being a little confusing and and slightly convoluted from my <clears throat> vantage point, yeah, yeah, um, is the last scene, um, the scene with the um, necklace. It just doesn't make much sense physically um, that that would be able to happen. <laughs> well, I mean, every time I watch that scene, I'm like, man, what is that chain made out of? It's super strong. Like, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. But that fucking. chain would ne- like even whatever that chain is like, it's clearly not like, you know, still cable or anything. Oh, like just wait that. till it's, you watch the lift. It has fucking. I've seen the lift like before. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, yeah. So that, I was like. I was like, that it <laughs> looks really neat and it's a cool thing. Yeah. But if they could have worked around it to where it wasn't a necklace, um, I think oh, it would you're be such strong. a fucking nitpicker, bro. How, dude, that is a like okay, like seriously, bro, that is not a nitpick. Like that is a legit that's a legit flaw. That is not a nitpick at all. It it just doesn't make sense. That would never happen. And it's a key point in a scene. You know what I mean? But a lot so, of shit in this movie would never happen. Like what? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, you have if you have problem with this one, just next week's show is going to be even more amazing. I can't wait now. Okay, well, we'll talk about that next week, you know. But I'm, I'm just like, I'm not here to only, you know. Like I'm, I'm giving fair critiques. Like that is not an unfair critique. That's something that we point out in every movie. Like how does plates get plates all the time and throw them? You know what I mean? Like, and it, it's just it's it's an error. It's something that that doesn't work in reality. So 
in a movie set in reality, you have to point it out. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's a key moment in the film. Like, do you agree? Do you, like, you wouldn't disagree that that's not something that would ever happen, right? No. <clears throat> like, a, a well, chance being stronger than a, a skin and flesh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a fair assessment to say that it would probably break before it decapitated you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, let's face it here, man. So yeah, <laughs> it's still a cool idea. Like it looks good. It just wouldn't happen. Like if you could have like made it to where it was like the elevator cable or something. You know what I mean? Just somehow worked around that. It would have been a little cooler. But I mean, it's, it's not a huge problem. It's still a film. It's, but it, I mean, it it's is- just it's because it's so prevalent in the demise of the villain. Right, so it's like it's that's you got, where you got to come up with something cool to kill off the the killer, right? I mean, there's no yeah. kind of shocking way to do. Are you, are you, you just gonna stab her to death? You put you put yourself in 1975, and and that's how the killer gets killed. <laughs> it's like holy shit, man! Kind of end off with a bang there. I mean, it's pretty cool, but uh, yeah, I really I don't have a lot of issues with this film whatsoever, man. I think it's one of the the best Yallo's ever done. I think this is the best one that um, that Argento's done story wise. Mm-hmm. I don't find it very confusing at all. I think I just love how everything comes together in this one. It's awesome. It's really cool, man. And I just I like the whole. I mean, the opening scene in the film where it, 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 I, I love that scene too because it, it it shows the murder, right? But it doesn't mm-hmm. give you anything. That, those are my favorite parts. Is yeah. like because Bird with the Crystal Plumage has like the really good murder at the beginning. That's my you know what I mean? favorite Argento, bro. But then he Still picks is. apart the whole story is based around that, and it kind of pieces together through this book, and you know, it ends up at all these different locations, and all these sets are totally awesome and stuff. And <laughs> there is one thing in here they they obviously burnt the that house with a miniature because <laughs> it's definitely like a miniature burning. <laughs> Uh-huh. It's kind of funny at one point, but 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 me that doesn't bother me one bit. That's just effects stuff, right? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know, man. I think it's. I think so it's, you want to get into ratings all around. Great film. Um, so yeah. what's your rating? You go first. Uh, well, I've said what I have to say. I'm coming in at a perfect ten out of ten. I think it's Damn. phenomenal. I think it's in rewatching this film yesterday. I was like, man, this it literally gives me goosebumps. The score is so great from top to bottom. I love the way it just it flows so well. I was like, that was 127 minutes? Like, I didn't check my clock. I didn't check anything. I was super entertained. And I've seen this movie a bunch of times. That's mm-hmm. standing some testament right there. Generally, when you've seen a film so many times, especially with a, with a story like this, where you know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> like, this, the reveal and the twist and stuff is not surprising to me. That is a true test and stands the test of time right there. Deep Red is is a phenomenal film. Um, Jeremy? Deep Red. So, yeah, I've seen this movie like five, six times now. I think this is my sixth time seeing it. Um, yeah, it's it's. I still like Bird with Chris Plumage a little bit more. I think that film does a little bit more for me substances-wise, and you guys know that's what I love. I love my my substance and my 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 theories and things like that but this film still has a bunch of it i mean it 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 now that i watched tenebrae i think of second time i've seen tenebrae 
you know, it, it has some things that are better in the sense of uh, that kind of themes and stuff like that. But I still, I, I really love Deep Red quite a bit still. So 9 out of 10 for Deep Red. Uh, Fuck personally, you. If you say an eight, I'm going to be pissed because I didn't come in the fucking middle. I was second, so fuck you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Deep Red to me, um, I I found it personally a little hard to follow. Like I don't know what it was about it. If it was the subtitles of two hours worth of subtitles, I don't know. I find that Argento films are particularly difficult to watch with subtitles because you want to pay attention to the visual aspects of them. And I have a difficult time focusing on the words and being able to take it. Because I, I think that that is really a problem with his movies when you're not Italian is the 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 visual and the landscape of things is so awesome that you really want to just look around the scenery especially if you're on like a big flat screen tv that sometimes you you look away too long while there's words coming across the screen um so that could have partially factored in being my first time watched wanting to really pay attention to the visuals um to uh not really getting or grasping the film completely uh, being very confused on the narrative itself. Um, however, like once I did see the the reveal and see the the second sort of reveal where it's like you know that couldn't happen because of this. Like I was like oh like that's I love when those like have those powerful things that actually make sense and it's like yeah. oh well, fucking course you know what I mean like and I think that was one of our criticisms with Bird with the Crystal Plumage is when you watch. When that reveal happens, you go back and look at the film. It's impos- It's an impossible, ta- like it's yeah. an actual edit, you know, problem where they're just telling you that it was like that. Um, but this one makes sense. Uh, yeah. So um, I like the. I think that the that Argeno, and I think this is probably where the criticism comes in a little bit, is like his his deaths do feel very violent like i think it's because they're the pace of which the death happens it's so just like truck hitting you where it's not like this like like it's just it just so quickly killed you know what i mean ended life um but yeah uh, i'm coming in at eight out of ten. Oh fuck that shit <laughs> jeremy i thought you said that you like bird uh more than this you did say that. i'm actually quite surprised you jeremy gave, that you like bird more than this one it's it's you still actually kind of shocks me an 8 out of 10 and gave this a 9 out of 10. Oh. That was back <laughs> in the day, bro. Well, um, so far, if I'm being, if I'm, if I was ranking Argento films, um, this would probably be one of my least favorite, honestly. Uh, but I, I still think it's pretty good. But like I always, like I always say with these films, man, multiple watches are a yeah. must. <laughs> with these type of films i believe I, I believe you if you're coming in at a 10 like i almost feel like kind this, of uh there's not, a like, like like Three? a little bit embarrassed isn't that, that isn't i didn't that get it as much no jeremy you fucking suck so bad at knowing what the number is it's been the same for all time it's 28 and above <laughs> um, he says this every time is that a hall of pain or hall of fame no um but yeah i feel like a little bit I don't know. Like I, I feel weird that you guys like it so much, and I just didn't see it that way. So yeah, it happens, I'll probably man. 
Like they, I like the little quirky, like the not quirky things, but there's one thing in this film that I just I've always loved. Man, is the scene where, um, like after the psychic gets killed, and you know, Carlo basically tells um, Mark that you know sometimes when you see things, it it might not always be the truth. You know, he kind of throws that line in there and stuff, right? I love that right there. He's like trying to kind of throw him off because obviously he knows what's up, right? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And I love that line, man. It's kind of cool. It's just this piece of dialogue that kind of gets you thinking, right? Kind of, it's supposed to throw you off, but at the same time, get you thinking and shit. And it's just really, really cool stuff. I think it's just, I think it's just everything is so well executed in this film because there was a point in this film when you were watching, right? When the reveal was about to happen, and you're like, this doesn't make fucking sense because there's there's this you know over, I always call them overhead shots the crane shot where it's basically Mark looking out the window after the the psychic gets killed and he sees the killer dressed in black walking up the left hand side and who walks into the into the shot on the right hand side Carlo right. So when that reveal happens, you're like, okay, this doesn't make any fucking sense. It gets you thinking so much. I love that shit. Totally awesome. Totally awesome. Yeah. Moving along. I've read all your books, Mr. Neal. The book deals with a murder committed with an old-fashioned open razor, right? This girl, too, was killed with a razor, and your book's pages stuffed into her mouth. Can I ask you something? Jesus. Seven years later, we get in the year 1982, Dario Argento directed a film called Tenembrae. Music yeah. also done. Well, actually, it's done by I think the score is just Claudio Simonetti from from Goblin. But man, this the score yeah. in this film is just like it's so pounding 80s, just awesomeness. Again, great, great score. Um, so right here is starring uh, actually. Um, Dario Nicoletti's in this one also. Uh, John Saxton, you know, John Saxton, John Saxton. But synopsis here. An American writer in Rome is stalked by a serial killer bent on harassing him while killing all people associated with his work on his latest book. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> that, <laughs> that fucking synopsis doesn't even make sense. Uh yeah, man. So what we have here, we have a writer by the name of Peter Neal, American writer, has came over to Rome to promote his new book, Tenembrae, uh, as it's doing very, very well. So he's over there to promote it and stuff. And these killings start happening, and they're kind of based on the book Tenembrae. So what happens is a murder happens right away to this shoplifting, this shoplifter who's, by the way, super, super sexy. 
and she is found all gnarled up with pages of his book in his mouth. And, you know, so he's at the hotel and he all of a sudden receives a note, like a letter um, with pictures and stuff. And it's basically saying this is what's going on. So they've got to figure out who's doing these killings because mm-hmm. it's kind of random. It's kind of random. It's based off his book. So, you know. Peter should kind of know maybe what's going to happen and stuff. So that's that's the story. They got to figure out who's doing this shit. Um, Jeremy, mm. Ten and Brit. I know what I know. One thing that pissed JP off more than anything in probably any Argento film that we've seen so far. What? When that <laughs> bitch gets her arm cut off and it's this fucking just a massacre of spray everywhere i know you hate that no shit. that's the different kind of spray dude that's just like a leak spray when like i'm talking dude, about like, like sprays fucking, that are like that's like, what this was bro yeah <laughs> i didn't fucking, like, i did not over the top like i, I didn't feel like it was that over the top like, oh this, i do Oh, I, I think, thought it was fucking. I think I think it works awesome. That's uh, do you know who that is that gets killed in that scene? That's Jane. What do you mean? Like the yeah, character, Jane, the fucking, character. That's uh, Peter's yeah. ex-wife. Yeah, which which is actually a really cool aspect of the film too. That she's just kind of there, and there's this like this subplot of her. But you and said his, my name. You, you said my name before that. So what do you want to know? Oh, it was just thoughts on the film. Ten and Brit. Well, it's your usual. Uh, fucking Argento with his this one especially fucking forefront fucking sexual themes that scene with the heel in the mouth is probably one of my favorite Argento shots of any of his films I've seen so far it goes right up there with, with the bird shot with fucking Sam in the museum but it it's so powerful and the meaning that goes on with what's freaking going on and what actually his hatred towards women and you know it, it's it's clearly you know gay themed again with the heel going in and out of his mouth like that and, and fucking women just walking over his life is so fucking um, good man i personally absolutely loved the um metaphorical aspect of this film where Oh, I think Argento so put a lot of himself into this one. Uh, the the writer of the horror quote unquote novels, and the uh, one guy comes up to him and says, you know, the the this this is about a perverse this, and he's like, well, that's that's not all it's about. That's just what like why like that's all you got out of it. And I I, I think that that's completely mirrors uh argento's work in general like and well, to me i absolutely love when filmmakers add that level of social commentary to their films oh 100 this is a mirror this is an alter ego that argento created in uh in um uh, peter neal's character i mean th- this was essentially he wanted to give the critics at the time what they wanted because the critics had always kind of dubbed argento as being you know this kind of womanizer this misogynist type person you know he glorifies killing women and things like that so what he did to to basically shut the fucking critics up was to create that character and give them what they wanted he's like well if this is what you think of me this is what i'm gonna put on the screen right he like created this it's like an alter ego of himself but it's like a fictionalized version of him too because we know that he's not like that in real life he was just dubbed as this type of person. So he fictionalized that character and put it on screen. I think that is really fucking awesome and kind of genius. 
So people, it's one of my favorite. It's probably my favorite aspect of this film. Oh, big time! Is big that time. you can just see the mirror so much oh, of 100%. his criticism, and he like visualizes it with other critics, journalists who are criticizing uh, that guy's work, uh, mirroring Argento's work, but also um, what you said, where he's quite literally giving them. Mm-hmm. What, what what he's literally making it about what they're criticizing it ab- about what, what how they dubbed him in the media right if, yeah if, if, if this is what you say i am i'm gonna give it to you <laughs> this is like straight up yeah. man i love this man so tenebrae is another giallo but it's a completely different style of giallo you know compared to deep red um uh-huh. very very different uh this one is almost like I don't think I, I can't even really compare this one to any other type of giallo that has a twist like this. This is that yeah. you know the way this one goes. <laughs> well, it, general yeah. giallos do not really do this very often. Um, I think it's a really interesting aspect because we're following this character Peter. He's this writer, and all these murders are happening. And but as we're they're following, all around him for some reason. But you never believed he was behind it. No, 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 no. And but the but the thing is, they even showcase in the film that he couldn't have been responsible for these killings, anyways, because the first one happened when he was not even at his hotel yet, type deal. So they give you that information. So it's not misleading in the fact that oh, Peter's doing these killings. No, we we know that it's not him. So essentially, we have absolutely no idea who is doing these killings whatsoever in this film. So it's kind of interesting and they're based off his book and, and that's how this thing kind of progresses. Right. But meanwhile, it's, it's almost a character study of Peter himself because, you know, he's already dealing with the media and how he's been dubbed by the media as this type of mongrel type writer and things like that. And we're getting into the psyche of Peter in this film, which is really cool too. And I like the way Argento did this because you don't even know exactly what these visions or these daydreams or these nightmares or these flashbacks are Mm -hmm. of, and they happen throughout the film. And I think that's really cool, which leads into like the second half of the film where this thing kind of turns itself. It kind of, you know, literally kind of turns the page a little bit. Right. I think the way this one develops is fucking phenomenal. Upon rewatch yeah. and really, really watching and, and really noting things, I'm like, God damn, that is so fucking cool. How everything I comes think this one is shot cool. so beautifully too. Oh, like when they're awesome. at that house yeah. and it's a slow camera going up oh, and up God. and up, yeah. and it's, it's just so this music. Like I felt, I've this this is what I was looking for. Like I, no disrespect to Deep Red, but like I was able to follow this one way more, and this is like you my. Know, one that I really grasped. You know, you know what's funny actually. This movie has always been dubbed as uh, Argento's most coherent narrative, <laughs> even though it has <laughs> like this. Why? Even though it has like this kind of crazy twist to it, right? Which yeah. it doesn't really get done a whole lot, and I think that's quite interesting. How this is the most coherent narrative out there, and it's like you know, in the third act, you're kind of going, "What the fuck?" Right? But it's explained. There's nothing in this film that isn't explained properly, right? Everything ties yeah. up, which is another really cool thing that adds to the element. I just think it's elements. such a beautiful movie, too. It's Dude. just, like, it's I, shot really well. Like, the murders are shot good. Oh, um, they're the, so the, the, Like, just the locations and settings and, and like, that sculpture that I mentioned uh, that ends up, you know, being a, a, a weapon of death eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like that's in the background a lot, 
you know what I mean? And it's just kind of there and you didn't really know, like I noticed it. I was like, Oh, that thing's cool. Um, but you didn't actually expect that it would be like part of the narrative. You just thought that it was like some yeah. background thing. Cause they, he does that a lot. There's just like tons. Like it just seems like the location and the settings, like these are such beautiful buildings, just like the regular, just the building, right? Just mm-hmm. like a, an apartment or a house or like everything is beautiful and laid out so nice and flowers everywhere. And just, just, just such a nice film to look at, especially on Blu-ray. Yeah. The Blu-ray is like one of the best. Oh man. Like the whole, the whole scene leading up to the, the lesbians there, the cinematography uh-huh. has to be one of the most amazing panning yeah. long shots I've ever seen. Like just, just the way they shot this because it's done in so many different angles. You can it's well, like it goes from like it's crazy it's, how they did it. I think it's a crane from the when it goes from the ground floor upstairs through that insane. Oh, it definitely kind of, has to. It's be a crane. crane. I can't yeah. see any other way to do yeah. that. But it's such a long, beautiful, amazing shot that leads into this this scene with these two beautiful women and this amazing uh-huh. shot of this lesbian standing on the top of the staircase, and, and it's the shot from the the floor. And yeah. just the way she's standing, she's her hair's wet. She's got a towel around her. She's naked. She's got a towel, one boob exposed, and it's absolutely beautiful. Like I was getting a boner watching it again. <laughs> and it's just so amazingly shot. And then, like, and then you're mesmerized by this whole scene. And then their deaths are even beautiful. Like yeah. it's yeah. just amazing how I, I everything comes that, together in this. It's so cool, man. I think that this, like, to say like the deaths are beautiful is like such a, a, a per- perfect summary of like what Argento means and, and <laughs> honestly Argento yeah like he he's has a way of making death uh beautiful kills death oh. in a beautiful way like almost a poetic way so um I'm with you on that yeah man I you know every time I watch this film it never it just never ceases to amaze me how incredible where like it's incredible where the story takes you like there's this scene and, and there's this moment in the film where this guy's like, this doesn't make sense. Right. It happens again. Yeah. Right. And so then that all that information is disclosed. It's like, Hey, I figured this out. I did this. And then it just spirals out of control from there. But then I love it because at that moment in the third act where we see what's going on and then everything makes sense. All these flashbacks and stuff, they all make perfect sense. And then it explains, I just, uh-huh. I just love how all those things Argento presents to you just kind of out of the blue, but it all ties in. And not a lot of films can really do that. They can't throw those type of back. Like he's telling a story within the narrative that completely is a hundred percent relevant to the outcome of this film. It's totally cool. It's totally cool. And he does it subtly too. And uh I absolutely love the way those scenes are shot too, because it's, it's totally, I don't even know what the correct literal term is for, it Jeremy, but what is what is it when you shoot something and you don't show the faces? Like, there's a there's a term for this. You're you're the you expert shoot on the something terminal. and you don't show the faces. Like he's shooting, like you know, in the scene on the beach, like you get you get the girl, but I'm talking about mm-hmm. all the guys and stuff. Like there's a scene where you kind of see the guy's face yeah. on the beach, but everyone else is it's shot with all their heads cut off and everything. There's there's yeah, there's, I think you're right. I think there is a term for that, a technique for that. Yeah, and it's it's um, it's it's part of you know the what they're what Argento's trying to say in that scene, you know, in that flashback, right? So yeah, it's cool when that like when you think you're just getting pointless stuff, and then all of a sudden this like, is oh, masculinity yeah. again. Yeah. So 
um, getting stomped on by a woman. Exactly. But, exactly. Uh, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's like repressed, yeah. uh, sort of. Isn't there problems. a scene in this film where the girl is running from the dog? Isn't it like very reminiscent of like Suspiria and the Dog Kill? He yeah. just does that again. Yeah, he, I was thinking that. The only I, the one that's actually one of the only problems. What a with beautiful this film. goddamn house, too. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's like so amazing. Right yeah, now. I don't like. I don't like that. That scene drags on a little bit too long, in my opinion. It, go, it goes on a little bit too long. But the thing that actually bugs me about that—that that the scene itself is that she's clearly getting bit by this dog because she's bleeding uh-huh. from it and stuff. But then she has no marks on her. It really always bugs me. I'm like, if you're getting attacked by a dog, you're gonna have fucking holes and. You're gonna get gnarled up a little bit. Like she. I mean, I has... think that's one of those things where it's like, um, in the day you just figure it's people like you won't like it's tiny enough to where you and the blood that like, kind of hides it a little bit that the that we're not watching things in HD back then. You know what I mean? You can, like I think it's one of the the quality kind of hides the need to put an effect there because mm-hmm. you're such so far away but like with hd now like i'm sure if you watch that on vhs there's no way you'd be able to tell if there's actually like a wound or not mm-hmm. you know yeah. what i mean true that true that um i gotta say though man i think i think this was around the time when argento and uh dario nicoletti i think this is about the time when they split up and stuff and i always wondered if you know the kill with Peter's ex-wife Jane in the film with it being uh, so messy and vicious and just kind of mean-spirited a little bit it's just nasty right yeah, it's, it like, nasty. it's like it's like I think it's like his most nasty kill ever well, it like is you good. really like think about it it's like the most brutal and the most like so I'm at wondering- least violent wise because it's like you you don't see the, I mean sure you see blood from Argento but you don't see it like fucking just like spraying out of somebody like that well a lot of his kills like I, JP mentioned I thought, before I, they're fast and into the point but this one you yeah. know he comes in there and he breaks through the glass <laughs> and chops off her arm and it's like wow like it's getting messy and then the axe goes into her it's like it's just really really brutal and you know of course this is Peter's ex-wife in the film that gets gnarled up but you know like I said in real life Argento and Nicolati I think it just split up at that time I wonder if that was like a direct um I think that scene might have had an influence or the, that a whole idea came from his like personal life. Cause I, I'm sure that he was maybe a little bit pissed off about the whole result of his relationship and stuff. And just the fact that it happened to be the ex wife that gets brutally killed in this film. You know, I, I think it's, I don't think it's coincidental. I don't think it's coincidental. To I think Argento was pissed. To, to kind of go back to that kill that Jeremy said that I hated. It's actually one of my favorite moments in the film film. And I do understand what you're saying where I said, I don't like, uh, blood that sprays necessarily, and it does spray a little bit. No, but it's it sprays not a lot. like that. <laughs> no, a lot of blood is coming out, but the spray itself is what annoys me. Where it looks like mm-hmm. a actual like like where you put a hose attachment on, and it's like an actual like mist or whatever. Like those are the ones that kind of annoy me. Uh, sorry for the rain, guys. It's like super loud, but dude, I thought you um, were like on a train right now. That's, no, rain? that's literally rain it's like it we're under like, like a, a flash flood warning right now so <laughs> um <laughs> but uh basically yeah i i, I think that it's such a powerful 
uh, death. And, you know, I, I think that it's beautiful, like the way that the wall is all white and it just gets covered in, in blood and drenched. Like to me, if you cut off an arm, there should be a lot of blood. It's where it's a comedic spray effect where it actually looks like you can tell that it's just some buddy actually like spraying out of a hose that it looks bad if it's yeah, like yeah. like just incredibly bloody that doesn't mean that it's too much like that's not too much blood like i've seen people bleed a lot and um you know from different things and i think Damn, that shit's fucking off, loud bro it's really coming down it, just <laughs> mute or something. no 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 no, no it's all it's all good man it's, it's just, clearly i already pointed it out but yeah. yeah keep going i don't think it's that that's bad, it but no it's not that bad um yeah, man. Uh, I don't. Would you guys have anything else to say on on Tenebrae? I mean, no. We could go into ratings if you want. Holy shit! So. That's like fucking insane, man. Holy fuck! All right, um, Jeremy, you go first. God damn! It's coming down in buckets, bro. Like holy moly, fucking foley. Um, <laughs> holy tenebrae. <laughs> yeah. So tenebrae, it's fucking just a <laughs> still a really really fantastic Argento film. It's it's entertaining to watch throughout. It has the goods. It has the kills. It has everything that you come to expect from an Argento film. Come unlike the movie we're going to talk about next. But I still had a really fun time. I don't like it as much as Deep Red or Bird, but I still really, really enjoyed it. I think as I watch it more, I'll, I'll come to enjoy it a little bit more. Like I said, I've seen Deep Red and Bird quite a few times now, and I think it's only the second time I've seen this, so I'm not as familiar with the source material. So I'll give it an 8.5 out of 10 for 10 and Bray. 8.5? I'll try to make this quick because uh, you hear the rain out there, but... Yeah, Tenebrae, I absolutely love this one. I think that the narrative I picked up on way better. I absolutely love the dynamic with Argento and the author. Uh, I think the deaths are brutal and awesome. I think that it's just shot really good. One of one of the better shot Argento films that I've seen. The score fits the movie perfectly. Uh, I'm coming in at 9 out of 10 on this one. Uh, yeah, man, th- this movie is beautiful on all levels, man. Cinematography, the soundtrack is absolutely foreboding. I just, I absolutely love the way this thing just projects itself, man. It's so good. Claudio Simonetti is the fucking man. The women in this movie are to die for. Everyone's so sexy and awesome. Um, beautiful on that level. Kills are beautiful. Like, what is wrong with this one? It's got a coherent. I love the, the the character study of you know Peter and the contrast. It's you know it's a huge metaphor for fucking Dario Gentile's life in a sense. Also, and- just making the lead character an uh, author instead of a pianist was kind of uh, more interesting as well. <laughs> <laughs> I got no problems with the pianist, but same thing, really, man. They're, they're type of they're artsy people, but uh, yeah, man, I I love. Love this movie. I love how everything comes together. The kills are fantastic. Um, some really, really memorable, like the lesbian with her hair hanging off the stairwell. That's just amazing. So, so sweet. Well, the vagina metaphor being rebirthed with the sheet. <laughs> if you really want to break it down into that, that's another really awesome scene right there, too, man. That's a great kill. It's a really great yeah. kill. Um, you could go in as far as to say that for sure. Um, uh-huh. That's very analytic. 
Um, I mean, it's always up for debate, right? But uh, I'm sure it's there. Um, I'm coming in at nine and a half on this one. I just love this movie. It's so great. If you've never seen it, you got to check out Tenebrae. It's amazing. The Blu-ray is fucking amazing. So you watched the Synapse one? Is that the one yeah. you watched? Okay. Yeah, it's got the arrow. Yeah, so. it's so good. Jennifer is the new girl in a strange school. She's taunted by her classmates, haunted by a deadly secret. Not normal. And caught up in a murderous wave of terror. When the murderer hides his victims, he likes to keep in physical contact with them. But Jennifer's got a few million close friends. Insects never hurt me. I love all insects. They're in a position to do extraordinary things. And she's going to need every one of them. Creepers. That fly is your magic wand. Ask him to lead you where the dead bodies are hidden, and he'll lead you. From one of the most acclaimed masters of suspense comes the chilling tale of a young girl trapped in a web of evil. Dario Argento's Creepers. It will make your skin crawl. All right, so getting into the year 1985 with another Giallo, very, very different type of Giallo (laughs) style film with Phenomena. Uh, This one here. Phenomena. Starring my biggest crush in the world, Jennifer Jennifer Connelly. It's actually the same year she did Labyrinth, too. Kind of strange. Is it Pado to think she's good looking in this movie? Considering she's like 15. <laughs> is she really? Holy yeah. shit. 15, totally she's 15 or 16. 15 or 16, yeah. but uh, I don't hey, know, man. I don't know. That. She's older than me, so. I, I, I honestly don't have a problem with it because I grew up with Labyrinth. I remember watching it around that time, and she was older than me, right? So I was always in love with her. So I don't know. I guess it depends what angle you look at it from, but. <laughs> right? I mean. I don't know. Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Like, if you if you grew up watching, like, a sitcom, <laughs> like, Boy Meets World or something. Exactly. And, like, you're, the, the girl's older than me at the time of me watching it, and I had a crush on her. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I know, right? I know. Uh, this one also is starring Dario Nicoletti. Like I said, it should have been her trilogy. Um, yeah. And it's got the man Donald Pleasance. And actually, one of his... Oh, not one of his last ones. But, yeah, no. this, this, what, this was actually kind of a... This was a strange film for him to be doing. It just I can't even believe Donald Plenzis was actually in an Argento film. It's just so strange. But Why? I don't I know. I can see him doing it. He was in fucking Raw Meat, so he would be in this. Yeah, but I mean... Well, Raw Ple- Meat's a British production. Yeah, but that makes a lot more He's sense. Pleasance, you know, this is towards the end of his career. I mean, he was only around for another 10 years. And, you know, he's so established. I and mean, he's done so many films and stuff. It just seemed like an odd role for him to take. But I'm not saying he was bad I at it. I think it's awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm so, and I know you do, too. But, yeah, I agree. It's kind of a – like, I never – I had no idea Donald Pleasance was in an Argento movie yeah, before just, I started watching this. Well, that's the first thing I said to you. I was like, I was like, freaking Donald Pleasance is in this bitch. Yeah, but it's super, like – I think it's, like, one of his – at least up until this point, like, his most American movie. 
Like, I agree. I agree with that. Well, I, so mean, I can definitely. see why. I mean, obviously, <laughs> the, this was a big stab at trying to hit the American market, which is kind of funny that you would have Donald Pleasance in your film, who is you know from the UK, right? right? But yeah, you know, but people know him from Halloween shit like that. True so. that. True that. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, starring Jennifer Connelly and stuff. But music in this film done by Simon Boswell, who also did the, the soundtrack in this movie is like so metal it's like yeah. it's like very american you give it the horn this is the fucking exact same this is the same set, and... this is the same setup as demons right um of course lambert above a film produced by argento uh they wanted to appeal to the american audience a lot more so obviously having the americans i think stuff, that's but... kind of a good thing a little bit because it, it got to see argento go in a slightly different direction like it's still a giallo yeah. Yeah. but it adds like something that Argento has played with in the past with like deep red with a little bit of a supernatural element to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has seems to have a thing for like telekinesis slash, um, you know, mind reading shit like that. Yeah. Uh, like with deep red, we, we saw the film open with that, but Mm -hmm. uh, I think that it's, I think that it's kind of neat. You know, I thought that this was a, a neat, version of a giallo especially at a time where you're talking 1985 now um the heyday for giallos was probably the mid to late 70s oh it's way done so, yeah. at this point the, yeah. it's, it's way done so i mean obviously our gentle is gonna you know as a as a great filmmaker you got to create something a little bit new and, I think and like out of the out of the six that we've watched or at least the six that i've been on this is the least giallo out of them all I mean, it still has. Well, it has like it really doesn't this, have that giallo six. feel to it. It's it, this one is dubbed as a supernatural. It, ju- it still has uh, a mystery portion to it, right? There's still a it killer. still has like some of the core elements that giallos have. Like, because really, what you have to do is define a giallo, right? Like the core things a giallo must have. It must be a mystery, right? It can, mm-hmm. You can't know who the killer is. This one has this one on the story. It has all those elements. It just has a supernatural yeah. angle that's a little more. Yeah. It's a little more over the top. It's than, a little less yeah. detective narrative, like uh, police procedural type of. Yeah. Of in, in fact, in fact, the police investigation is is very. It's very low in the narrative. You know, compared. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly about jennifer's character jennifer connelly's character who actually plays a character named jennifer (laughs) uh synopsis a young girl with an amazing ability to communicate with insects is transferred to an exclusive swiss boarding school where her unusual capability might help solve a string of murders uh yeah so jennifer connelly plays a character named jennifer who comes from like a famous family her dad is a famous actor and she's been yeah. shipped off to the yeah. Swiss um, – they call it the Swiss Transylvania or something like that – to this, like, all-girls boarding school for rich kind of rich people, kids and shit like yeah. that. Um, of course, there is murders that are happening around there. I thought that girl was rather attractive too. <laughs> oh, her roommate? Yeah. Her, yeah. The 15-year-old kid who smokes and just throws her smokes into the drawer. <laughs> Yeah. Like, what the fuck? But yeah, so there's a killer on the loose knocking off bodies and stuff. And uh, so she befriends Donald Pleasant's character, who is an entomologist, of course, right? Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one thing leads to another. They figure out that she's got this type of weird telekinesis, telekinetic uh, relationship with bugs. Yeah, she has this ability to basically friend bugs and, and communicate with bugs and stuff. And so they use that ability to try and solve these murders which is yeah, a very they interesting don't, plot they don't, 
it's not as like gimmicky as it sounds like they do no. a lot of actual like exposition on like bugs and how fascinating it is that they mm-hmm. know certain things about each other and yeah. like they kind of hammer home the telepathy telepathy angle in the insect kingdom before they kind of bring it into uh humans so i think that they do a good job setting it up to where it doesn't feel as like ridiculous as it feels believable in this story you, you know, know what i mean the one critique i've always I've, I've always heard from people that talk about this movie is um why does she have this ability and i'm like it does it doesn't really matter i mean you yeah. don't need to explain it she just she has come over from america she's made yeah. this journey and she's in a, she's on she's in europe why did we need to know why she has a ability? It's it doesn't it's, matter. It's because it's supernatural. That's exactly. it. It's just it's just a super. Why does why does any supernatural film have anything supernatural mm. in it? There's no explanation exactly. ever. Exactly, and that that, that's the way I look at it too. It, it's a supernatural ability that does not to, need to be explained, <laughs> right? It, it is what it is, man. I think it's actually a really cool angle for a film especially in a giallo type form. I mean, this hasn't really been done a whole lot. It's not a goddamn superhero movie where you got to <laughs> talk about her being bit by a mutant fucking beetle. <laughs> exactly. The stupid ass fucking Marvel stories. Uh, but again, you know, very typical Argento fashion. This one has phenomenal cinematography. Like we shot this thing in the Swiss Alps. So it's just like amazing. The first kill in Dude, this the film, opening. Yeah. The first Dude, kill is, it's, it's set up. So, Oh, it's just so brutal, man. This girl misses this bus. Why, it, why was there a window outside? I don't know. <laughs> she was run, that weird to you? <laughs> well, she runs, well, no, she runs into, um, kind of like this. I don't really know what it is. It's, it's like, like some type of, yeah, it's like some kind of weird shack or whatever that obviously overlooks where the waterfall is. And ultimately that's the death of her. She gets decapitated. Um, and then they talk about how, you can age when somebody died based on the insects that are on them, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. like yeah. that's and gross. Like this one has some nastiness to it. I love that man. There is a little minor plot holes even with that too. I mean, Donald Pleasance has this head in his in his uh, I guess studio. I guess whatever you want to call it um, in his science lab, <laughs> and it's like he just has this head in. There. It's like you know, I'm pretty sure that head would be somewhere as evidence to a murder, <laughs> maybe locked up in a police station or in a in a morgue somewhere. But yeah, I gotta bring it away. I didn't even think of. I thought that the police were taking it to him so that he could uh, tell them. I think that's what they imply because he's a bug ex- expert. I think that's what they imply about it, you know. But it's not really. Well, then it the fixes greatest. the plot hole if but, that's what it is. I, no, I think it's just implied. I don't. They don't actually say that in the film, though. I think you just kind of have to figure that, you know, <laughs> that's what he's doing. You know, he's kind of helping out with I the situation. I hope that's what he's doing. <laughs> right. So, but anyways. <laughs> that would make yeah. sense, actually. But, but it is cool. So. And and actually, this whole, this whole narrative, isn't this whole freaking, story. Um, isn't that freaking, isn't that fucking Michelle Zafoe? The fucking Mikhail. guy. Oh, Michael Suave? Yeah. Yeah. That's um, him, right? Yes. Yep. So yeah, the, the so the cool thing about this, I had read once that Argento came up with this idea for this film um, because he heard about uh, like police and scientists actually solving crimes with bugs. So he literally just wrote this movie and came up with this whole supernatural <laughs> idea based on this idea that he'd heard. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Which is actually true. It's actually true. They at one point they were doing these things. So I think that's pretty unique in itself. But uh, um. Yeah, yeah, like he says that 
um, you know, the 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 girl also had like I love this. Like to me, I I love this movie. Like I love the blending of the giallo genre yeah. with the supernatural elements of sleepwalking and telepathy. <laughs> and I just thought that it was really unique. And I'm like, okay, I'm down with this. It's gross. You have this girl. She finds this glove, and you find out that these maggots, that these type of maggots that are on the glove mean that the whoever is doing the killings must keep his victims around because you won't have these type of flies yeah because they grow since post-mortem yeah yeah so to me i I, like i don't know i just i was like totally down with this one all the way up until this crazy ass finale with all this (laughs) disgusting ass shit and like this crazy well the killer like swarm of craziness well the killer has to keep the uh the bodies around right why not just throw them into some weird yeah, but it's not death. Dad. It's the fucking. It's the it's the kid. Yeah. What the fuck is going Hon- on? Honestly, the biggest <laughs> problem I have with this film too is th- the reveal of that and the actual motives for her. She. He looks like fucking Jason. Actually, does so what were like, the motives of her? Since there, we spoiled the last one, there isn't really a lot of motives. It's. She it's was, like Mrs. Voorhees. He's making fun. Yeah, she's like pissed that her kid is. Yeah, kind of made fun of. she was apparently a rape victim, so I'm assuming that was the product of her rape. So maybe she's just on a revenge. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, that kind of works and stuff. But yeah, it is kind of a weird reveal <laughs> at the end of this one. But I do like the journey getting there a lot. I it, actually, it's more horrorish, which is why I like it. I this, think because this, it's like that's something out of a horror movie. It's not just like this person who's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really like the setup to this man. It gets it's a little bit slower in itself to get going, but you know we follow Jennifer and her sleepwalking, and I like that. I like that scene where she's sleepwalking. It's and funny because I was... actually thought this one flew by way faster than Tenebrae and Deep Red. Oh, really? And, uh, which I watched. I think this one was like an hour and fifty six minutes yeah, yeah, cut that we watched, which is a really cool cut. I believe this is the first time that this cut existed um it's taking the italian cut and the american creepers cut and it's combining them yeah Mm -hmm. is that what cut you watch mids uh yeah the full 117 minute cuts where did you which version do you have uh, I've got the arrow one I've got all I've got all the arrow version I've got so then snaps didn't make this cut then right I thought it was I'm not I'm not sure I don't have the snaps one but yeah I've got all three cuts are on there like the 110 international version is the one that I always grew up watching. It was released by Anchor Bay. It was the VHS you'd rent and stuff. And um, then the, there was the Creepers cut, which is like which is 86 a, minutes. 80, I think it's 83. It's so much shorter. It's crazy. It's almost like a half an hour longer than the international. And this version right here, I think, is the original uh, Italian version. The long version is the original Italian version. So, well, uh, actually, no, that wouldn't be it. The um, from what it says on the the syn- synapse, one second, talk for a second. Um, yeah, man, I I I love the scene. JP loves testicles. Okay, shut up. Listen. <laughs> so, um, the, basically, the difference is uh, there is the original eighty three minute US version, which is titled Creepers, mm-hmm. um, and then there is the um. 110 minute version which is the version that uh is considered the um international version this is the version that was in in italy and and stuff like that 
And this new version, it says this English Italian hybrid, this is the 116 minute cut of Phenomena, contains an additional six minutes of material not seen in the 110 minute version, yeah. completely remixed by Synapse Films to seemingly integrate the additional Italian audio segments into the feature yeah, and remastered in high definition. Yeah, it's the same version. It's just mostly dialogue scene. And actually, most of the footage that is in this version, the long version that we watched, is the scene where uh, the killer <laughs> um, basically has that exchange with Jennifer, knocks her out, drags her and stuff. All that scene is... That stuff's not. Yeah, in the it's it's cut. not like gore footage. No, no, no. It's mostly it's, it's all it's all dialogue scenes. And yeah, it's, yeah. besides so it's that, like scene. how we mentioned, if somebody would take Rob Zombie's Halloween's and take yeah. the stuff that we liked from the theatrical and the stuff that we liked from the director's cut, because mm-hmm. I like and dislike things in both of those cuts, and I wish you could take them and kind of mash them together to make like the ultimate cut, yeah, which yeah. is essentially what they kind of did here, where they took some missing dialogue that was in the american version but not in the the uh longer international version one thing to note and it's kind of cool in this too because sometimes i don't mind when this happens when they don't have the dub for it or whatever so the scenes that are put back in are are in you know they're in fully restored uh yeah they're fully restored and but they're in uh italian right so. Yeah, which is crazy because like I it, it flows so seamlessly though yeah, like you don't even notice unless you like think out loud like oh wait I'm reading a subtitled film all it's of a that sudden. same it's that same idea but just having it like that you know what was added back in right yeah, so it's kind of yeah. cool it's yeah kinda, that's cool yeah it, it's really cool so. to note so you're like oh so that's what was missing and it's funny because of one of the scenes it's literally one line. Jennifer's talking and she says something and it's like they must I don't know why they would, it's like the middle it didn't part even of seem her like scene. there was a cut at one point I know that's it what went, I'm saying there was this one scene where they literally cut out the middle part of what she said and then I was like okay why would they do that <laughs> like, it's two seconds it's like those okay. random thing man I can see why they cut out for the international version the scene with the killer when she knocks or uh, knocks out Jennifer um, it's a lot to do with the pill stuff at the end and when she drags her and things like that. I mean, it is what it is. Maybe just maybe they felt it slowed down the the third act a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> don't really know. I, I actually like that. It actually explains a little bit more in this full cut. Yeah. Because that's not in the international. When you put it in that perspective, it's not there. But um, it's yeah, such man. a cool. I love it's when different. these things come out. These yeah. like different cuts of the film. Um, I think that this Synapse release is fantastic. I'm sure the Arrow one is as well. Um, I got both. Which one did you watch, nice. Jeremy, by the way? Synapse. <laughs> Fuck. So I <laughs> fucking sent him a $60 Blu-ray. He fucking doesn't even watch it. <laughs> I didn't want to fucking pull out my laptop and fucking plug that shit out. Oh, oh dude, true. you don't have an all-region player? Free. Oh, no. fuck. I thought you had one. Cheap ass mom. He has one on his laptop, which <laughs> technically counts, I guess. But I understand why you'd rather watch it on the TV if he has a choice. Of course. Well, you can always just run your HDMI to that. And that shit won't be worth sixty dollars in a little while because fucking Arrow's re-releasing it. So, well, that that version that's right there, the standard version that they're releasing. Yeah, it's just the standard. You won't get that's the box set. Those things are always extremely right. high in prices. But back to the film. Um, yeah, man, I the. I, I really like the scene where Jennifer is sleepwalking like about half an hour into the film there and she witnesses that murder. I, I love the way that that whole thing goes down. That's like a perfect way of, you know, witnessing something, you know. Wasn't it 
wasn't it weird when that chick was supposed to be watching Jennifer and she, she sneaks out leaves. and leaves her boyfriend, and then all of a sudden he's just like, "Well, gotta go." And I was like, "What? <laughs> what know, the right? hell was the point of this?" <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, I was exactly. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know, man. I so, think I think basically the only problems I have with this film are just just little just just little <laughs> thing. It's just you know the reveal of the killer. Um, I don't know, man, if I really, I don't know. I really like her because she seems like so sinisterly evil. And like, I like when she's in the bathroom and she's like supposed to be taking the pills and she's like all like thrown up everywhere and shit. No, no, no. She's definitely a sinister killer. That's for sure. But it's just who, like who she was, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, man. It was just that aspect. It's always kind of bugged me about the film, but I mean, it doesn't really take a whole lot away. I mean, the ride getting to that point is phenomenal. Yeah. 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 It's really good stuff. Alright, you so. want to get into ratings? Uh sure. Who's up? Wow, this was released January thirty first, nineteen eighty five in Italy. So liter oh wait, never mind. January thirty first. Never mind. Um so yeah, I believe it's my turn. Uh I really like this movie. Like I, I think that this one appeals to me more than than most, probably because it's the most American and I'm I'm always I'm always gonna love like more more Americanized things because they're more familiar to me. Um, even though like I don't know people who goes to like boarding schools and stuff, that's always foreign to me when that stuff happens in movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so I, I just think that this one again beautifully shot. I, I like the mixture of like the American style music in here too. Uh, I love Donald Pleasance like when he talks i want to listen um there was a monkey in this one which i yeah, thought was a awesome. little, little type of thing going on there everybody wants a i actually monkey. really one that's i smart actually too. really like the ending to this one and i like i like just how supernatural it gets at the end just because it's like unexpected it completely to me, has that like friday the 13th type end to it like on I a, know, like on a I boat, know. like some mutant little fucking kid, and like just everything uh, about that whole the, ga- the, the gas fire, the and gas shit. fire, everything Part about six. that. It, it, you know, it might, he was watching some American films at that time, wasn't wasn't Argento? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, but uh, I absolutely, absolutely adored this one. I thought it was a fantastic little watch. It was like the most unique Argento I've seen uh, yet, actually, out of the films that I've seen. Um, I'd say this and maybe Stenhall. It's my least favorite so far. Ah, it's brutal. It's one of my favorite. Um, yeah. I'm coming in at eight point five out of ten. But this is the first time I've watched it, so maybe I'm not. You know what? Yeah. You're at all. This this movie right here, I always find is one of the most mixed of the good Argento films. Like the, where it's not would a bad the, where movie. Say that the good Argento films ended with opera. Uh, like the really standout ones, yeah, definitely. Like everybody kind of says that, like, w- like I think you hear a lot of people say that Stendhal was his last good film, but Opera was his last great film. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, I mean, you know my feelings on Stendhal. It's not my. It's one of my least favorites of of his better films. It's so funny because it's like literally one. It's like literally in my top like three, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Even yeah. counting the trauma, I haven't seen in a while. I was actually thinking about that today while I was watching Phenomena. I was like, man, I don't even remember that film. Like. Yeah, well, I have the next- movie. Yeah, like I haven't seen it in so long, but, um, but yeah, man, this movie is. I've I've always really enjoyed this one, and I've always found that this film is definitely one of the most mixed opinion. Wait, type JP film. didn't give his rating. Yeah, he did. Yeah, eight point five. Yeah. He did. Oh, okay. So I guess it's to me. Um, 
but yeah, man, I don't know what it is about this film. I've I've seen people rate this one like four and a half out of ten, rate to no. like nine and a half. Like it's all it's all over the map. But you don't see that in all the other Argento films before this one. They seem to always be kind of in that eight to ten range, you know, type thing, right? This one just seems to have like the most wide appeal of I don't know. I've, maybe it's the supernatural aspect of this. People don't really get it or don't di- buy I'll, into, I'll it, into it. Or they don't buy into it. I don't know. But I personally think that, you know, going from Deep Red, I think this was a great sh- uh, three films to do. I mean, you have this very standard giallo that's so perfect, in my opinion, in Deep Red. And then you got this kind of, I, w- I don't want to say hybrid in, in um, Tannenberry, but just a different structure to a giallo. And then this one just goes way out in left field. Uh, you got a supernatural giallo feel to it. And I think it's fantastic, man. I think one of my favorite scenes in this film is when Jennifer takes her her, sertof- her sarcophagus. Is that what you want to call it? The fly? Yeah. And she puts it in the box and it's like leading her. You know, some people might find that to On be... On that a- long-ass bus ride. And Can you close the window? No. But I love Did that. you see that damn part where the fly is like walking up her arm and like chilling and stuff i'm like how the hell did they get that fly to do that dude i actually know i watched the special features but i can't remember man (laughs) i honestly can't remember like i even remember them talking about how they did the uh um like you know all the flies and all the bees and it was crazy like the effects in this film are are really nuts how they did them all and shit uh but yeah that scene i love that shit man where she doesn't even know where she's going she's just on this bus and she's being led by this essential essentially a fucking fly right and it starts going <laughs> ape shit and she's like yeah i'm getting off i'm getting off and then that's where she goes and i like that man that's fucking cool man i like I mean, it too dude i like the setting to this one too like oh it's so I love beautiful the beautiful countryside and and you know there's some shots like when she leaves that house she's like in that field and shit it's like a beautiful shot so yeah i would actually you, like to know what where they shot i mean that might be an actual school they shot in but it's so cool dude like the when the, there's shots of the girls talking in the uh, in the payphones, those things are the yeah. coolest fucking payphones ever. <laughs> like they're yeah. like the coolest things. I don't know, man. I just love. There's so much beautiful cinematography. All this the locations they shot in this one acting is great. I think Jennifer Connelly just is amazing in this film. She's beautiful. I think her acting is excellent. You know, for some, this is one of her first films she ever did. Same year that she did Labyrinth. I'm just, awesome stuff man i can't really say enough good things there's just minor things in this one um but i'm gonna come in at a nine out of ten nice nice i'm glad you liked that one as much as you did so i think um, what this film is like good, at, at this point like it's a very different kind of argento film you don't have anything really that what I love about Argento, you don't have any of the the deep theming context of, no. you know, uh, of of what I love about Argento's films in this one, and maybe that's why I didn't connect to it as much as you two did. But I it's mean, not a really, bad movie. But I mean, would you want to have that? You know that no. social commentary. You know that subtext in every single film no. you're watching. I th- I think this no. was a great triple feature like, because, because you that have doesn't d- really exist in Suspiria either, which is his arguably his best movie. Yeah, I mean it's you know one of his more commonly loved films. Yeah, but I mean if you look at Deep Red, I mean there's some stuff there obviously with you know the I think the I men think, and women. I think Giallo stuff. wise, I think Giallo because yeah. we were talking about. This is one Giallo. I think Giallo-wise, that's what you typically usually see with Argento films. It's not like I I, I don't like the film. I think it's a uh-huh. it's a really interesting movie, and it's and it's different than what I I usually expect from an Argento film. And people told me that, 
as I was going into it. And it's only the first time I've seen it. Like I said, I haven't seen it before. So maybe if I watch it more, I'll start to appreciate it a little more. But I give this one an 8 out of 10. All right. So it's kind of... I mean, regardless, if you look at all three of these films that we talked about tonight, I think it really lends to the conversation that Argento is one of the best film horror filmmakers of all time. I mean, this is... I mean, shit, dude. You look at the films we covered so far, you know, I th- I think just off of the top of my head, like Bird, Cat, and Flies were all between like sevens and, and eights uh, or above, you know. And then you have Suspiria, which was like in the nine range to ten range. And then you had um, uh, Inferno, which you guys all really liked. I think I came at like a 7.5 or whatever. And even Mother of Tears, like, I like better than you guys. But then you have three more eights and aves right here. Like, that's... Well, that's Burns the like or Six, seven, eight movies that are that are eights and aves, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually quite shocked that none of these made the Hall of Fame, to be honest. I thought Deep Red was going to for sure, but yeah, it is what it I is. I figured if Suspiria Bird, didn't make it, then nothing would. Did yeah. Suspiria make it? Bird, I and I think Suspiria is... I can't remember. No, it is. Yeah, Suspiria made it, because me... Dave and Derek all gave it ten. Yeah, and yeah. well, at uh, least the birds spirit. in there too. The ratings are pretty high in these in the, in these nine films, with the exception of Mother of Tears. So that'll change soon, yeah. though. <laughs> it'll change soon. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm curious. I'm actually more curious on these next the the second half of Argento's career. Um, probably next year, it would probably be. Trauma, Opera, and what's another one? Phantom of the Opera? Stendhal. Stendhal. Uh, I think Phantom of the Opera came out before Stendhal, right? No. Yeah. So Stendhal. Yeah, Phantom of the Opera came out first. All right, well, that's good for me because I love Stendhal. So. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Well, I guess on that note... That is going to conclude episode 120 and week one here on the Italian Whore Month, the annual Italian Whore Month. This is volume three, the third year we've done it. Yeah, man, it's official. It's the annual. I always feel I always feel awkward saying annual after second year. I don't know. I think I always think that the third time around, like that's a good time to say annual. Yeah, because second just means that you did it again. Exactly. Like, anybody can third do something means twice. It's like official that you're doing it every year. <laughs> anybody can do something twice, but it takes you know some real men to do something three times, and so on. So yeah. that's when annual actually takes on a on a deeper meaning, <laughs> on a deeper meaning. So. Um, so how long ago do you th- how many episodes ago was our last Italian month? <laughs> I have no idea. I could look stand by. The last episode of Italian month was episode 95. So 92, 93, 94, 95 were yeah. Italian month episodes. Yep. Shit. Not even that that long ago. No. Well, at the level we've been pumping them out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully this one sounded good. Uh, <laughs> fucking JP's sick as hell over there. Uh, riding the train. Um, <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ, man. Holy fuck. But yeah, good episode. I had fun with this one. Um, JP, you know what you should do? One of these, you should go back, set, set a time just to go back and like rewatch, like have a rewatch, even like Inferno. I think that you might like it more. 
I think you honestly might. Yeah, like it I think so. I think so. Look, dude, I told you, man, Argento is becoming one of my favorite filmmakers. Like, and I'm not saying like favorite is in like, you know, Adam Green territory. Like, I'm saying like top three of all time. Like, you know, Carpenter, Craven, mm-hmm. or Carpenter, Romero, Argento, or or Craven. Like, it's like right there. You know, just because I think that. I think that even the movies that I don't really like love are still like really well made. Mm-hmm. And that's above and beyond what I like most about any filmmaker is when their movie is uh, structurally and like technically well made. Can't agree more, man. Argento definitely has some serious quality in his films. He's just one of the, he's like a true artist. It, he he might have films. one of the best runs ever, you know. When you, if you look at, you know, his from from, if you're gonna go bird with eight, eight out of tens and above or whatever, mm-hmm. maybe not four flies and cat of nine tails, but I don't know. Like deep red, Suspiria, Inferno, Tenebrae, Phenomena, like that's a pretty good run right there. Oh fuck! Ten years. It's incredible, man. It's really incredible. Yeah. Well, I had fun, man. We are going to be back next week with what? What are we doing? Bianchi, right? Andre. Andre Andrea. Bianchi. I was wondering how to say his name. Andrea Bianchi. So that's going to be a very sleazy fest. What is it? Strip <laughs> nude for your killer? <laughs> that's Muff Burial Central, Burial grounds. Oh, yeah. Burial, Burial grounds. Burial grounds. Oh, my God. I can't wait to talk about Oh, yeah. Grounds. So we switched what the peepers saw because we found out that he might not have actually directed that movie, but he just kind of edited a version of it. And it would be like if Argento took Dawn of the Dead's version and wrote in the credits that he directed it. Yeah. I mean, there is uh, that Argento cut of the film, but, yeah, he obviously just edited it a different way. Yeah. So, yeah. No direct. If it opened up instead of film by Dario Argento, you might have a beef with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we're doing Massacre. That was a replacement for what the people saw. That's too bad because that movie yeah. is awesome. I would love to talk about that. That's, that's the type of films you can't make today. Pretty cool. Oh, shit. Jeremy, take us out. Well, it's all JP. I would have still done it, but fuck, fuck everybody it's else. It's all Don and Ellie. Yeah, fuck you, Don. Hashtag fuck Don. <laughs> Who was member in the Hall of Fuckers? Fucking Don. Uh, let's see, where am I? Okay, thank you everybody for listening to episode 120 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror Podcast. As always, if you want to follow the man Moods himself, you can do so at youtube.com slash moods 616. And I'm actually going to be nice to JP. If you want to follow the man JP, go over there and congratulate him for finally completing the 31 Days of Horror oh, Challenge I forgot. at youtube.com slash J. But still, please tell him he's a fucking asshole. And also, as you can follow me on my channel, even though nobody will, youtube.com slash NESRoar22. And as always, you can leave us a voicemail, but we will never answer. 724-426-6665. And you can leave us an email at the 22shotsofmoodshorror at gmail.com. It's 22shotsofmoodsandhorror at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash 22shotspodcast. And join us on the Facebook page, facebook.com. Search bar, 22shotsofmoodsandhorrorpodcast.com. And please, 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 please support the Patreon to get the sand sucked out of my vagina. Patreon.com slash 22ShotsPodcast. That shall do it for episode 120 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror Podcast. We'll be back next week with the 121st episode where we'll be digging into my choice 
for Italian Horror Month, Andrea Bianchi, where I just put all the names of all these directors into a hat and I picked one out. So stay tuned for next week's episode. You know you did that, too. <laughs> I sure did. That's awesome. No, what I actually he probably did, just I, owned most of his films. No, so like, oh, no, no. I went on Google. I typed in all the directors, and I picked out who had the cheapest films, and that's who I chose. <laughs> I think it was something. Like oh, that. now the truth comes out. Oh my god. Hell yeah! That's no, awesome. I tried to pick somebody different, somebody that most people probably wouldn't know of and wouldn't probably cover on a podcast. Not your typical Italian directors. I think the next two weeks we have guys that are two guys that are are different and interesting and and directors that people will talk about so i just tried to pick somebody different yeah. is this guy a little bit different uh, i think when you watch strip nude for your killer you'll probably say yes so we'll stay tuned for that so stay tuned for next week's episode guys everybody have a fantastic week we should talk to you guys next week on the 22 shots of moods and horror podcast fuck you jerry